everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 359. I'm your host, Chris Zomba, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixen, Span and Bix. We have a Patreon-requested show yet again this week, two in a row. And this is a doozy right here. Uh, yes, there is a lot going on this week on this show that was requested by, uh, let me make sure. Oh, Alan Peisner. Yes, I thought that was him, but I had the calendar on the wrong month, so I needed to check. But yes, Alan Peisner requested this. Yes, he requested us to do this show. And if you want to request a show for yourself, patreon.com slash between the sheets, $25 gets you that opportunity to request a show. And uh, it'd probably be best to have two shows in mind, just in case somebody may have the week you have picked, or maybe something we talked about already you may have forgotten about. So, um, yeah, and I follow the protocol on the Patreon website that uh, gives all the details on how to get such a show in place. And we'll talk more about in the halftime segment. If you, know, if you want to listen to that, you'll find out more there and all the other uh, tiers of the Patreon. So, yeah, you can do that, and you can get us to talk about whatever you want to talk about. That we haven't talked about before, and we've been, we've avoided this era, you know, a lot of times <laughs> because it's such long shows and there's so much going on. But you want to talk about it? We'll do our best. So let's go back 17 years. How <laughs> to 2005 and uh, the week that was June the 15th through the 21st of 2005 and we begin with ring of honor and what was billed as his final match in ring of honor cm punk captured the ring of honor title from austin aries on june the 18th in morristown new jersey and left the building with the belt and booker gave sapolsky screaming he stole the fucking belt the idea to work from what fans knew and believed that punk leaving he had to lose aries sapolsky and punk did the opposite it was meant as a copy of an August of 26, 1999 angle from the Ellis Lodge in Queens, New York, that Paul Heyman did in ECW, naturally, where everyone knew that the Dudleys were leaving for WWE, and this was their last night. Heyman booked them as challengers against the tag champions, despite Dudley and Balls Mahoney, and had them shock everyone to win the titles. This was just a transition title switch, as Raven was brought back on that show as a surprise. And Raven and arch-rival Tommy Dreamer formed an impromptu team, beat the Dudleys to win the title that same show. So the fans got two shocks instead of what they expected. Sapolsky, who was a Heyman booking protege, took from this idea of both doing the surprise title change, but also the idea that when somebody big leaves to keep people from drilling on it, you use that same show to bring somebody back, big back. And in this case, the company brought back AJ Styles as advertised, Petey Williams as a mystery guy, and also brought back Christopher Daniels, who they had advertised as coming back next month. Although not everything went down smoothly, the end result of the show was that 650 fans in attendance thought that maybe Punk's leaving was for WWE was all the work since he entered the show as champion. There was a huge amount of talk come out of the show. In reality, Punk had already signed a developmental deal with WWE. He'll be starting shortly in WWE. Punk said he'd be happy with this, and he should be, because coming in as an indie superstar right to WWE TV means I have to literally get put in this place at first and have it made clear that he's not on the level of the real stars. Before, if he survives that period, he can get pushed. Plus, there were people who would be looking for chinks in his armor to show he really doesn't know how to, get, know how to work anyway. And you know, OVW will be able to avoid dealing with that mindset. If he goes to OVW, gets over, and he's going to talk that nobody in OVW, the contracted wrestlers, can touch him there. In a few months, the indie superstar taint will be off of him. 
OVW is terribly weak right now when it comes to single stars, particularly when it comes to guys being able to do a promo. So this is a perfect time to go and stand out. In addition, if he came to WWE right now, they'd like to come up with their own gimmick for him. If he goes to WWE, now that Eminem and the Hearthrobs precedent's been set, he comes in himself. He gets over strongly with his current character. The creative team will actually see the tapes and maybe not be so quick to change him. <laughs> um, Dave is talking about Eminem and the Hearthrobs, you know, keeping their gimmicks and going to WWE. Well, Eminem was able to you know, do fairly well on that gimmick. Heartthrobs, not so much. How Had the Heartthrobs just gotten called up when this happens? Because the whole thing at the time was that the Heartthrobs lost most of their gimmick. They they were not long up on the roster, yes, or no, at this point in time, I don't, I don't think. So is it possible they're only doing darks or something at this point? Well, if they're working TV, I, I, I think. I'm, I'm not positive, but I mean, the thing is, is that I think Dave's being a you know, optimistic, liberal, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> to be optimistic about Punk's chances here, not knowing, not knowing what the mentality would be to Punk, and Punk, being Punk, also put himself in a position too that would uh, make him a target as well. And I don't think Dave really knows a Punk that way yet. You know? How do you mean? I think I know where you're going with this, but I mean, he he probably doesn't know. He probably doesn't know Punk's reputation and um, of being, a, you know, a, a heat magnet, so to speak. And he gets it. I mean, he goes to WWE and he definitely becomes a heat magnet with people there. Yes. And here's the thing. Like, as far as we know, at least in OVW, it doesn't seem like he actually did anything there to deserve the heat, Right. I mean, sometimes you don't have to do anything to really get it. You just get it because people are rubbed the wrong way. Yes. For various reasons. Chris, what ends up getting him the most heat early on? Well, I mean, it's the, the fact that the, the his uh, female proclivities. Yes, everyone. You know. years ago, it was considered bad to date within the wrestling business. As if these, as if these people who are traveling all the time and all that could be expected to meet anyone else. And well, I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean, this is an era where it wasn't going on a whole lot as it is now. No, no. Now it's completely. I mean, that was new. I mean, it was a new territory in a way, especially, you know, WWE. Because you look at the you look at the women in the past in WWE, they I mean, when they were in the company, they were already there with their boyfriends or husbands, mm. mainly. You know, Sonny with Chris, Sable with with Mark, uh, China and Triple H. You know, developed in that into that. But then you have you know Ivory and Jacqueline. I, I mean, they were they have been professionals for years. It, it's it's this whole it's the whole thing where they're bringing in the de- developmental women. And the diva diva searches and that type of stuff. That's when all this really gets started. Well, there also end up being so many more women on the roster anyway. And there's that too, absolutely. And they're younger, you know. Yeah. So that, that, because you look at WWE in Attitude Era, you know the women there were not really young. No. You know they, no. Ivory, Jacqueline, uh, Tori. I mean they they were around the in the eighties. Yeah, and, and and of course Deborah, 
you know, who was divorced from, from long ago or whatever she was at that time. Um, you know, it it doesn't really start. WCW is basically when it starts up, you know, Tor Wilson and Kidman probably the Tor yeah. Wilson and Kidman is maybe the, the, the trendsetter when it comes to that, you know? Well, uh, well there is one before that, though, too. And Stacy, Stacy, Tori and Kidman, Stacy and David Flair, those are the two. Well, I was also going to say Alicia Webb and Ken Shamrock, too. Yeah. Yeah. And WF. Yeah. Yeah. And that got big heat. Mainly because of their relationship on television. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Um but So that's that's more that that's understandable. But also in Punk's case, it's oh, look at this king of the indies who just got here and immediately he's dating the prettiest girl on the company. You know, it's that it was that I mean, kind that, of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, well, the indie thing, too. I mean, it's the whole indie thing, too. I mean, he had that going against him because most of the people that NOVW are either locals or guys that were hired off the streets to be turned into wrestlers. I mean, who is our OVW developmental roster at the time? Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, let me look and see. All right. So, you know, we got results coming up later in the show. All right. So you got the Thrill Seekers, Ken Anderson, Paul Burchill, Duche, Kenny Doane, Seth Skyfire, Mike Mondo, Danny Inferno, Lashley, um, Brent Albright, Lance Cade, Chris Cage, the Blonde Bombers. You got the Tolans. And Thrill Osama. Seekers, to be clear, Johnny Deeder and uh, Matt Capitelli. Yeah. Uh, the Blonde Bombers are what? Um, Idle Stevens and Casey James? No, uh, the Tolans. Then you got Tolans. They're the Blonde Bombers. Okay, but you got Idle Stevens there. Casey James is around. Osama. Jillian Beast. Hall. Yeah, and the women, you got like Alexis Larie, Beth Phoenix, Jillian Hall. Um, Melissa Coates is there at that and, time. Well, so, and also to go with what you were saying. Mickey, as Alexis Lurie, came in with her then-boyfriend, Joy Matthews. Yeah, so that's that's the crew you're looking at at the time. So. Yeah, and yeah, there was a decent number of people who came to OVW on their own. Oh, I see, I'm scrolling through more. Danny Inferno's already there. So it, it's an interesting mix of people. Um, <laughs> and, the, and the people that were indie talent were mainly southern indie talent. Yes. So, all right. Uh, the crowd in Morristown was going crazy for Punk for his farewell. Sopolsky had planned that he was going to win the title because he felt everyone would want him to win, and the going-away atmosphere would be ruined if he fell short of winning the title, which he was being groomed for later this year. Punk and Sapolsky had worked out a scenario, much of what he did, although in fast-forward on the show to set him up as a long-term heel champion after winning the title as a babyface. Fans championed him the entire match, and they cheered every move he did. The crowd booed everything Aries did. Match went 30 minutes and 30 seconds. Several people live called it a match of your candidate. Some were saying it was better than Punk and Samoa Joe for Chicago last year. The match that placed third in the match of year voting and the most famous match of company history. They kept teasing either a 450 by Aries or a Pepsi plunge by Punk. Eventually, Aries hit the Pepsi plunge and Punk did the Hogan no-sell spot by kicking out of one and punking up. Punk made a big comeback, hit the Pepsi plunge for the finish. And then we get... The promo. So, let's go to CM Punk in his celebration after the match and the big heel turn. But do you want to play the whole thing or just kind of get into where it gets 
right before the tournament. No, let's go from the start. Okay. Let's do that then. Eh, it's only another two minutes. Why not? Oh, and we should know too with the finish. I believe this was the first time he had hit the Pepsi plunge in ROH in what, like a year? Maybe more? Yeah, it'd been a minute. Because he had been mainly using the uh, Anaconda Vice as his finish. It was a year ago. It was over a year ago. I held this belt high in the air after I fought for it for the first time in Dayton, Ohio, against Samoa Joe. And I proclaim this right here the most important belt in North America. Right now, in my hands, as of this day, 61805, this becomes the most important belt in the world. This belt in the hands of any other man is just a belt. In my hands it becomes power. Just like this microphone in the hands of any of the boys in the back is just a microphone. You put it in the hands of a dangerous man like myself and it becomes a pipe bomb. These words that I speak, spoken by anybody else but me, are simply words strung together and loosely formed into sentences. When I say, I mean, what I mean, I say, and they become anthems. You see, if I could be afforded the time to tell all of you here today a little bit of a story. It's a parable of sorts. There was once an old man walking home from work. He was walking in the snow, and he stumbled upon a snake frozen in the ice. Well, he took that snake, and he brought it home, and he took care of it, and he thought it out, and he nursed it back to health. And as soon as that snake was well enough, it bit that old man, and as that old man lay there dying, he asked the snake, why? I took care of you. I loved you. I saved your life. And that snake looked that man right in the eye and said, you stupid old man, I'm a snake. The greatest thing the devil ever did was make you people believe he didn't exist. And you're looking at him right now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Obviously, no Gabe Sapolsky uh, running and screaming on here, but <laughs> I mean, or, and uh, no Daniels on this version on YouTube either. Yeah, so let's let's go from where Dave, you know, Dave tells what he says, blah blah blah. The devil remark was to set up Daniels, fallen angel, and then coming out in gear to challenge for the title. They fought with Daniels going for a moonsault, but Punk ran out of the ring. Daniels issued a challenge for a title match right there. Punk left, theoretically, even without losing the title. However, Punk is scheduled to return for one last day on July the 8th in Lake Grove, Long Island. For whatever this is worth, Heyman always went to great lengths to protect the lineage of the title and hated the idea of doing tournament, a tournament for the belts. Even to the point of keeping the belt for months on injured wrestlers. And Sapolsky likely feels the same way. Huh. <laughs> Huh, isn't that interesting to be reading in 2022 what's going on in, in uh, AEW right now? Huh. Tony, do I have a proposal for you? Well, it's probably not just, it's not that. I, I know, know. You're, you're joking. I know. I know you're joking, but Punk's, Punk's here. Yeah. So he's living, he's living this. Well, so this is probably also, Gabe was telling him. Well, who are Punk's two creative mentors, Gabe and Paul? Yeah. So I mean, so this is probably come, you know, coming from that lineage. Yeah. But I mean, that probably like, does pro not age well. I didn't think actually. It's <laughs> he does a hell of a job in in cutting it in his delivery. But it sounds but, so much more rehearsed than all of his other promos. Yes, <laughs> yes, it definitely sound, it definitely sounded um, that it wasn't kind of an organic deal. Yeah, you know, um, and the thing is too is that the fans, you know, that's another thing. The fans really didn't uh, go after me either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I also noticed. I don't know the last time I watched this. The I am taking the belt to WWE stuff is not nearly ex as explicit as people remember it being in this promo. No, no, he, I mean, he barely even kind of alludes to it, you know, in a way. Right. It's the Long Island show where they really make that the explicit storyline. Yes. Where he comes out with the uh, black and purple hair and the suit and cult of personality as his entrance music. Which, yeah. Well, by the way, I always found that strange. I mean, I, I, I get that he loves the song when he came back to WWE with it, and then it became his song. 
He first used it here specifically as heel entrance music with the idea the lyrics were about the ROH fans. Yeah. So I thought it was a little weird that it kind of became his babyface entrance music later. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... I forget, is it is Long Island when he does the sign the contract on the belt thing, or was that a show after that? Yeah, I think, that, I think that's on that show. Okay. So, yeah, they don't really push the WWE thing here, and yet the... The storyline ends up being, well, I should backtrack a little. The planned storyline was that once he was actually finishing up and moving to Louisville a few months later, he would drop it to Jamie Noble with the storyline being everyone knows that Jamie Noble's going back to WWE eventually, but Jamie Noble will not go back to WWE until he loses the title. However, they decided they were bringing Jamie Noble back right as he won the title from Punk. So... Mm-hmm. Then they switched it quickly to Danielson, and then Danielson has his, you know, legendary uh, ROH title reign. Which, you know, was a cool idea. A little weird to do a storyline that plays into the idea that the entire fan base knows that Jamie Noble got fired because he got an abscess or a cyst or or something from shooting steroids and then tried to get a on-the-job injury claim from WWE for it. That's an interesting thing to kind of work into your storylines. But, um, yes, for people who are not around then, that's a real story, by the way. <laughs> it, that was like talk of the industry laughing stock territory in 2004. And for such a wild story, it's weird that no one talks about it anymore, isn't it? Yeah. Um, especially since he ended up being office. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that was the idea. And... Punk's promos get better as this little heel run goes on, though, because he doesn't—he's not doing the big rehearsed thing for the rest of the promos as much. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's, it's a legendary promo for for all the reasons that we, you know, had given. And and don't forget, there was a callback to it in the MJF feud. Exactly, well, MJF used a lot of the same lines, you know, especially the snake story. Well, I think specifically so, what it was was that it was in Jacksonville the week after the and the big MJF promo in Hartford, you know the the bullying you know villain villain origin story promo, and I believe after I think it's after MJF attacks Punk and bloodies him and stuff. He I think he I forget if he like beats him up right in front of the camera or whatever, but he says like into the camera, "You stupid old man, I'm a snake." <laughs> yeah yeah but anyway um we should also yeah, note I mean, that he slimmed down from when he was ha- doing like his semi-official tryout matches but punk in this era is also the biggest he ever was in his career physically yeah when he was trying to get sunk he's not as big as he was like a month or two earlier but like that was the whole like you know, people start to say he was on steroids. He didn't look like he was on steroids. He was just bigger. Um, but, you know, as he's talked about later, like he was just eating chicken like crazy and, you know, convincing himself, oh, this is the land of the giants. If I'm going to get signed, I got to get bigger, got to get bigger, got to get bigger. Which, you know, for him, obviously required some unique efforts, but didn't seem to affect his work or anything, though. No, no. But um, but yeah, I mean, just a a hell of a moment, and and you know, then they things to happen when these moments where 
you know, the t- at the time it's revered and looked at, and it just holds that reputation. But you look back at it years later, and you're like, well, maybe it wasn't that good. But it, it's one of those time and place deals, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something you can't take away. Now, you didn't go to this show, did you? No, no. Okay. No, I didn't really go to the Jersey shows generally. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, a major story. And do you think that, well, obviously they made the right move, but how different do you think everything is if they do like the thing what ECW did and Daniels and Punk had a match and Daniels left the building as a champion? How different do you think everything would have been in Ring of Honor if that happened? Oh, if they did like an impromptu? If they did the Dudley's uh, Raven Dreamer deal? Mm, I don't know. I I think also, I remember thinking at the time it was a little weird that the focus of Punk's ire initially, or at least the guys who were defending ROH from him are TNA guys. (laughs) Yeah. Which that, you know, we're going to talk about that as we go along here. I mean, that's, you know, a thing that's just not getting back going again. Yes, because there have not been TNA guys in ROH for a little over a year. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's get back into it the rest of the show. Besides Tyler Change on June 18th, another strong show. We have BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs keeping the tag titles over Jimmy Raven Fast Eddie in a match that never got going. Samoa Joe beat Cole Cabana to keep the pure title in a match with no serious bumps with lots of good chain wrestling on the mat. Well, this is the pure title. Petey Williams debuted as a mystery opponent for AJ Styles, and they had what was described as similar to the hot match they had on the November TNA pay-per-view. They teased Mr. Daniels as a mystery opponent that set the ending of the show. Instead, Alice in Danger, who's the sister of Steve Carino, came out and cut a promo saying Daniels will be back on July 8th in Long Island and the prophecy would be returning. Styles won with the Styles Clash. A little Petey. Jack Evans, who had formed a tag team with Roderick Strong, had his last match with the company in a few months, which explains them losing to Izzy and Durange after getting a push. Evans told Ramosi he needed to take a few months off to heal after all his injuries from doing his crazy style. He said he may work Jersey All-Pro since he feels he has to drop tag titles there. They're going to a storyline where Jack Evans is pulling himself out for extra training. Nigel McGinnis won a four-way over James Gibson, Homicide, and Asriel, although the focus was on Gibson and Homicide. Loki and Jay Lethal went to a no contest. The idea is building heat over the idea that Key won't do a job. <laughs> Stiff match with mostly Loki brutalizing Lethal and Lethal refusing to give up. Lethal finally came back and hit the Dragon Suplex when Julius Smokes interfered for disqualification. Okay. I have a, okay, I have a question. I'll try to look it up, though. How many days earlier was ECW One Night Stand? It was the Sunday before. Before our week. I think the Sunday before our week. Because we covered that. Uh, we covered the first One Night Stand? We did? I think we have. Okay, so that was, the twel- that was the 12th, and this is the 18th. Yeah, so it's Sunday before. Okay, so I was at the ROH show in Manhattan that day. I did not go to... Uh, I, I, I'm checking to see. No, we did not. We have not covered the first one. We covered the second one. Okay. Um, I did not go to One Night Stand, but I did go to ROH The Futures Now, and then I you know, took the train home and watched the pay-per-view with my cousins. Um, the main event of that show was the blow-off of the low-key Austin Aries feud. It was billed as a non-sanctioned match. 
Chris, if you are a wrestling fan going into a show with a non-sanctioned match main event, how would you expect that match to be worked? Um, out of control, brawling. They did none of that. Of course not. They worked it as their regular match. And as soon as that crowd... I've never seen anything like this before or since. As soon as they realized that they were not working this as a street fight or anything like that that you'd expect from a non-sanctioned match, and realizing that the stipulations were basically a the world champion can do a job to Loki match, they died. I have never, especially live at least, seen an ROH main event that died like that. And especially yeah. for those two guys p putting on the quality of match that they were putting on, if you looked at it on the merits of what they were doing, there was no reaction. This was a hot crowd. You know, it was cool building, you know, only ran there once at the supper club, but it was interesting atmosphere. But that crowd died. And I don't know. I mean, it's interesting here. I'm sure Gabe told him that the part of the idea of what they were doing was to build heat over key not being able to job, but it clearly didn't work in New York earlier in the week. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But it's just it's interesting that it didn't work to angle around key not jobbing, that's something. Um Yeah, I mean the rest of the show Looks like a you know just a, a regular ROA show. So that main event totally. I mean, I, I guess it's another thing. You know, it's a, it's a solid show, but that but the main event and the angle just puts it over the top. So now Dave watched it. So we go to the next week's Observer. So Dave's thoughts. So I saw the match, gave it four and a half stars. But the whole hour segment from the ring introduction to the end of the show with Daniel's promo was excellent. Punt did a tremendous promo, even if the Snake Store was done in several Jake Roberts promos in the past. It's the delivery in the end. It's funny watching Punt do a strong heel turn and people cheering him because he's doing a good job with the turn as he insults them. But he got the people to boo him enough. I didn't agree with that. But walking out with Gabe Sapolsky chasing him was a little cheesy, but the last part of the show was a Daniels promo. He talked about when Punk gave him the Pepsi Plunge 16 months ago, and when it came time for him to return to get revenge, he wasn't allowed to come back to the Ring of Honor. He talked about his match in Ring of Honor, the guys who become stars since he left, and now he's there to become the champion. Yeah, that was the January 2004 show. That uh, January 10th, yeah, where Punk put him out with a Pepsi Punch. That's the one where he stayed. they stopped the show. You remember this? They stopped the show, and he was laid out in the ring. The fans left the building – and the video cameras are still there recording, and they were selling it all. What well, the fans left that he was that he was seriously hurt for the home video. That match was. Let me find that real quick. I just watched it. That was the Battle Lines of Drawn show. That was um, Second City Saints against the Prophecy. So Ace Punk of Gabbana against Daniels Moth and Whitmer. Very good show. That was uh, the Briscoes against Dragon and Joe. In the semi-main event for tag titles, AJ against Homicide, Jimmy Ray, Caprice, Rayman, and Todd Sexton. So, really, really fun show. For those who've never seen it, but yeah. Now, uh, regarding the new venue, Ring of Honor is used for the New Jersey area event. Sapolsky says the Menon Sports Arena in Morristown, New Jersey, is a huge improvement over the Rexplex. All the seats are comfortable and have a great view. 
there there are always sideline issues at the Rexplex, and if you're in the bleachers, you're really far from the action. Minna Sports Center is a, I mean, that was a place for wrestling for years. Um, WF ran there. So that had been a wrestling venue for a long time. Yeah. But how many, how long did they run in Morristown? I don't seem to remember them running extremely long there. Um, felt like it was at least a year or two. I mean, the Rexplex is what I remember more than more Morristown. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I only watched from the Rexplex in, in watched a show in the Rexplex once, but I didn't think the bleachers felt that far. All things considered. Well, there you go. <laughs> you were there, so you know. Yeah, I mean that's where I saw the, the you know the the Liger show was from the top of the bleachers, pretty much. I think. Yeah. All right, so we've got a little bit more here as I pivot over. All right, regarding Samoa Joe's TNA debut, Gabe suppose it's from the torch, by the way. Gabe Sapolsky was impressed. Thought the Samoa Joe's TNA debut was perfectly booked and then perfectly executed by Joe and Sanjay Dutt. He told the Torch it was a perfect introduction of Joe to a new product and gave sure that TNA would do some great business with him and they really have some hungry people and to see people hungry to see more of him. It was very nice in the mention Ring of Honor and Joe's history in Ring of Honor, and I'm glad that they could use it to give Joe some accolades in his debut. Samoa, excuse me, Sanjay Dutt helping welcome Samoa Joe to a new product. Interesting. <laughs> more things change, the more they stay the same. So, uh, well, Sanjay is office now. There is that. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, so Ring of Honor is an interesting point here where Punk's about to leave and they've, you know, kind of resolve some things with TNA, so you'll see some of these names come back in. It's interesting to look at the era of Ring of Honor and the different, you know, how their relationships with different promotions are going and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, at this point, who are, are they working with anyone in Japan? I mean, I um, Noah's about to really kick off right after this, I guess. Does Dragon Gate count? Was 05 the first Dragon Gate? I mean, yeah, they were involved with Dragon Gate, so, you know, somewhat a little bit, so I don't know. But, yeah, there's a lot of different things going on. So, there you go. Summer Punk has begun. Well, we just talked about Samoa Joe and TNA. Well, let's go to total nonstop action. Dave Meltzer begins. TNA enters his third year of the same major questions it has entering year one and year two. What is the business plan to make money? After two years of major money losses, limited visibility, and lots of very good wrestling matches, the company finds itself back to where it started, trying to run pay-per-view shows without any television. While this is not 100%, it does appear the decision has been made to not buy airtime on Fox Sports Network this summer and wait for Spike TV to be cleared of its WB commitments in late September. It's a risky proposition for a number of reasons, the biggest being in the television business, if you don't have a signed deal, you don't have a deal. Although the word we get is people are very confident this deal will come through, but we also heard that about the last deal. There doesn't appear to be a backup plan. Now that WGN is out of the running. Two things are going in negotiations with Spike TV that have come out is that they're looking at the velocity time slot, which is what we have figured out but not confirmed. It's Saturday at 11 p.m. And that Spike wants TNA to pay for the time. Something we're told is not the case with WGN. The advantages over WGN is Spike is a more watched station. 
CNN would be following UFC programming, which at least in theory would draw a similar audience, and it's available in 81% of the country, as opposed to 55% for WGN, and WGN is not available to cable viewers in New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles, the three most important markets for business population. Okay, why, why would WGN not be available in Chicago? Because they have the local WGN there, so there you go. Uh, the downside is the worst time slot than being talked about for WGN, not being on a night where traditionally upwards of 4.5 million people every week are already thinking about watching wrestling, and thus far less room for growth if they catch on. It's very difficult to believe off a late night Saturday night late Saturday night time slot that they would be able to consistently put out numbers like 60,000 bytes per month on the board that they need to break even. The first of the three-hour monthly pay-per-view events probably hit 35,000 bytes, and of late the interest has been falling. Last month was probably closer to half that. For the next three months, with no television supporting the product, anything more than ten to 15,000 buys would be considered a success. The company announced its slammiversary. It would still be on television during the interim. It appears it would take once a month, doing four shows at their pay-per-view event to save on trans, making for long evenings. To save times, it has seven and a half hours of interview pre-taste the day before, and then those interviews appearing in front of the people in Orlando. We didn't hear much about the interviews other than Jim Mitchell. was very impressive. Shocking. The shows will be used to fulfill overseas deals, where in the U.S. late on Friday nights on Sun Sports, a Florida-based sports network, that's available nationally to dish owners who buy the FSN premium package, which is very minimal clearance outside of Florida, and the broadcast internet every Friday for free. Spare to nothing, but anyone who's, who's going to watch the show on the internet has probably already made up their mind if they're going to buy the pair of views, and you aren't going to make new fans this way. TNA was hedging their bets on Spike TV. They eventually paid off for them, but... Yeah... This was this was a thing. I mean, they I mean, they could have stayed on FSN if they wanted to, but didn't do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could question that, but like I said, I mean, it eventually worked out for them in the end. Yeah, I'm also trying to figure out how Dave's math works that they're entering their third year. No, they're entering their fourth year. <laughs> Twenty two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five. Yes, and in the fourth year. So three full years entering for the fourth year. It's their third. He meant it's their third anniversary. That's what he would guess. What he's trying to say. Yes. Bex. Yes. Yes. Which I guess WWE's confusion over the years over what uh, an anniversary is. Poison Dave's fragile little mind. Yeah. Um, I liked the Fox Sports shows. You know, they were well put together. They had good action. The formatting was good. Um, honestly, it's probably some of the better TNA TV. But they were hedging their bets, like you said, for that this spike deal would happen and they'd get money and probably some other money put into the company by Spike and covering Sting's contract and all that other stuff. So they were right, I think. You know, of course... No one could have predicted how things ended up going long term where they, well, I should say Dixie basically sank the spike deal, you know, almost a decade later. But I think they played their cards right at the time. Yeah. I mean, it worked out. Yeah. It took a while, but it worked out. So uh, WGN, again, involved in a wrestling TV contract situation. Interesting. Yes, but still not getting an actual wrestling show. I know, but it's just WGN is around so much. Mm. This was funny, especially in, in this decade. 
right, now before Slammiversary, there were two major stories involving the company's biggest names, Dusty Rhodes and Jeff Jarrett. Apparently, a decision was made by the new booking committee to oust Dusty from his figurehead director of authority position and replace him with Larry Zbysko. Dave's gut says the reason is that as a former booker, Dusty would likely second-guess his replacements. Dusty was told by Terry Taylor, who being close to head booker Scott Demore, has turned into a talent liaison of sorts, he was being let go. Although it was said to him that he may be brought back in a new role when they get television. Dusty was apparently complaining that it was Taylor and not someone directly on the committee who gave him the word and immediately had his people put out word that he had quit. Also, how funny was it that it was Terry Taylor that did that to Dusty, considering all the issues that Terry Taylor and Dusty had over the years. You know, you know, Terry Taylor uh, definitely had some uh, had some excitement over to make, uh, making this move, being the one to announce this to Dusty. <laughs> I mean, you know it. Yeah, and oh, Terry Taylor and Scott Demore are close, huh? Interesting. And it makes you wonder if, if Scott Demore did that, knowing you know what the the deal was. So, I mean, that's another thing too. I mean, that's a thing that was known in wrestling circles. Yeah. yeah. So, (laughs) wow. Now, regarding Jeff Jarrett, the subject who won the King of the Mountain match, and that's the NWA champion, was a major subject of debate all week. What we know is this. Early in the week, an indie promoter who deals with lots of TNA wrestlers and the title was told Jarrett was getting the title back. The feeling is just about everyone in the business, aside from Jeff and Jarrett, realized the timing couldn't have been worse such a decision. It also pretty clear that Jeff and Jerry Jarrett ain't going to get power back. Dave's not sure how it went down, but Raven, who just a few months ago appeared on his last legs with the company, came out of the show as NWA champion. His week AJ Styles was unhappy about losing the title after one month as he wanted to be back in the X division. And perhaps with the current booking committee, the X title would end up being the main event title, or at least booked as being on par with the world title instead of as a secondary belt. However, it's been reported that Jarrett didn't agree to take the change well and refused to participate in the main event, and at this point has no planned match for the next pay-per-view either. One wrestler in the match was even openly talking to fans about Jarrett refusing to do the match because King of the Mountain is his gimmick and he didn't want to lose. Many people in the industry as a whole and wrestlers in the company were probably talking about how much respect they lost for Jarrett over this. Jarrett was trying to save face when asked by fans about it, saying it was part of a larger angle that would make sense. Dave sure in the long run it'll be written as, that it does, but that's probably not the true intention. They ended up shooting an angle for the show where Jared attacked a fan, painted a little like Jeff Hardy. Interesting timing for that. Georgini wrestled Sal Renaro and was arrested during the pregame show. Makes your time about arresting and Jeff Hardy, too. Zabisco announced Raven as his replacement. It could be Raven getting the title. It's because without with having to change the main event and put Raven in, they put the best storyline finish is the guy who was fired in an angle largely dropped. Raven was actually not supposed to even wrestle on the show since he was fired by Dusty for attacking Zabisco at the final tapings. More likely, the decision was made that for the next few months, whatever all these company has is internet generated. And it's truly for Monty Brown, as he's cold right now and needs a few months of strong build and take a headline. For the audience, they're gearing towards Raven was seemingly the best candidate coming out of the match since Styles is being moved to the X Division. Raven was scheduled either way to return with a major main event level push as a babyface, likely for the Biss program. Being the past issue with Raven and Jim Mitchell, Abyss's new manager. And his title win had nothing to do with ECW nostalgia being so big in wrestling. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, TNA politics, something else, huh? Smartest man in wrestling. But, you know, I mean, at this one, he kind, it kind of was not one of his better moments. Because he was turning people against him on this one. 
Yes. And you look at, okay, so let's look at how this T- TNA title plays out. All right, so Raven wins a championship here. All right. Uh, let's go to the to this. All right, so Raven wins a championship. Well, she had, I guess the NWA were heavyweight champions at this point in time, not Impact. All right, so as I scroll down this list. All right, so Raven wins it here. He loses the title too. Any guesses, Bex? That would be uh, WWE Executive Vice President of Live Events, Jeffrey Leonard Jarrett. At the International Incident in Windsor, Ontario on September the 15th. That's right. Border City Wrestling Show. And then Jeff lost it to Rhino at Bound for Glory. And then won it back two days later. <laughs> and then lost it to Christian uh, on February 12th, 2006. And then beat your Christian on June the 18th at anniversary. So he got the belt back a year later. Oh, Jeff. Jeff was a six-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. So he won the title six times from November 20, 2002 to he lost it on October 22, 2006. So he, he won and lost the title. He had six title reigns in five years. So there you go. All right, let's go to Slammiversary, shall we? The show began with Mike today and Don West informing the live paper audience. This is the torch begins with us here. Uh, that Jeff Jarrett had been handcuffed and escorted out of building by police as a result of an attack on a Jeff Hardy fan during the pre-show prior to the pay-per-view. Jarrett was scheduled to wrestle in event time match. I figured there's a Bisco named Raven as his replacement. So there's your rehash on that. All right, Sharp Boy beat Zach Gowan, Amazing Red, Primetime Milo Skipper, Jarrell Clark, and Delirious at 625. When he pinned Delirious at delivering the Dead Sea Drop. Good opening clusterness with exhilarating high spots. Way gave it two and a quarter stars. Yeah, I'm fine opener. I have out there. Get, get these guys out there and do crazy stuff. So, nothing wrong with that. Interesting batch of guys. Next, we get Shocker beating Alex Shelley in 10-13 with a quick roll-up. The match set up during a backstage interview seven where Shelley indicated he was proficient in many combat styles and he would be able to take out Shocker at his own game. Well, that didn't happen. Two and a half stars. Ron the Truth Killings then beat the Outlaw at 7.30 with a quick roll-up. Prior to the match, B.G. James and Conan gave Killings a pep talk. The match failed to meet expectations for two main event combat performers. One and a quarter stars. Of course, the outlaw is one Bill E. Gunn. This is where we'll pick up with uh, three or four weekly as Brian had problems getting the pay-per-view um, and missed the first couple matches and came in here. I looked up in time to see them botching what apparently was supposed to be a hip toss to a horrific degree. I was trying to figure if we were worse off before or after the show started. Truth made a comeback, and things didn't improve a whole lot. Somehow he won, then Gunn gave him a clothesline afterwards to get his no heat back. I have no idea what's going on, because I'm still trying to recover from the last 45 minutes. Well, let's just put it on this. So far, it never happened. And I'll buckle down from this point forward. I apologize. Yeah. Bill E. Gunn. All right, Team Canada cut a promo. Bobby Roode told their opponents later to be Canadianized. They also said about their legendary advisors that the Naturals was promising for later. They said they didn't care who this man was. Well, Brian didn't either. Well, let's go to the match. The Naturals versus Team Canada to, for the NWA World Tag Titles. Quite the wacky spot fest early. Eric Young did a leapfrog and sold like he blowed out his knee. It was, of course, a work, which led to them getting the heat. 
It amazes me after three years, I still see the Naturals as two faceless clones whose names I cannot remember without much concentration. Brian was, that was one thing he always did not know which natural was a witch. Even though one had dark hair, one had blonde hair. So they, they, were, they weren't identical. The first few rows pretty into this. Scott the Moore feared regularly. They built on the blonde haired natural for so long that today said, now might be the time to throw in the towel. I did it about an hour and a half, a half hour ago. A minute later, he got the hot tag. And then a minute after that, all four guys were in the rain doing spots. And he was the worst for wear. PD went for the Canadian Destroyer on Natural A, but Natural B ran in with a megaphone and clomped PD behind the rest back, leading to the pin. So, yes, the mystery legendary manager ended up being Jimmy Hart. Crowd liked the finish. It's cute to have Jimmy Hart TNA in Nashville again, you know? This is pre-WB Legends contracts, so why not? Actually, this might be the point where he is technically working for both companies. Wait, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I think you're right. <laughs> You're right. That's right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. And of course, the Naturals, uh, Andy Douglas and Chase Stevens. All right. Um, they were counting down the top moments of TNA history. They claimed the fans did the voting on the website. Number three was Trinity doing moonsault off a cage onto a bunch of guys almost killing herself. So maybe it was the top five dumbest moments of TNA history. <laughs> Shane Douglas interviewed X-Pac about his participation in King of the Mountain match later. He had nothing to say. Ah, oh, yes, TNA interviewer Shane Douglas Bix, which was a thing for a while. Kind of random, though. Yeah. Yes, it was. Next, we get Samoa Joe against Sanjay Dutt. Vince, Brian's friend Vince, took one look at Sanjay and predicted, You are doomed. Today, talked about Joe's Ring of Honor record. Seems the current pure champion had lost exactly one match in the last three years in the United States, Japan, and Europe. Sanjay went for a something or another into the corner, and Joe gave him a STO Yurinagi looking dealy, and Vince was right. Sanjay was doomed. Somehow, despite landing upside down in the back of his head, Sanjay lived, and the match continued. Several fans sang the goodbye song to Young Dutt. Somehow, he's allowed to make a comeback. He had a flip dive on the outside and followed up with springboard drop kick. Actually, like I heard him on the way more than Joe. Crowd then by envious near falls. Joe's so way too much for a debut, especially against a guy who lifts less than 130 pounds. Joe with the muscle buster and put him in the rear naked choke for the submission. Joe will get over huge here if they keep pushing him and don't screw it up like I fully expect him to do. I do think there's less a chance of him screwing him up than WWE, though. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it took them over a year to screw him up. But... Yeah, but Joe... Joe's one of those guys at TNA where, I mean, he was he was kind of, I wouldn't say bulletproof, but anytime they, they screwed him around, it didn't really affect him because he's Samoa Joe. And you can pretty much say that about WWE too. Yeah. Although, all of that said, I know Sanjay would get a little bit more jacked as time went on. What the hell is Brian talking about saying he looks like he weighs less than 130 pounds? <laughs> eh. I mean, yeah. I mean, he wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but yeah, he he looked like he weighed more than that. Yes. <laughs> But you know how Brian is. Hyperbole. I guess so. Next, we get Bobby Roode against Lance Hoyt. The Hoyt fan club was in full effect this evening. The more were practically half the match early, selling and screaming and beating on Hoyt outside the re- behind the rest back. Hoyt sold for a while, then tossed Roode off the top and made his big comeback. Crowd now goes, whoa! Leading up to his spot. It's kind of like how the old ECW fans just shout balls every time balls threw a punch. 
He went up top for a moonsault, but Demore grabbed his foot, and Rue cut him off with a powerbomb. Rue tried to use the flag, but the ref grabbed it. Then Hoyt used the urinagi and said, the big boot. Demore grabbed his foot again, allowing Rude, who Brian keeps thinking is Brent Albright, to hit him with the rabbit lair for the pin. Demore and Team Canada are getting the wrong kind of heat with these repetitive finishes. It was working for a while, but after a straight year of it, it's old and boring. Bad guys being on Hoyt afterwards. This went on forever. Demore then took his shirt off, cleanly for a moon, saw he missed. Hoyt hit a big boot on Rude and went after Demore, who tried to slide through the bottom rope. He failed. Hoyt grabbed him by the back of his tight and pulled, and the tights fell down, and Demore's giant, hairy, white ass was exposed to the world. You read that right. Hoyt then hit a choke slam and a moonsault, and the crowd went ballistic. Why didn't he just win then? Vince asked. I don't know. They brought out a stretcher to Demore backstage, and announced for a sudden, like this was a way to run him out of storylines. Crowd was so happy to see him go. So maybe it wasn't the wrong kind of heat after all. Team Canada just seemed like it, it, it was there for years. Which I just understand, but considering, you know, Scott's position. Yeah. But, man, it stayed, it's like it stayed around forever. They got overexposed. Yes. Shane Douglas interviewed AJ Styles. Next up at the main event, he said we're four times harder to win a night than he would if you just facing one man. Because he's in the king of the mountain. All right, next we get two live crew, Truth and Conan versus America's Most Wanted. For those who haven't been paying attention, like myself, crew were having problems for a long time, then they weren't, then they suddenly were again, and now the announcers alerted us. Everything seemed to be happy between them. Of course, that means that in this match, they're going to be breaking up for sure. This match is also a major test for America's Most Wanted in terms of showing people how good they really are. AMW's been having problems in storyline, and while they haven't officially done a heel turn yet, they were working heel in this match. BG James got the heat. He finally made his usual wacky cutback. Ran wild at the AMW Bonteds. Don West pointed out this was something that would have never happened with Harris and Storm back in the old days. Bill E. Gunn hit the ring, and Conan went to work with him, on him. BG left on the ring with double team. It was double team and pin. Way, way, way below the level of your usual AMW match. Conan blew a gasket afterwards. He blamed Bill E. Gunn and BG, who was no longer selling, blamed Conan. Conan wanted to shake hands with BG Bale. How they're going to throw these angles with no television? Month by month of interview? They're hard on the fall as it is. Eh, what can you say? As you spent in one moment was the cage wall Kurokarana by Eli Skipper, so I was right earlier. Yeah, I mean, in that early run of TNA, that's probably the most famous moment. Would you agree? His most famous? Or you mean just the most famous in early TNA period? The, the first three years TNA. That's what they're having this poll for here. Mm, yeah. Well, also remember, he did it twice, though. It's the most famous in-ring moment, so to speak. Yes, I would agree with that. The second so, Yeah. Next, we get the X Division title match. Chris Daniels versus Chris Saban versus Michael Shane. Shockingly, this was not an Ultimate X match. Don't worry, though. They'll be doing one next month for sure. Tracy came out with Shane and Trinity came out with Saban. We're now fit. You would have to see to believe Shane had his hair done up like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania in 1998 versus Steve Austin. And as coincidence would have it, Daniels had his hair done up like Austin at the same show. <laughs> Daniels looked awesome early as usual. This is one of those all three dudes in the ring three ways. It can get sloppy at times. This didn't have that problem. Big three-way die spot. Daniels landed in such a fashion that Brian thought he blew out both knees. He was fine. Later, Saban tried a Pescado and landed gut first on Daniels in the outside. That was creative. That outfit doesn't leave much to the imagination. Brent Kremen said in regards to Trinity's cat suit. Brian was distressed to realize that A, he was right. 
And B, he still saw more Scott the more earlier. <laughs> and then the three-way spot, they knocked all three of them out, and the crowd went wild. Saban did a big comeback in both heels, hit both heels. And it hit me how weird it was that Trinity, who was with him now, is considered a babyface. For those who have forgotten, in real life, the bookers got confused and thought that Tracy was with Saban and Trinity was, was with Shane. In reality, it was vice versa. So they had to book their way out of this dilemma, which they did, by doing an angle where Tracy and Shane fucked everyone over and revealed that they were indeed still together. Are you following all this? So apparently, Tracy and Saban are not together because of the one thing they have in common, which is they were screwed over by their significant other. TNA, everybody! So anyway, Trinity and Tracy got into a cat fight, and Tra- Daniels ended up hooking Trinity for the Angel's Wings. He stood there with her head in his crotch and watched as Saban hit Shane with a cradle shock and pinned him. Daniels didn't have to move on Trinity. So anyway, the deal was that Saban had the chance to save his girl, but chose to pin Shane instead. And he's supposed to be the babyface? Who is riding this? Crowd boo when they took Trinity and her ass exposing cat suit backstage. Daniels and Saban had a good match. Daniels hit the BME, best moonsault ever, but Saban kicked out. Finished off Saban go for a springboard thingy, but Daniels kicked the ropes and crotched him, then laid him out with a killer angel's wings for the pin. Very good match. How about that TNA booking, huh? Ain't that something? <laughs> I just want to make it stop um, and go to the back. <laughs> well, to the back, where Shane Douglas interviewed Monty Brown backstage. He wanted to know what he was thinking now that he has seen his good friend Jeff Jarrett Holloway in handcuffs. <laughs> Monty said he didn't care because that had nothing to do with him. This match was about survival. He said no one knew more about survival than him. This is a hell of a promo. Next up was a promo with AJ. They should have aired this one first, or at the very least, not direct at the Monty's. Yeah, Monty Brown's a hell of a damn promo. Absolutely. Then we get King of the Mountain. AJ Styles, Monty Brown, Sean Waltman, Abyss, and Raven for the NWA World title. Okay, here are the rules. You might want to get a pad out to write this down. First, you must try to pin an opponent. When a man is pinned, he is sent to the penalty box for two minutes. After you pin someone, you are then eligible to get the belt, climb a ladder, hang it above the ring, how long you those before? I asked Vince, who I assigned the task of explaining this to me. Forever, he said. Keep in mind that the first time he did this match, Scott Hudson, prior to explaining the rules, said, it's really quite, quite simple. It was hilarious listening to the announcer explain the Raven deal. If you've forgotten, the last time we saw Raven, he quit. It should have never been mentioned, by the way. Since I had completely forgotten it, Brian said. So anyway, he quit. But then earlier today, Jared got arrested. And so Raven unquit and agreed to take his place in this match. So I guess he was just hanging around Orlando, Florida, with nothing doing a Saturday, Sunday afternoon. Borash, the fancy ring intros. In storyline, Monty Brown actually hails from Serengeti, the Serengeti, which is a legit barren desert in Africa. Match started in a wacky fashion. Waltman did a dive off the penalty box and nearly blew out both knees. Styles hit a bit with a diamond hurricane on the ladder outside, and Monty pinned Raven with a pounce in seconds. Bet Raven was thrilled to be back after that one. AJ immediately hit a bit with another dive, this time a flip over the top rope to the floor. Raven was chilling in the penalty box. What happens if two men get pinned in one period? Could you fit Raven and Abyss together in that box? In the height of comedy, Raven left the box about 12 seconds too early and was doing spots in the ring as Borash got it down the final 10 seconds until he was free. <laughs> Monty immediately pinned Waltman, so he was sent to the box. Why does he have to go in the penalty box? Brent asked. He was pinned, Vince explained. Simple. AJ got pinned outside the ring, so my question about two men in the box was answered. What happened was nothing. 
They just hung out. Tried to put three men in the box. Tanae decided they became friends and were discussing strategy while in there. Like two cons in the pen. They were freed. Abyss pin Monty with a black hole slam. Styles hit Raymond with the Styles Clash. Raven kicked out. Oh, yes. Waltman put Abyss on the table outside, and then AJ hit him with a tornado dive off the post. That was insane. I guess his false can anywhere because Abyss ended up in the box. Plunder hit the ring. AJ went up to climb, but he dropped the belt. What a clumsy goof. Waltman gave it back to him, but then turned on him and gave him the X-Factor off the ladder. That was terrifying. AJ was put in the box. Abyss had been shaking on the pillow box and was trying to escape, and two refs were holding the cage shut, but somehow they were able to get AJ in there without any problems. None of this, of course, was shown on television. Abyss and AJ apparently hate each other. It didn't seem to have any problem being locked together inside an 8 by 8 steel box. Waltman got a stapler and accosted the balls of both Raven and Abyss. Today, seemed to forget at this point who was eligible. Waltman and AJ went to climb, but Monty tipped the ladder over, so they both flew to the outside through tables. Raven gave Monty a DDT, and the crowd inexplicably went wild. Then he climbed up, hung the belt on the hook, and he was a champion. Yes, this was how he finally won the belt, after three years. As a surprise mixture man with no build whatsoever. An inexplicable booking decision. Not a bad match, though, for whatever it was. TNA has such convoluted shit. You won the match by putting... match. You won the match by putting the belt on the hook. <laughs> Can we move on? <laughs> Before the pay-per-view, the company had a meeting with talent and gave them the idea that TV is all but done. They said they couldn't say anything about it because word wasn't allowed to get out, but they would be arranging a huge conference call for all the wrestlers before the deal was publicly announced. That was actually the plan for the WGN deal as well. That's Dave. Sure. All right, so now Samoa Joe talked to the Pro Wrestling Torch. He talked to him regarding his decision to sign with TNA to appear at anniversary. I anticipate my interest in the TNA and look forward to working with them in addition to Ring of Honor and New Japan's Los Angeles office. Please note that my talks with WWE were very preliminary, but positive. My decision to work with TNA was sparked by several factors. At this time, I have several professional and personal commitments that are much more easily fulfilled within these working circumstances. I have read such wild speculation on why I've signed with TNA, but clear to record, I did so because it is of sound financial benefit to me and my family. Hey, Samoa Joe's art. I mean, he's articulate. What can you say? It's an articulate statement. It's basically saying, I signed one for the money. <laughs> I mean, that's what he did. So do, you think TNA, T, TNA, do you think TNA was offering him more money in WWE was for developmental? We need to remember also what the scuttle, reliable scuttlebutt was at the time, which was yes. that he had heard that there had been a pledge to bring him to WWE specifically to bury him. And why was that? Um, to expose this indie uh, whatever as being nothing and not a real star. Do you think that it was maybe because of the Samoa thing? He's not a real Samoan. He's not one of the NOIs. I believe that was a fact, because then wasn't there also the scuttlebutt that the Umaga gimmick was to, quote-unquote, show him what he missed out on? Because, I mean, that's the type of gimmick I think they wanted to do with him, kind of like what Zero One was wanting to do with him, and that's why he left there. King Joe. King Joe. So... And props to Joe. Joe could have easily done some type of stereotypical gimmick and made, and made money. He didn't want to do it. Nope. So props to Joe for uh, having character and not being afraid to sacrifice what could be for that. 
Yeah, and in case anyone brings it up listening to this, the fire dancers were his family members who did that for a living. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, staying with the tour, Sharp Boy has fought a lawsuit against Disney for the use of the Sharp Boy name in a recent movie release. Sharp Boy the wrestler contends that in the recent family movie released by Disney, Adventures of Sharp Boy and Lava Girl, Disney used his moniker without permission. The costume in the Sharp Boy character in the movie was not directly related to the costuming of Sharp Boy the wrestler, but Sharp Boy has made it known that he has exclusive rights to use the name. Big is up your alley. What do you remember about this? The whole Shark Boy name thing? I mean, just what his cl- his complaints. Is he got valid complaints in this situation? I believe he had an actual trademark, didn't he? I think he did, but, you know... The impression people have is that he got a settlement, um, whether or not it was enough to live on, and that's you know for years and years, and that's why he doesn't wrestle that much. I don't know. I mean, that's been a a, a story that's out there, but I've always been a little mixed on if it's true. Yeah, it seems like he had a legitimate gripe to a degree there. Um, Trying to see what's on the trademark database. Uh, okay, so the Dean Roll trademark, that's him. This one was filed 2012, the one that's live. But now we look at the dead ones. Uh, January 05, Dean Roll. When did the first movie come out? Um, uh, what, 2004, 5-ish? Okay, this one's 07. But I mean he has prior use. You don't necessarily have to have the filing. I'm not I'm not an expert on this, so bear with me. Um I mean it seemed conspicuous when the movie came out, right? Yeah. Um okay, I found the older one. Yeah, he had one going back to 2000. And this one is Okay, so this one though is specifically sports and entertainment services, namely live and televised performances by a professional wrestler slash entertainer. Okay, so that could could apply. Yeah. Um. What's the name? Wait, Dean Roll Lava Girl, which I look for a lawsuit. Um, trying to find it because I know there's there's stuff from it online. Um. It's not like he had zero case. Uh, okay, settled for an undisclosed amount. Uh, what is this? What, there's an article from what's warned.net. Oh, I don't know why I said that. No, it's uh, yeah, some site that had wrestling news stuff. Oh, there was a state. There was a statement they put out. Um, doesn't say if it's a joint one. After nearly two years of legal proceedings, this is from April '07 though. Uh, yeah, nearly two years. A trademark lawsuit with Dimension Films at all has been settled for an undisclosed amount. Sharkboy TM wishes to thank each and every one of you for supporting him throughout this long ordeal and plan to continue entertaining fans throughout the world for years to come. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they settled, I don't know what it takes, to, you know, Miramax to settle in that era. <laughs> so it wouldn't shock me if he got a fairly hefty amount of money. Possible. It's possible. Yeah, I'm curious when his wrestling slows down, too. I'm pulling up wrestling data to look over year by year, month by month, to see if it really does drop off around then. 
Uh, okay, so that's 07. Um, he starts slowing down a little bit in 07 and 08, but it looks like 2009, 2010 is when he really starts to slow down his schedule as a wrestler. Hmm. Interesting. All right, as we continue here, uh, regarding the possibility of TNA going ahead with WWE, it's also from the torch. Hey, WWE spokesman said, bring it on. Gary Davis told the Boston Globe that WWE welcomes any Monday night competition. We've been there before, he said. And if it helps still get some professional wrestling, great. It'd be a little while, but eventually we get there. So we saw that worked out. Back to Dave. With the new booking team, don't expect to see Johnny Fairplay, who's about the only people in the company who thought he had anything where Rose and Dixie Carter Fairplay is currently working on a movie reality show deal. Oh, Johnny Fairplay being at TNA off and on for years. So there's that. Mm-hmm. And to close that TNA, Dave Nelson, who Jerry Jarrett was trying to back out, who, who Jerry Jarrett was trying to back to buy out TNA is now claiming he has formed a company called the world wrestling association. Oh no. And will be producing that first baby bit in October. Oh no. He also stated that they had ink to deal with Sid vicious to be part of the company. He's also claiming to have national TV deal with a Saturday 6 p.m. time slot, but wouldn't say the station or when the show starts. Now he's signed exactly like John Collins. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. <laughs> Over John Collins, yes. But Dave Nelson. Is this the Ohio guy? Um, I think so. The um, one who allegedly was hooked up with Duggan and claimed he had an ESPN deal. Yes. So so let's go to let's let's, let's fast forward. Um, to let's see, a week, a week after our week, or two weeks after our week. Let's go to uh, Slam Wrestling, shall we? I don't know. The the Nelson Corporation has raised quite a few eyebrows recently in the wrestling world by announcing plans to form a new wrestling company. Last month, NWO Ohio owner and promoter Dave Nelson announced he and three silent financial backers have made an offer to purchase Total Nonstop Action for Panda Energy for ten million dollars. The offer was removed on May 31st, shortly after rumors circulated regarding TNA's television deal with WGN had fallen through. The following explanation appeared on NW Ohio's website. We retracted our bid to buy TNA due to a lack of response. The deal wasn't in order rejected. It was on the table and the deadline passed. The time just wasn't right for everyone involved. Part of the reason for retracting the bid was the loss of the WGN deal. Our sources who know the inner workings of TNA told us the WGN deal was off. Deal with WGN is off, except in the future. Right now, it is off the table. How many times are you going to say the same thing in a press release? The $10 million offer has been retracted as the deadline has passed. No response was given, explained Nelson on the website. We feel more than adequate time was given to Pan Energy to respond. And at this time, we will move forward. It was start a new wrestling company to go kick off early in the fall this year. Pan Energy and Jerry Jarrett be commended for putting out a great wrestling product despite the challenges they face on a daily basis, continued Nelson. We have made no efforts to damage their positions. We want to work with them and make something in the wrestling world we love. If our posts have caused confusion or hurt them anyway, we are truly sorry. TNA had no official comment about the situation when contacted by Slam Wrestling. The Nelson Corporation officially announced last week at the formation of a new wrestling organization called the Worldwide Wrestling Association. According to their press release, the company based out of Columbus, Ohio, and Orlando, Florida, will focus on entertainment suitable for all ages. They plan to produce a major preview in October and broadcast on a national network in coming months. The goal of the WWWA is to give current viewers a choice of programming while drawing old and wrestling new wrestling fans alike. When questioned about the validity of Nelson's claims, Dave Scherer from ProWrestlingInsider.com committed, I'm always hesitant to take claims of any upstart wrestling promoter at face value. I've also heard of one legitimate promoter who talked publicly about a TV deal before he completed it, which also makes me skeptical. 
I've seen so many people come along over the years and make similar statements, and none of them have ever delivered. Continue, share. So until Dave Nelson backs up his claims with something tangible, I'll take them with a grain of salt. While Nelson would not reveal whose money sources to slam wrestling, he was also quite clear in explaining that he wants to be a player in this business, but not at the expense of other promotions. We do have a driving force behind this. I wish I could go public with who that is. We have proved we are the real deal in Ohio. I hope no one will knock us for giving it a try. If we don't make it, I hope people give us the respect we try. Because we try. Nelson said, overall, we're trying to create a better business and more opportunities. WWE isn't big enough for all the wrestlers in the world. We have no bad intentions. We're here to hurt TNA or WWE. Let's be honest, it'll take years to get on the level WWE is currently at. They were for years and years to get there. If a group of things is going to knock down a huge corporate giant with one swing, they're crazy. Then uh, has a fan here. All right, Nelson purchased NWA Ohio from Richard Arpen earlier this year. He's been in the wrestling business for about 22 years. He wrestled in Japan. He's currently known as the American Outlaw in NWA Ohio and acts as one of the trainers for his promotion. Sid Vicious and Hacksaw Jim Duggan are two veterans currently signed on to wrestle and help run WWWA. Pat McNeil <laughs> theorized in the tours that Duggan's involvement could perhaps mean that his friend Hulk Hogan was one of the key players in the deal. You fucking mark! <laughs> Nelson explained to Slam Wrestling about his NWA Ohio promotion. We draw about 2,000 on the average per show. That's better than some house shows ran by WWE. We drew 2,028 fans last month at our show. A friend of mine who runs NWA Tri-State, Richard Arpin and I, are the ones who initially thought of unifying the company back to the tradition of the old days. I've also been in talk with the Anokis from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Problem. <laughs> the Nelson Corporation also announced their house shows will soon be broadcast on PAX TV on the Time Warner what? Cable System in Ohio. <laughs> on the Time Warner Cable System in Ohio every week. However, programming details have yet to be announced. <laughs> Oh, I love it, Bix. I love it. This is the fucking worst. This went on for years. <laughs> every fucking time, all the wrestling sites would just line up and be like, oh, it's Dave Nelson. Of the okay. Nelson company. Uh, let, let, all right. So there's a wiki on this. But oh, no. All right. So um, they have their first event in Circleville, Ohio. Featured Hacksaw Jim Duggan win the WWE United States Heavyweight title being Scott Powers on August 21st, 2005. Soon after, the promotion announced that the wrestlers would receive contracts to wrestle exclusively for the WWE. They would tour Iraq with the U.S. Army and have a later pay-per-view scheduled to air on September 20th, 2005. However, less than a year later, the organization attracted a great deal of controversy. In 2005, after a failed attempt to purchase total nonstop action, Nelson claimed the promotion would go national with a weekly program on ESPN2. However, the show did not debut as promised, and ESPN claimed never heard or spoke on the Nelson or the company. Duggan was listed as co-owner of the promotion, but has disclaimed any affiliation on this website, saying that despite making a few appearances with the company, he never signed a contract with them. He had nothing to do with them at all. Bill After, best known as editor of such wrestling publications, was claimed to be the commissioner of Triple WA. And finally, another independent wrestling company is using the same name. Alleged Dave Nelson's company was guilty of theft and trademark violation. Bix, 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 Bix. And this was, a, this was a story. I mean, there are stories on many websites about this. Going into like 08, 09. <sighs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> 
I'm looking to see here if this is what I think this is. Let me look see what this is. Oh, All right. No. All right, so I'm going. The show is long enough as it is. I don't want to drive out Dave Nelson too much. Okay, no, okay, okay, okay. That's there was another David Nelson, but it wasn't who I thought it was. Okay, but anyway, wow, crazy, crazy stuff, folks. Gotta and love Jerry it. Jerry Jarrett wants him involved. He a con Jerry Jarrett, I guess. How about that? What the fuck? Okay, let's move on. All right, let's go to Japan, Land of the Rising Sun. We've got a lot going on here. There are a lot of promotions. It's mid-2000s. Yes, there is. And let's start with All Japan Pro Wrestling. We had a pad towels for June 19th show at Corken Hall with Toshak Kawada and Kensuke Sasaki beating Keiji Muto and Koei Suwama in the main event at 21 minutes with Sasaki pin Suwama after a lariat. Kawada and Sasaki said they want a challenge for the world tag titles. Although the crowd here was announced as 2100 for an evening show, New Japan Super Juniors was that afternoon, the finals. Those who attended both shows noted that while both were packed, there were definitely a few hundred more people at the New Japan show. The show also saw former Torimon wrestlers Brother Yashi and Shuji Gondo win the tournament to catch the vacant All-Asian tag titles over Tomoki Homa and Kiziko Nakajima in 1630 when Yashi pinned Nakajima after a lariat. Triple Crown Champion Stoshi Kojima set himself up for a new opponent as he lost by countout in a non-title match to A-Train, or here is Giant Bernard. All right, results of this show. Nobukazu Arai and Akira Raijin over Nobutaka Araya and Taichi Shikari. Mazada, Kikutaro, and Psycho, all caps, over Kazuyashi, Leonardo Spanky, and the Eggman. I am the Eggman. I am the Eggman. I am the walrus, Cuckoo Cuckoo. In 1451, Takamichi and Buchanan pinned Arashi and Ryuji Chikata. Taru over Nosawa. Then the final sell Asian tag titles. Kondo and Yashi beating Hamman Makajima. Jean Bernard over Soshikajima Akana. And Kawan and Kensuke over Mudo and Sawama. The one thing you can say about all Japan in this time period was they got revitalized with all these guys that got <laughs> let go by WWE that came in. On their foreigner side, R-O-N-D. And Suwama, too. Suwama being the super rookie, absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah, they... They, they have the an Mudo stu- Yeah, Mudo stuff kind of ran its course. That was a couple of years, too much. And now we're going to the next generation of All Japan. The next, the, the next turn. R-O-N-D, Voodoo Murders. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. There's a lot going on here. I mean, and, and at the time, you know, all Japan and New Japan were kind of close in a lot of things as far as business. They they caught up with them. So Noah's the clear number one, and everyone else is tied for Noah's third. Exactly, exactly. You're right. They were the clear number one at this point in time, in as a pro wrestling promotion. Yes, but yeah, some fun stuff here. Hardly was 17 years ago, but there you go. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Tiger Mask 4 continued being pushed as New Japan's dominant junior heavyweight as the current IWGP junior champion won his second consecutive best of the Super Juniors tournament. He pinned Gato after his trademark Tiger Suplex in 1603 in the finals on June 19th at Cork and Hall. It was the first time in the history of the tournament that somebody had repeated as champion. The tournament, which is also a great deal of its luster with the clan New Japan's empire, 
at least was successful in small venue, and announced crowd of 2005 fans. Reports were there were standing room everywhere, and numerous people turned away. In contrast, New Japan of late being able to sell out the building. He you know many companies announced bigger numbers for sales at Cork, and the reports for this was among the biggest legit crowds in the year in the building. It showed there's still enough history left of the tournament, that the finals at least has more interest than simply running a wrestling show. The good thing is that legitimately outdrew last year's finals in the same building, where the tournament was moving that they're not drawn well in Kyoto for the finals in 2003, at traditionally being in mid-sized or larger buildings during its heyday. But overall, this year's tournament hardly inspired the kind of interest it has in the past. There were no major stars, or for that matter, anyone from other promotions, which traditionally spiced up interest. In addition, interest was lost Interest lost momentum when in the middle there was a two-week break from May 29th to June 10th in the tournament matches due to the company's tour of Italy. Oh, remember that, Bix? The Italian expansion? With their big TV deal there? Yes, because of Tiger Mask 4 and the previous popularity they had had with Sayama in Italy. Which is why he's getting such a big push. In addition, only two foreigners are brought in. Stampede Kid, TJ Wilson, who's almost like a member of the Hart family, and the Black Tiger, Black Tiger 4, Rocky Romero neither of whom have star reputation among the casual fans. And some form Romero, who may have figured into the finals based on original booking, had to forfeit his matches after suffering a dislocated shoulder on the June 4th show in Milan, Italy. He had a 2-1 record at the time. In the end, the usual role of this tournament is to create a new top contender for the champion, usually a guy who not only wins the tournament, but in doing so beats the champion clean. The idea of the champion winning the tournament seems like a waste of a good tournament, unless the idea is that a tur- championship itself is weak and is a way to bolster it. Final day saw Tiger Mask, second in the B block, beat Minoru, A bot champion in 1203, using the Tiger Suplex. Gato, B bot champion, reached the finals beating Coach Kanemoto, second in the A block in 254 with the Gato Clutch. Kanemoto won the tournament in 1998 and 2002, had his streak of going to the championship match three straight years, as well as six of the previous years, broken with a loss. B block championship was decided with the prior day, Junior F in Kyoto, with Tiger Mask and Gato both going to their match with 4 1 records. Tiger Mask ended up finishing second in the Gator in the B block. Both men were 4-1 with 8 points. Going to what turned to be the block championship match on June 18th in Kyoto, where Gator won 11-25 with the Gator clutch. Jushitana Liger's company's biggest junior heavyweight star during the period, the tournament became official on the company's schedule, and who looked it during his glory years, also finished with a 4-2 record, losing his final match to Gator on June 15th in Shiyama. Tiger Mask went to the final day ahead of Liger due to him beating him in head-to-head competition. The A block was booked in that parody method that used to be brilliant, where so many people would be alive going to the final day. But that turned out, all, after all these years, to be repetitive and just winds up with nobody really getting over strong. And then it would count Moto and Minoru both tied with four and two records. That division was signed on June 17th in Takamatsu. Matita Kakihara, El Samurai, Kanamoto, and Minoru are all three and two going to the final show. Minoru beat Samurai to clinch at least a tie, followed by Kanamoto beating Kakihara in a match where the winner could tie with Minoru. Minoru was awarded the first place positioning seating based on his head-to-head victory. Final standings were A Block, Minoru 4-2, Kanamoto 4-2, Samurai, Kakehara, and Hiroki Goto tied at 3-3. Jado and Stampede Kid tied at 2-4. And And then B Block, Gato 5-1, Tiger 4-2, Liger 4-2, Wataru Inoue 3-3, Black Tiger and Katsushi Takamura 2-4, and and Akia Anzawa 1-5. Yeah, I mean, never repeat Super Junior Champions. The first time that happened and all these years of having that tournament. And it was Tiger Mask 4 who... All all of the Super Juniors or just best of the Super Junior? Of the whole thing. Including was, best of the Super Junior. Well, they all count. No, and, Liger repeat, didn't Liger repeat? At, or do we only mean back-to-back years? 
back-to-back years, yes. Yeah, because Liger... Yeah, there was multi-time winners, but there wasn't back-to-back one. Same okay, guy. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 because Liger was... Well, Kanemoto won, too, we just talked about. So... No, but Li- yeah, Liger was, what, 90... Well, or 92, 94. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, there had never been a back-to-back before. And he was a guy who... He could work. He was a hell of a worker. But he didn't have the it factor. He didn't have the charisma to match his gimmick, really, you know? He wasn't a Tiger Mask guy, charisma-wise. And yet he ended up being the longest-running Tiger Mask by far. Yeah, because he was, yeah, I mean, he was a Sayama protege. Yeah. He he was the most legit of the Tiger Mask in that way. So oh, the follow up Tiger Masks, yes. Yeah, but he didn't have he didn't have Sayama's uh you know, pomp and circumstance. Well, he never really worked the traditional Sayama style anyway. He was more of a you know, not exactly shoot style, but kind of a kind of a hybrid Mishinoku Pro Battle Arts combo style wrestler. Yes. Yeah. And this is a time when New Japan if they would have went more dynamic with their juniors, they could have carved a niche in that way. But no, their junior scene was kind of a mix of what the heavyweights were. It's just that they had better booking because of Liger. And it's not too long after the CTU's born. So you got that whole thing going on as well in the future. But yeah, very interesting time in uh, New Japan Juniors. Now, besides winning the tournament, Tiger Mask also get married to 31-year-old dental assistant Izumi Nishimura later this year. Since it's been publicized, Dave thinks he may have to get married wearing the mask. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he did. <laughs> uh, New Japan weddings. Yeah. Although we weren't watching uh, much of no, it at the time. No, I wasn't watching. I was reporting it, but I wasn't really watching it. Yeah, did they still have the ESPN show at the time? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did. All right, uh, Kazuki Fujita returned after seven months with matches on June 18th in Kyoto and June 19th in Corken Hall. He's part of this new heel shooters group of 1992 Olympic team candidates. Minami Nakanishi, who was only one of the four to actually go to the Olympics, Kendo Kashen, Fujita, and Yuji Nagata. They first beat uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, Yutaki Yoshie, Takashi Zuka, and Hiroshi Tenzan in Kyoto. But Nakanishi Pen Yoshie. Next night, Korokan, underneath the Super Juniors Finals, they beat Nakamura Hiroshi Tanahashi with some Nishimura and Hiroshi Tenzan in 2231 when Fujita pinned Nishimura with a choke. This did not last long. <laughs> but it was interesting seeing Nagata and, and portrayed in this way, you know, in this faction, where if he probably would have been in that faction two years earlier, probably would have got over much quicker as a top star. But that's a whole nother story. All right, besides the junior tournament, they had the U30 tournament for the vacant championship, formerly held by Shinsuke Nakamura on this tour. So we had two tournaments on the tour. It came down to Hiroshi Tanahashi with a 3-1 record, Blue with a 3-1 record, and Toriano with a 3-1 record on the final day, which was June 18th in Kyoto, before 5,500 fans. Yano went into first place pinning Harry Smith in 6-0-5 with inside cradle. Tanahashi then advanced to the finals, beating Blue in A23 with a dragon sleeper. Then he beat Beef Beef in 9-15 to win the championship. So that final standings was Tanahashi at 5-1 as the winner. Yano at 4-2. Beef Beef at 
Harry Smith at two and three. Naoyama, Naofumi Yamamoto, your stats at one and four. And Hiroshi Nagao, Bix, he's hitting the nets at 0 and 5 because he was a volleyball player. All right, full results of Kyoto. Guess we stuck a mirror over Naofumi Yamamoto in your opener. Togi Makabe and Stampede Kid over Matsuta Kakihara and Yujiro Takahashi. And then Toriano running around down the ramp. Yeah, Toriano over Harry Smith. Hiroshi Tanahashi over Vivi. Akiya and Zion Samurai went to a 20-minute draw with Jushin Thunder Liger and Jado. We had Takamura over Wataru Inoue, Liger over Black Tiger 4, Gator over Tiger Mass 4, Tanahashi over Yano to win the title. Then uh, you had Tetsumi Fujinami over Sama Nishimura and Koichi Kanemoto over Masahiro Chono, Minoru, and Hiroki Goto. And then the Nagana, Nakanishi, Vegeta, Kashin over Tenzan, Izuka, Yoshi, and Nakamura main event. And then Corken Hall for the finals. Tetsushi Goto over Naofumi Yamamoto in your opener. Hey, CTU is here. Jushin Thunder Liger, Jado, and Mass CTUMZ over Takashi Zuka, Masiro Kakara, and Kasushi Takamura. Takamasa over Minoru, Gator over Kanemoto, Samurai Nazawa over Hiroki and Stampede Kid, Makabe and Yono, Yano over Blue and Hiroshi Nagao, Chono and Harry Smith over Hiro, Hiro Saido and Yotaki Yoshie, then Nagano Nakanishi, Fujita, and Kashin over Tenzan, Nishimura, Nakamura, and Tanahashi, and then Tiger Mask over Gato. I vaguely remember this stuff. Like I said, because I wasn't really watching it. I was reporting on it every day. But I just barely remember this. You know, this is odd reading reading this faction of the 92 Olympians. Because I don't even remember none of that happening. I wow. vaguely remember it existing. But I was not watching any New Japan at the time. I'd keep up with the yeah. photos and the results and your reports and stuff. Yeah, that's what I was doing too, but I wasn't putting money down on it because, I mean, that's what you had to do back then. Yeah. I kind of stopped in 2004 and I was using money in other ways. I wasn't buying wrestling anymore, you know? And another thing too, and another thing too, Bix, is, you know, this just came up on Twitter the other day. This is the time period where we're just, we're really getting started with the best of the 80s stuff. Yes. So, so with the the Devil Edge, our best of the 80s projects, that was taking precedent over anything current. Yes. So, so that also had a major effect too on on getting Japanese footage. Well, yeah, I mean the main current wrestling that people were watching in that scene were indie stuff, Ring of Honor, and like IWA Mid South. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yes. Um, something I'm reminded of reading this. Why do you think Harry Smith? In, like, his second New Japan run, even if he did get a decent push as a tag team wrestler at times, why do you think he was treated as something other than someone who went through their dojo? Because I think it was different at that point in time. It didn't have the same feeling as it did before. Because, I mean, I don't want to say it was bastardized, but it kind of was. Because of the L.A. dojo? But he went through the actual Japanese dojo. I, oh, I, I know that. But still, they it didn't seem like that was important anymore. It's like it was, you know, for a non-native, for a foreigner. I guess. So. It, it's weird, though, right? Like, it's weird. Like, I would, like, if you. And considering his father was. That, too. But, like, I'm trying to think how much stuff I would watch with. English killer 
elite squad, excuse me, English killer elite squad commentary matches. Uh, I don't know why I can't talk all of a sudden. I feel like it very rarely got brought up once they had the English commentary that he went through the dojo the way it would with like a Jay White or a Dave Finley Jr. or whatever. I guess because it's different. The dojo was not what it, I mean, the dojo was in a different time, you know, a different place. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, can you think of anyone else who went through the dojo that was booked and treated close to as much like he was as not being from the dojo? Uh, Brian Adams. Okay, but they they just stopped booking him pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's even worse. (laughs) I mean, Daryl Peterson, I presume they at least, they were the ones who sent him to Austria, right? Yeah, yeah, but he was all. He, I mean, he was a young boy. I mean, he never really came back. Huh. Patanaka, same thing. Well, Patanaka came back. You know, when he came back as Gokudo. They I mean they. I don't think they recognize that. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. An article in Weekly Gendai, a Japanese mainstream scandal type magazine, an interview with the post president Masakazu Kusama. He claimed New Japan was seven hundred thousand dollars in the black through March after three years of consistent losses. He said New Japan had borrowed more than $4 million to stay in business in recent years. And said Antonio Noki has been pouring money into his own idea about developing batteries that would never have to be recharged or replaced. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. Okay, so first of all, um, despite Dave's description of it, this is the magazine that broke the Pride Yakuza story two years later, right? I think so, yes. Right? Uh What's the Japanese game? Shukan Gendai? Sounds right. Yeah. Right, because it isn't a weekly pro wrestling uh, Shukan Pro Wrestling or something like that? Yes. Yeah. So, same magazine that had that? Well, I mean, it's an interview anyway, but I wish we had more coverage and translations of the things that were in the mainstream and semi-mainstream Japanese press about Japanese wrestling over the years. Like, you know, at least we're getting the translations of the books and stuff, or at least the key information in them now. So we're finally hearing a lot of things we didn't hear before. But I bet there's a lot of this type of thing that we never really heard much of. You know, only occasionally stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, you would think there would be more newsworthy stuff in the interview, but that's all that's here. Pretty much, yeah. All right, zero one Max. They ran Corken Hall on the 17th. 1,300 fans. To call more of it than Shukodino in your opener. Hardcore Kid, SoCal guy, over Rikuya Fudo. Kamikaze over Shimi Masaki. Then we have Masashi Oyagi, Shimi Masaki, and Kazuko Okosawara over Kamikaze, Osama Namaguchi, and Tatsuya Takeiwa. Daisuke Okada over Yuji Sai. Emblem, Shinjiro Tani, and Masato Tanaka with Ryan Sakoda. Beat Yoshi Sasaki, Koei Sato, and Hirotaka Yokoi. And then for the Anyway, 0-1 Max, UPW, World 1 International Junior Heavyweight title, Ekuro Adaka retained over Minoru Fujita. Fast forward to the next, well, two days later, to Kyoto KBS Hall. Pick yes! With the stained windows. The, the, uh, stained glass windows. Yeah. Stained glass windows, yeah. Thousand fans. We have Macho Pump over some of the Maguchi. Fuki Takahashi and Masato Tanaka went to a no contest with Masashi Oyagi and Kazuko Okasawara. That's KK over Kamikaze. And then we have Fire Festival uh, determination matches. Hirotaki Yokoi over Milo Fujita, Shinjiro Tani over Kiyofudo, Takamura over Tatsuya Takaiwa, 
Anyway, NWA Intercontinental Tag Title Match, where Ryuji Sayako Isada retained over Hardcore Kid and Ryan Sakoda, and Hidaka retained his junior title, beating Yoshita Sasaki. So there's Zero One, who has, you know, really slid down, you know, just in the past year. So, yeah, times are changing with them as well. Well, and there's Zero One Max at this point, which is technically a different company. Yeah, there's that as well. Um... Horseshoe, Luther Reigns, with no show the tour that started this week. The claim was that he had problems boarding the plane and got abusive at the airport. They thinks everyone who travels a lot feels the need to go insane at the airport, but most suppressed that desire for fear of getting arrested. The story we were given is that Horseshoe was a last minute cancellation because business came up that he could not get out of. That may be a more likely story, since he's still booked for July. And something like described above could prevent that. A quick call was made to Aaron Aguilera, formerly Jesus, who they arranged a flight for with to take his bookings. Yeah, that sounds like Horseshoe. Yeah, he would never pop off. No. No, especially not in this era, when he's on God knows what all the time. Rhino starts here in early July. And they signed new contracts this week with Hikoto Adaka, Minoru Fujita, Takahiro Murahama, Hirotaki Yokoi, and Kamikaze. Murahama and Yokoi frequently work for K1 and Pride, respectively. Uh, was Murahama doing shoots anymore at that point? He was doing some stuff with K1, yes. Okay. Oh, he was doing K1 Max as like a low-level kickboxer, I guess. Yes. He was kind of a K1 Max enhancement talent, right? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Um, for some reason, I'm thinking back to the, uh, the, the horseshoe torch talk, where... He's asked about like his gimmick pitch. That how is it that he put it? I come at, like I come out in a fucking suit with a couple of hot bras on my arm or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, oh god, who was it that told the story of him like just recreationally popping Viagra while he's driving <laughs> for no reason? He was a character. Yeah, and also um, came up a few weeks ago on Twitter. At the center of one of the weirdest non-stories in recent memory in wrestling news, where there was that documentarian who claimed he had Roman Reigns as steroid dealer because of a ledger that said Reigns, and it turned out it was Luther Reigns. Yeah. Amazing. All right, let's go to the indie scene. Oh, boy. Cruiser's Game. There was a show that ran June 21st at Club Atom in Shibuya. What is Cruiser's Game? It's a con- it's a hybrid. One of those hybrid groups of different promotions. We had Taiji Shimura over Masa Takanashi in your opener. Asian Cougar over MC33. Hiroshima and Hayate over Super X and Mineo Fujita. High 69 over Kota Ibushi. And Kasayashi and Taiji Shikara over Mikami and Onro in your main event. Okay. That's a mix of talent. And who... Who would have guessed the... 17 years later, Ishimori, Kotobushi, and Taichi would be New Japan roster mainstays. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Yes. They're all very young here. Yes. And so Ishimori is in his, like, post-leaving Dragon System, but pre-Noah roster phase? Yes. Okay. But yeah, we got your, your just junior heavyweight, you know, all from all over the country here, basically. So, but there's Cruiser's game. DDT ran Shinkiba first ring in Tokyo on June 15th for 214 fans. 
We are Shuji Ichimiya, Tomohiko Hashimoto, and Toshi over Tadamasakotoba, Daichi Kakamoto, and Shuji Shikawa. Havana Guerrero and Rekubano over Samu Namaguchi and Jun Inamata. Oh, yes, Bix. The, uh, the Cuban gimmicks here. All right, Havana Guerrero. Mm-hmm. So, see if I can remember this correctly. I can't remember who that was. But it was Havana Guerrero, Ray Cubano, and Don Maestro, who was Akita Kun. I can't remember who Ray Cubano was. This bothered me. Um, but, uh, okay, the only one that has a cage match profile is Don Maestro, who's, yeah, Seiji Akita. But yeah. So it's bothering me. I can't remember who, who was who. All right. And then uh, Toro Ashi over Mastakanashi, Poison Sawada, and Mosasakai over Denshakodino and Yusuke Okuma. Kudo and Fatoshi Miwa over Senshiro Takagi, president, and Sayamura Ashi. And then Hero over Darkness Hero in your main event. An evil hero. Then we have Dragon Door. Uh, apparently, the money behind Ultima Dragon's new Dragon Door promotion comes from Takafumi Hori. Who's one of the richest men in Japan? He, Hori is the man behind the Live Door Internet Company. Hori has gotten a lot of mainstream pub this year as he attempted to fail the hostile stock takeover by the publicly traded Fuji TV network and has also attempted to buy a baseball team. Yes, Dave, that's why it was named Dragon Door. <laughs> a failed hostile takeover. Never good when you failed at something like that. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Dragon Gate. Twin Mesh Shizuoka on June 19th from 935 fans. We have Naruki Dwai and Masato Yoshino over Dragon Kid and Gigi Horiguchi. Michael Elwasa won a three-way handicap match. Well, him and Daniel Mishima won a three-way handicap match over KNS and Starku Shikawa. Florida Brothers. Well, wait, wait, wait. How is it a three-way <laughs> handicap? What? It was a handicap match. It was them two against KNS and Starku. That's two on two. Three... No, Kanis and Stalker were representing themselves. Oh, okay. I get it. It, it reads awkwardly. Then you had Akira Tozawa, 10-match trial series match six. As Naoki Tanazaki beat Akira Tozawa. You mean World Wrestling Entertainment's Akira Tozawa. That's right. Man of Tokyo and Ryo Saito over Anthony W. Mori and B.B. Hulk. And then Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Yokozuka, and Kenichiro Arai over Shima, Don Fuji, and Shingo Takagi in your main event. Then we have the Kanamura Festival. Hey! On June 19th, in Chiba Bluefield and 530 fans. June Kasai won a hardcore match over The Winger. Mama Sasaki won, and Rujita won a hardcore match over DJ Nera and Bad Boy Hito. Tetsuya Kuroda and Daisuke Sak- beat Daisuke Sakamoto. And then our main event, Dick Togo and Katama Kanamura over Aka Rangers, Hentaro and Takashi Sasaki in 16 minutes. Well, that seems like a fun show. Mm-hmm. Fine offering from the Kanamura office. Yeah, very fun top-to-bottom <laughs> format show. Osaka Pro Wrestling. They ran Osaka Festival Gate on June 19th for 188 fans. Motoro Washi over at Sushi Kotogi. Black Buffalo over Ebison number two. Takagafuke won a three-way over Supasa and Billy King Kid. Sengoku, Hidoshi, Hideyoshi, and Masamune over Super Dolphin and Super Dolphin and La Cheetah. And then Miracle Man and Tiger's Mask over Super Delphin in Kinshibokama in your main event. Yes, it all it got very confusing when 
Osaka Pro introduced an actual super dolphin. I was just like, no, when people thought that it was a translation or transliteration error of super dolphin. No, see his name, super dolphin. But now we have super dolphin. Mm-hmm. And didn't they also have super demican too? Oh, yes, yes, related. yes, 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 uh, great. And now let's go to Joshi. JWP, they ran Tokyo Cinema Club on June 19th for 250 fans. We have Jaguar Yokota over Natsuki Head. We have Yuki Miyazaki over Kazuki, all caps. Marika Yoshida over ECO, all caps. Command Bolshoi, Kyoko Kimura, and Gami, all caps, over Korea Yonayama, Tojuki Leon, and Erika Watanabe in 2446. Then Tsubasa Kurakagi and Sugar Sato beat Asumi Hiyuga and Kyoko Hurayama in 2355 in your main event. But that wasn't the only show held at Tokyo Cinema Club that day, Fix. Neo ran a show that day as well. Our opener match, Yuka Nakamura and Chiharu went to a 10-minute, a 15-minute draw with Tani Mouse and Yuki Miyazaki. Eskomita beat Kyoko Kimura. Tsubasa Kurakagi and Nerka Watanabe over Masai Genki and Yukushina. Then we had a TWF World Women's Title match where Yoshiko Tamura beat the Bloody in 30 minutes. That could be good. Could be. Then Manami Toyota and Haruka Matsuo defeated Kyoko Inoue and Emi Sakura in 2105. Uh, we should note, by the way, if, it seems weird that we jump straight to JWP and Neo. That's because All Japan Women and Gaia both closed in April. Yes. All right. Uh, then Neo ran another show on June 20th at Ishikawa Perfectual Industrial Exhibition Hall in front of 23 fans. We have Kario Niyama over Haruka Matsuo. Bolshoi Kid over Tanny Mouse. Azumi Hiyuga over Yukashina. Yoshiko Tamura and Yuki Miyazaki over Eskomita and Sarah Del Rey. Hmm. Yeah, Sarah Del Rey here. Manami Toyota over Yuka Nakamura. And then our main event, Kyoko Inoue and Masai Genki over Aja Kong and Ran Yu Yu in 2010, Bix. Hmm. Interesting mix of talent on this show. Yeah, as Neo shows go, these do look better than usual. Well, it makes sense because suddenly there's an influx of talent from other promotions. <laughs> yes. It's too bad Masai Genki and Tanya Mouse didn't have that 30-minute match. But that's a whole other story. For you, it was. All right, M-Style. They ran a show at Shinkiba First Ring on June 19th for a 350. We have a Sugar Sato retirement road match as Mariko Yoshida and Sugar Sato beat Bullfight Sora and Tochuki Leon in your, in your opener. Michiko Omakai over Baby M. Wait, who's Baby Ayaka? M? I remember Baby A, but not Baby M. I can't remember who that is. Ayaka Amada over Yumioka. Yamitsuran. Excuse me, Yamatsuran. Toshi Yamatsu and Ran Yu over Gami and Aumi Kirahara. And then Akino and Ajakan went to a 30 minute draw. That could be a hell of a match. Yeah, so again, you got new Joshi promotions and all kind of stuff going on here in 2005. M Style is Mariko Yoshida's promotion, right? Yes. Which I'd love to know more about why the two biggest women's promotions closed at the same time. Um, a lot of stuff. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> I mean, there. I mean, there was there was a lot of things going on back then. Let's put it that way. Let me get into it. All right. Ring, let's go to Europe. Is this is Eurasia? Rings of Europe. They ran a show on June 17th at the Thurman Halle and 
Bad Voslau, Austria, for 250 fans. We have the Thurman Cup. There's some round one matches here. Murat Bosporus over Imo Sotoki. Doug Williams over Jody Flash. Naomichi Marafuji over Aris. Yeah, well, Ares, isn't it? Ares, Aris, of yes. Of the Swiss money holding, Claudio's old yes. partner. And I guess now we can call him the forgotten member of the Carino wrestling family. <laughs> yeah. Casket match, VIN over Cardinal Colon. Minoru Suzuki over... <laughs> yes. Minoru Suzuki over Mark Rudin. Sick won a four-way elimination match over Cactus Kovacs, Don Royd, and Mr. Erotic. <laughs> Don Royd? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then a final, a three-way final for the Thurman Cup as Doug Williams beat Marat Bosporus and Naomichi Marafuji. And then a uh, main event, special referee Chris Raber, Chris the Bambi Killer, as Victor Kruger and Eddie Steinblatt defeated Cannonball Grizzly and Joey Legend by disqualification in 26-21. So, in other words, the promoter here is either Chris the Bambi Killer or Victor Kruger? Uh, it's Chris the Bambi Killer, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Now, let's go to England. All-Star Wrestling. Brian Dixon. They're in the Empire Theater in Liverpool in Merseyside on June 16th. Open to match Dean Allmark over the American Dragon. Brian Danielson. Yes. That's right. Thunder over Justin Starr. The Flatliner, Lisa Fury over Klondike, Kate, and Mikey Whiplash. And Almar won a handicap match over Andy Rush and Carl Cromer. And in your main event, the Liverpool Lads, Robbie Brookside and Frankie Sloan over Head Shrinker, Alofa, and Samu. So who the hell is Head Shrinker, Alofa in 2005? Is that Tongi Kid? It might be. Huh. Or it might be, it might be Rikishi working as Alofa. Who knows? I doubt he'd be working as Head Shrinker, Alofa on an all-star show. Well, I would too. Um, and, of course... With All-Star, we never get results of the holiday camp shows. We only get results of these. Yeah. Um, All right. Frontier uh, Wrestling Alliance. Oh, go ahead. Minoru Suzuki and Nemichi Marafuji won the GC Tag Titles on June 18th in Morecambe, England, uh, for 400 fans, beating Doug Williams and Tuco Scorpio. The match was taped for TV. For Noah's TV, that is. Suzuki and Marafuji worked heel style with the ending with Marafuji pinned Williams at their Shurinoi in 2255. Doug and Scorpio did a split up angle after the match. Doug worked his babyface during the match, even though he turned heel. All right, results from this Ross Jordan over Aviv Mayan. Hayde Vanson retained his All England heavyweight title over Stevie Lynn. Great porn. Sounds like a great porn star name, Stevie Lynn, uh, from the 80s. Uh, British tag titles Sticks and Stone. Sticks and Martin Stone. Over Hampton Courts, Duke of Danger, and Andy Simmons to win the titles. Damon Lee over Joey Hayes. Alex Shane retained his British heavyweight title over J.C. Thunder. And then he retained it again over Stevie Knight. And then the GEC Tag Titles match. So here's some good old Frontier Wrestling Alliance picks. Yes, from Alex Shane, who I believe has the, or at least post-Brian Dixon, got the uh, Holiday Camp deal. <laughs> Took it over. I don't know if yeah. he's still doing it and how that works post-COVID, but they were the British Super Indie of the era. Yes, they were. Yes, kind of first got on the map internationally because of Doug Williams. And, uh, you yeah, know, they'd fly in people, ECW guys, well, ex-ECW guys, then later, you know, indie superstar types. So, you yeah, know, they, they were the... 
I don't know if calling them the ROH would be right, although they did partner with ROH a little. But they were they were definitely the super indie at the time when there were no other super indies, so to speak, in the UK. Yeah. All right, let's go to North America now and begin with the UWA in Ontario. They're in St. John's Hall in Mississauga on June 17th. We have Arukagama over Stefan Elias. A six-way blade over Devin Parkside, Jeff Fleury, Matt Bison, Rimp Impact, and Snapdragon. Beef Wellington over Asylum. The Amazing Darkstone over Tony Mack. Osiris over Nick Watts. Hazuki over the Blue Jabroni. Adam Reed over Steve Brown. Kevin Steen over Lionel Knight. Josh Prohibition won the UWA lightweight title from Christopher Bishop. And Indulge Winnie retained his Canadian title beating Cole Cabana. Hmm. Is Christopher Bishop Josh's dad? Uh, doubt that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I remember I would go to the UWA's website and get their results and uh, put them on the reports. On the, you know... So just one of the few one of the promotions I would always travel around to to see you know what I could dig up. Anyone else on here, Montreal guys, besides Beef and Steen, or are they the only ones? They're about the only ones of okay. note. Interesting show, though. Yeah, just they always they always ran those that St. John's Hall and did fairly well. So yeah, yeah. Stampede Bruce Hart's version of Stampede Wrestling announced it was folding out their show on June seventeenth in Calgary. Bruce made the announcement and the company is shutting down for the time being. Most of the more talented Calgary wrestlers, including family members like Teddy Hart and Harry Smith, already start working for the promotion after issues with Bruce. Oh, that's a good time. Surprise, huh? Yeah, surprise. All right, let's go to Mexico. We got a big injury. Let's start with AAA. Intocable, real name Rene Gomez, 28, in Mexico City. A bodybuilder who's getting a good push at AAA suffered a broken C5 and C6 vertebrae, broken neck. The June 18th tapings in Torreon. He was teaming with Antifaz del Norte and Alan Stone, third from the top against Mr. Angula, Charlie Munson, and Psychosis. Not the WWE Psychosis, Triple H Psychosis. But he was drop kicked by Angula, and his head snapped back while taking the bump. When he landed, he wasn't moving. The wrestlers asked if he could move, and he said he couldn't, nor could he feel anything below his waist. He went to a surgery on June 21st, where one of his vertebrae was taken out and replaced by titanium. They're hoping they can restore some of the feeling back on his right side of his body and below the waist. And last where we got, his doctors were optimistic he'd be able to walk again. But there's still a chance he'll end up confined to a wheelchair. His wrestling career of eight years was thought to be over. Although at press time, the doctors were saying they expect him to walk because it's possible he could return. Antonio Pena has largely been out of commission because he and Gomez are tight, as he was the one who recruited Gomez into pro wrestling. So he's got a major guilt trip going over the possibility he ended up paralyzed. Pena spent most of the past week in Monterrey, where Gomez was hospitalized and wasn't doing much business, although he does have a trip to Japan scheduled for this week. Gomez debuted as Valentino in 1997 and gained his first famous Randy of the Spice Boys for AAA. He also wrestled as Randy L. Stripper for a brief period of time. But as you can imagine, that name wasn't going to catch on. There are always rumors about him being a Pena favorite. In more ways than one, he always flew first class with Pena to shows while most wrestlers were jammed in the buses or trucks to run the circuit. Charlie Manson publicly claimed Randy, a prelim wrestler, was earning more than most of the main eventers. He also got one push after another, which didn't tape because he was poor in the ring and had little charisma. But every six months, Pena would give him a new push. 
However, as Intocable, the name given him on his debut in a new character on January 15, 2004, he got over doing the bodybuilding dancing game in the Latin Lover. Intocable was named after a popular band in Mexico. His catching on started threatening Latin Lover, as he was now becoming a younger version of a similar character. And with Latin Lover getting more and more higher paid bookings on a touring celebrity stripper tour, he was being groomed for a main event position. Even though there was jealousy on how he was being taken care of, it was kind of hard to be mad at him because he was a super nice guy who everyone expected would become one of the company's big guns. I thought Dave, he 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 gave you enough to think what you think, but he didn't go over the line. What do you think? Mm, yes, but I, obviously the first class thing is a bit of a, probably more of a tell than others, but also it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that Intel Copley did anything either. It could mean that Pena wanted to do something, but... Yes, he was a favorite. Yes. We're not talking about the Victor uh, sports car here, necessarily. No, we're... I mean, there were always rumors. And some of the people... The funny thing about it is that some of the people that were complaining the most about it were people who had done some similar things. Yes. And there were always rumors about... (laughs) And any younger guy Pena pushed, though, was always going to get rumors, regardless of what the merit was to them. Yeah. You know, Meltzer's talked about Rey Mysterio Jr. getting those kinds of rumors early on. All right. So you want to guess how long it took for Intokabe to come back to the rank? Oh, I don't remember. Three and a half months. Eh, good for him. And who do you feud with? Alan Stone. Because hmm. Alan Stone basically started doing all the gimmick and became a, a rudo out of it. So Tocable came back to uh, to get his revenge. But yeah, I like it, Tocable. I thought, I mean, I thought, I thought he was good at what he did. Um, yeah, everybody else really liked him. Great from what Dave said. Yeah, great entrance. He got. I mean, he definitely got over hard in that character. Absolutely. So I, I, I got no problem with Tocable at all. Super nice guy. All right, Pena was scheduled to come to U.S. this weekend to attempt to put together a pay-per-view deal, although due to the Intercopoli situation, that's in question. The idea what they're trying to do is put all the major AAA shows on pay-per-view in the United States. The few people reading this who have done business with AAA are likely laughing uproariously at the idea of them planning big show dates months in advance and meeting pay-per-view deadlines. They'll also have to be taped delayed because the odds of them starting on time and ending in less than three hours isn't very good either. <laughs> Boy, is that the truth. He ain't wrong. Oh, that's funny. All right. Torreon, the TV taping on June 18th. Fabio Apache and Marta Villobos over La Diabolica and Tiffany. Color Man, El Angel and Televisa Deportes. Yes, there was a wrestler named after the network. Over Cuervo, Escorio, and Oz, the black family. Corazon de Barrio and Incognito over Sexy Francis and Sexy Ceases. Then we had the match where Intocable got injured. Uh, it was a psychosis springboard trunkie to the back. Apparently, they really paralyzed him. A psychosis left the match to brawl with hysteria at ringside, which led to a whole bunch of arudos, including Totico, and otherwise put on the show to get involved. Zorro also ran out, distracting Charlie, so Alan could beat Aguila for the win. Then we had Bismo Negro, Chessman, and Hator over Latin Lover, Shocker, and Zorro. And then La Parker Jr. beat Supernetico in a lights-out match by disqualification. Now, they tease at the tape and some heat with Shulker and Latin Lover. Their early idea is to move Shulker back to the Rudo side, 
which is how he first got over strong. That's what they do. And they create Los Guapos in AAA. Eh. So, yeah. They're, they're shuffling the decks here in AAA. Shocker's there. Vampiro's hang, is around. So they've brought in some new talent, which they needed to do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's becoming uh, it's becoming fun. You know, I mean, AAA was always fun, but it's like getting better in the ring, too, which always helps. Yeah, this era, they really were making, like, top-to-bottom improvements on that. And then 06-07, AAA is one of the very best promotions in the world for the yeah, first see, time we're in a see- long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, CMLL. It's being said this is the first time in history of Pro Wrestling Mexico that two companies have been so hot at the same time. Mexico's had periods with more than one successful national promotion. At one point around 1992, CMLL, UWA, and AAA were all drawing well in the Mexico City market, but nothing like this. Usually when other groups have gotten over strong, such as UWA from 1975-1984 and later AAA from 92 to 94, the traditional CMLL promotion has suffered. In the early 90s, when CMLL caught fire with the event of television, it started to decline to UWA. CMLL business is good, although not at the level of AAA. Still, they have topped 12,000 for Friday night shows of remakes code three times in the past month behind such newer company stars as Pedro Aguayo Jr., a remake of his father, Hector Garza, Mystico, the modern version of Remy Studio Jr., as well as the debut of the former Grunda, Grun Triple X. Think Ultimate Warrior, but only worse. From AAA and longtime regulars like Ultimo Guerrero, Arriba Cañero, Dr. Banda Jr., Realisco Jr., Kanek, and countless others. Even recent losses of Shulker and Vampiro, which along with Conan have led the AAA currently skyrocketing, has not hurt this company at the gate. They produced one of their biggest shows of the year on June 17th, putting their big guns that have been feeding up the top. Universal Desmil, Damian Cesar Halloween, Negro Casas, Heavy Metal, Mascara Magica, and the big three of Mystico, Garza, and Perro. Perito in a climatic cage match built this Juscio Final, Final Justice, with the last man left either losing his hair or his mask. The master and overflow crowd report is looking to be 18,900 in a 17,670 seat building. Yeah, they were smoking. All right, results of this card. Ultimo Jacacito and Picking Olimpico over Perafito and Fiere. Sangre Azteca, Everno Mephisto over Satanico, Fenino and Metro. Totobanda Jr., Dos Carlos Jr., and Radelisco Jr. over Canet, Perof and El Terrible. Grun Trooper X, L.A. Park, and Io de Dismarque. What a team. Over Ultimo Guerrero, Riva Guerrero, and Olimpico by DQ. Third fall saw Park unmask himself and throw his mask at Guerrero. Ref saw DQ Los Cienfienos. And then the cage match. Perito escaped at 646. Universo at 856. Halloween at 958. Negro Casa at 1026. Heavy Metal at 1104. At the Garza at 1235. And finally, Misco at 1540. This leaving Damian and Mascara Magica. With Damian escaping the cage at 2111, leaving Mahika, the least pushed guy of the group, to get his head shaved. What a surprise. At one point, Halloween and Damian Cesar were scheduled to lose this match. The result was likely changed because both last week went to an Antonio Pena party and word got out, probably on purpose. The implication was if one of them lost, they would likely jump as a group to AAA. While CMLO business has been good enough, they haven't really been concerned about the jumps because it seems to even out. As a new guy comes in, the guy who's been on top then gets frustrated when the new guy pushed ahead of him and leaves. Still, there's no doubt, like when American Wrestling seven or eight years ago, that two strong promotions and major star movement back and forth helps both sides. Amen. And any study of wrestling history anywhere shows that wrestlers should enjoy this period because it can't last forever. 
we will see with this new two promotion venture. Musico did a dive off the top of the case so high that he couldn't even stand straight up because the ceiling's light were, ceiling lights were in his way. That's a high cage. He means the light grid, I think. Yeah. They have programmed Mystico now on Mascara Mahika, since Mahika's blaming Mystico for the loss of his hair in the match. Yeah, I mean, good lord. Look how much is going on here. And look at the business. Um, look at their roster. I mean, yeah, they they're loaded here. Loaded. And, you know, they're riding that Mystico boom, which was coming out of, you know, to their credit. They did customer surveys. Fans wanted new stars. Let's make new stars. And they committed to it. Yep. That simple. Yeah, it's, it's amazing they can't do that today. <laughs> it really is. It really is amazing, but oh well. I don't know. All right. Then this past weekend saw 30th anniversary of Pro Wrestling Arena Lopez Mateos and Tanay Patla on June 18th. And 46th anniversary of Wrestling Arena Claudio Guadalajara on June 19th. The latter show saw Everno, Mephisto, keep their CML tag titles over Blue Panther and Satanico. And a main event of Los Hermanos Dinamita beating Elantis, Tatabana Jr., and Radilisco Jr. There was a big ceremony before the match, which largely made Ciancaras a bit technical, since it was hinted this would be among his final matches ever in the city after a 31-year career. Alfonso Dantes and his sons Apollo and Cesar, along with possibly retiring El Tejano, were among those honoring him. The funny thing is, is Cien Carlos and Rayo in a rematch from the most famous match in either man's career, their mass match from 1990 Arena Mexico, headlined the same arena two nights later. Results of this show, Idolo in Metro over Depredador and Infierno, Danger in Evola over Exterminador and Mr. Power, Angel Blanco Jr., Cesar Dantes and Tojico over Reitetito, Yoder Rayalisco Jr., and The Flashes, one and two. Then the Fernando Mephisto over Blue Panther Satanico, and then uh, Los Hermanos Dinamita over Atlantis Wander and Rayo in your main event. And yes, Rayo Tito is back with Uncle Rayo again. Notice though he's buried in Terceros here, and it won't and be long before he becomes Rayman Ray again. I was going to say this is Rayman. Okay, I did not remember this run. Yeah, well, he basically stays here. He homesteads in Guadalajara as Rayman. He still uh -huh. works today. Yeah, still works today here. What a shame. Thanks, Uncle Ryo. Yeah. June 19th, Arena Coliseo, Mexico City. Argos, Espiritu Guerrero, and Charisma over Caniglia, Cabalto, and Masala. Maximo, Neutron, and Tigre Metallico, excuse me, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Neutron over Guerrero de Futuro, Coriano, and Moguer. Io de Peroff, Mr. Mexico, and Ryusuke Taguchi. Over Brazo de Oro, Sagrado, and Stuka Jr. Black Warrior, Brazo de Plata, and L.A. Park over Lipico, Tarzan, Boe, and Ultimo Guerrero. And then Perito over Mystico in your main event. And then Rio Coliseo on the 21st. Povoro and Vaquero over Espirito Guerrero and Charisma. Molotov, Sampra de Plata, and Valiente over Flecha, Heke, and Moguer. Stuka Jr., Tigre Blanco, and Tigre Metallico over Uligan, Coriano, and Supercomando. Black Tiger 3, Yode Perov and uh, Emilio Chavez Jr. of Black Prato de Plata, Felino and Liz Mark. And Elantis, Blue Panther, Mystico over Riva Canero, Tarzan Boy, and Utimo Guerrero. Stacked. Again, like, what can you say? Look at these rosters. Mm -hmm. Talent up and down. Hot promotion. Yep. 
Alan and Chris Stone, two undercard high flyers who are both the brothers of former WCA wrestler Supercolo, jumped this week for CMLL to AAA. Pena wants to give Alan a big push. He does. And then Supercolo also comes back in, in his unmasked uh, Ric Flair persona mm-hmm. and teams with them. Yes. And he has a little bit of a career resurgence. Yes, he does. Quote of the week from Hector Garza. You'll love this, Bix. All medications aren't bad in excess. Steroids are bad, but under control, nothing happens. They're just like aspirin. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, why would he be saying this, Bix? Because he had his border incident. When you yeah, when you thought of steroids in Mexico in this era, he's a guy. <laughs> well, he claims he is a doctor. So it's Dr. Destiny Williams. They both carry pharmacies around with them. So. <laughs> IWRG, they ran in Arena Nakapan on June 16th. We have Pentarita over Conde Negro, Carta Bravo Jr., and Macho Dos over Rey de Corazones and Ultra Omega. Avisman and Fantasma Jr., Tino and Matrix over Andy Barro, Fantasma de la Opera, and American Gigolo, Cyborg beat Black Dragon and Veneno, and then Cyborg beat Black Dragon in a Caballero Contra IWRG Intercontinental title match, which he won the title. And then the IWRG Intercontinental Trios titles match, the Casas brothers, Felino, Heavy Metal, and Negro Casas, defeated Black Tiger 3, Silver King, Pantera, and Pentagon Black to win the championships. How about that? Hooray for the Casas. Do you remember what American Gigolo's nickname was among the other Americans in the mix at the time? What was his nickname, Bix? I believe that was Asshole Chad. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He for was those something. Who, those who don't know, he's the guy who quack basically bogarted the... American bookings of Skyda from. Yes, he was. <laughs> couldn't, so, couldn't be a dispute between two nicer guys, right? Oh, I know. June 19th, the Sunday show. So this is the house show. We're in Nakapan. Petrita over Conde Negro. Colt and Ray Ristriendo over Galactic and Mr. Libro. Cyborg and Infamino Jr. team with Paramedico. Beating Fantasma Jr., Mega and Ultra Mega. Avisman, Joe Leader. Marco Rivera and Starter Boy over, oh boy, Ash Levine, American Gigolo, Otis Idol, and the Hornet. Oh, yes. So we got the Canadians here uh, this this time period. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Then we have Kinect, Negro Navarro, and Pantera over Black Dragon, Electral Shulk, and Matrix. Shouldn't Black Dragon win on Juneteenth? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, the Canadians and IWRG. That was something. I don't know if I ever saw They're just though. bringing up a. Well, Bulldog was part of that, wasn't he? No, he was in CMLL earlier. Okay. He was part of the Barricos. It it gets confusing. Um, Is this the same Black Dragon from five years earlier or a different guy? Um, I'm not going to commit and say. I think it might be a different guy. It's possible, I guess. I'll check, but um, still some interesting looking stuff here from IWRG. (laughs) Monterey. Arena Coliseo de Monterey, which is now Triple A's building. June 19th, we have Black Panther and Galactar over Polochino and Guerrero Griego. Estrella Dorada Jr. and Maje Negro Jr. over Corazon de Barrio and Incognito. Fabio Apache, Marta Villobos, and Sexy Francis over La Diabolica, Sexy Cesis, and Tiffany. Then we had a uh, four-way hair match, which El Brazo lost, involving Oscar Sevilla, Sangre Chicana, and Sangre Chicana Jr., Abismo Negro and Mini Abismo Negro beat Mascara Sagrada and Mascarita Sagrada 2000. 
in an Antipas da Norte, La Parque Junior and Zorro over Steven Enrico, Heitor, and Zumbido. Now, the old AAA building is now independent run, Arena Solidaridad. We have Corazon Adicto and Mercurio over Killer Kong 1 and Psychopata. Black Soul, Titanic, and Venom 2 over Armageddon, Coco Viper, and Memo Valles. Well, at least Black Soul won on June 19th. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Aurora, Diana de la Cazadora, and Chantel defeated uh, Police Star, Princess Shugi, and Venom 2. Mr. Texas, says <laughs> Romo Jr., the Silver Star, be, Los Cafan Rockero, number one, Yamarada and Mongo Chino by disqualification. And if I remember right, Mr. Texas is, uh, or would he, maybe not anymore by this point. Wasn't that Sean Hernandez? No, I don't think so. Okay. And if Felino, Heavy Metal, and Negro Casas went to a double DQ with Deluvios, Necros, and Yamarada. Okay. Um, and I checked. It's the same Black Dragon. This is right at the end of his run. All right. Well, there's that. Tijuana. Baja Stars on June 17th at the Palenic de Tijuana. Ana Negro Jr. In su- over Super Nino. Astucia and Fugaz over Bull Ryder and Bull Ryder Jr. Then the Baja Stars International Light Heavyweight title. Depredador won that match with Thunderbird, Venom Black, Tornado Negrophobia, Shamu, and Tori Gonzalez. Then we had a Relivus Increíbles match where Extreme Tiger and TJ Boy, not TT Boy, Defeated Infierno and Mortis uh, and Arando and Joe Leader. And then our main event, Barraza de Plata, Yo de Santo, and Ricky Marvin. One by qualification of a Rey Mysterio Sr., Super Parka, and Volador Jr. That is a match right there. Yeah. Um, That's a match of people. Was Tijuana drawing at the time? Um, mm, They were on a downward spiral. Not like it had been a few years earlier. No. And now let's go to Puerto Rico. IWA Puerto Rico. IWA had his Victor the Bodyguard Memorial Tour this past week with X-Pac as the main outside star. The big show was June 18th in Carolina, where they drew basically a cell of 5,500 fans. They could have put more chairs on the floor if they needed them, but every seat was full, paying $67,000 gate. A unique thing happened, though, that they gave they gave away 2,000 more DVDs of highlights of Victor's career to the fans. In 2005, that's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, Victor Rodriguez passed away a few years ago of a heart attack after a match with Miguel Perez Jr. He'd been complaining of chest pains for a few weeks, but never went to the doctor. It was a big deal as Cheeky Star, his longtime best friend and tag team partner, even though he works with WC, attended the show. As did brother Angel Rodriguez, El Profe. Also attending were lots of indie wrestlers, all the other wrestlers, owner Vita Quinones, and others appear for a prayer to for Victor to perform the show. Between all the wrestlers around the ring and family in the ring, there may have been 70 people out there, most of them crying. The crowd, which isn't always the case in Puerto Rico, was very respectful through all this. In the end, Quinones, Star, and Victor's family were left in the ring and all hugged. And people were crying as Chicano and two reggaeton singers did a song in his memory. It was said to be super emotional for everyone close to him. Cheeky left the building and rushed to Caguas to work at the WC house show that night. He sent out a press release before, he, before the event saying he wasn't going to wrestle on the show. That Victor was closer than a brother to him and he would come only for the opening ceremony for the IWA show. Man, that was a battle royal for the Victor Cup, won by Rey Gonzalez. Also, Ricky Venderas won the IC title, beating Jean-Pierre Lafitte 
in a steel cage match. She had lots of high-risk moves. She caught up in X-Pot to keep that other title with a sidekick. Lots of post-match interference. The key stip matches earlier as Savia Vega and Eric Gonzalez using Green Mist. Savia won the paper that apparently gives him full control of the promotion with the win. Business hasn't been good of late until this weekend. WWE said Eugene, who aside from X-Pot, was the only major fly-in. X-Pot were three days, had missed the final night of the tour because of TNA. Eugene worked this show as well as June 19th and San Sebastian and drew 3,000 fans. All right, results that we haven't read. Miguelito Perez over Blitz. Anibal over Anabad. Abad. And that Tom is Diablo. Uh, Devin Hannibal Nicholson. Yes. Tommy Diablo retained the junior title over Amazona. Diabolico, Draco Lee, and Spectra over Eugene, Golden Boy, and Noriega. <laughs> wow. And Shane over Slash Venom, and then all the other matches we read. I like that we have the two OVW guys in back-to-back matches. Yeah, and... Um, it's great that Cheeky Starter was able to be there because, I mean, Victor was his bodyguard. Yeah. That's where that came from. Yes. I had forgotten Proface's brother, though. Oh, yeah. Well, they were in Stampede together. Cheeky Peron and Anha Peron. That's before they came back to Puerto Rico and had their big, had their big run. Okay. I didn't realize that's who Angel and Cheeky Peron were. Mm-hmm. That's where they had their big run. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, because some of that, er- some of the earliest Stampede footage that's out there is them against what is it, Bruce and Keith? I think. Yeah, that is them from '74, I believe. Well, I mean, they may work in the '70s. But I know them in the '80s. Okay. '81. Well, there's not much they... from '81 though, video-wise. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's. Uh, I don't think they were there in '74. That don't sound right. Maybe I'm I don't think they were old enough. Else. I don't think they were old enough. Yeah, Cheeky was 16. So, yeah, they weren't there in 74. But they were there in the early 80s. So, there's that. Oh, but, yeah. I'm, confu- I'm confusing it with the uh, the Encore presentation shows. Because I think those were from roughly 81. The yeah. ones they aired when Stampede was about to relaunch. And now I'm yes, trying to remember I'll... who's on the 74 tape. Oh, I don't know. But anyway. But good on IWA for doing this for Victor's family and everything, and they had a hell of a house. So. Mm-hmm. There's been a split between IWA and Mario Savoldi, though, their longtime U.S. distributor. The split was over IWA making the Fight Network TV deal. Savoldi wanted to have his people do the English language voiceovers, but IWA decided to do it in house. Savoldi distributes IWA and many small power stations around the U.S., most notably on Sun Sports on Friday nights. The announcing it's horrible, and the tapes are usually old and out of sequence. When Savoldi was refused to cut a, a rights fees from the Fight Network, the split took place, and Savoldi's attempting to make a deal with WWE to use their tapes to fill the WWE time slots. <laughs> I'm sure he won't abscond with any tapes. That would be so unlike him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord. The Savoldi's. <laughs> what can you say? Uh, those shows were weird, too, because I remember when we started getting them here in New York on the uh, the now-defunct Metro channel, they did the AWF thing. They just started from the beginning. They didn't start from where the shows were airing everywhere else. So yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's a very Savoldi move to, to do something like that. Yeah, are you shocked? I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm th- he's, he's a very upstanding, you know, businessman. So. Yeah. All right, well, that's it for the first half of the show. It's now halftime, so 
after a uh, quick commercial break of 2005 commercials, God help us. Then we'll pivot back here. We'll talk about Patreon. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back and go back to the indie scene. There's a lot of Philadelphia indies to talk about, so we'll have that. And uh, all the other indie stuff, IWS South, got some shows, OVW, we'll talk about it. Uh, so we got a lot of stuff. We'll be back after this. I think he's dead. Sunday on Adult Swim. Could you say a prayer for him on Sunday? You know, so maybe he'll hear it in heaven. According to the church, there are no pets in heaven. Roger was good. What kind of God wouldn't allow him into heaven? This guy. That's your idea of God? Hey, <laughs> kick your ass. <laughs> Whatever. American Dad, Sunday at 11.30 on... From the author of The Ring. Hello? On July 8th, terror breaks through. Dark Water, rated PG-13. How dirty boys get clean. New Axe Shower Gel. Go phone with the nationwide walkie-talkie feature. Now get an i215 for $59.99 while supplies last at these retailers. Hello? Hello? Peace up. A town down. Boost Mobile, where you at? Bonjour, Bob. J'appelle pour invite-toi ce soir Adult Swim. Ah, oui, oui. Uh, Futurama, a Family Guy, oui. Aquatine, Celeb. Ginger Brothers, Robot Chicken, Tom. Je te parle du tube de Dada Jean-Claude. Tu peux aller jouer à Adult Swim. Ah, Les comédies et la voix, Bob. Brought to you by Coca-Cola Classic. Make it real. So much hype, so much pressure, so much for letting it affect you. New LeBron's Lightning Lemonade. Be explosive with Bubblicious. Greetings, Tom goes to the mayor. How have you been? I'll say that. That's what I'll say. They cut me down from 11 minutes to 30 seconds. Checking one, level's check good. Check two, check, Mike. Clear as a bell. Clear as a bell on your end. Check two. Should we just blow it off? Oh, I see a red light. Um, I don't even want to tinker with up it. And down, levels, rolling, digital speed. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed all those great 2005 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. We'll begin talking about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. And, uh, yeah, we, we haven't started recording part three yet as we record this. But, but thank you, Paul and Stephanie. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it definitely got more interesting um, in the past 
couple of days here as uh, we record this as uh, Titangate 2022 is uh, getting going now. So if you want to go back 30 years to patreon.com slash 20 sheets, you can listen to Titangate 1992 where we have all kind of stuff going on uh, back then of the uh, salacious nature that we've talked about on the first two parts that we've done already. And, um, Vincent man and, and, you know, <laughs> and the sexual hot water back back then, but even more hot water then, because that was rape allegations. In but also cover-ups and covering up other alleged crimes and stuff, too. Well, you got the, you got the Reem Boy stuff, the steroid stuff, so there's all that stuff mixed in with it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how this timing is going here with this, with these shows we're doing. And this going on in the current day. Well, and, uh, well, here's the thing, too. Not only happening the year, you know, we're in the 30th anniversary of Titangate, but also breaking the week that's the second anniversary of Speaking Out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> what's old is new again, I guess, in WWE. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting times and things are... Uh, Move it fluidly, and who knows what else is going to come out for said and done. As this is a this is a big money issue with the uh, cover ups and all that stuff, and the investigations. So, and then not to mention that, but of course uh, the stuff of Oliver Lux also going to trial. So you got two two situations here that could be going to court. And um, wow! So if you want to listen to us talk about 30 years ago when the shit was going on back then, and there's similarities, like we said, a lot of similarities, and you get it just a Vincent Man from that era. The leopard doesn't change their spots in a lot of ways. Five dollars a month at Patreon.com/slash/BetweenTheSheets to listen to those two shows and all the other shows that we've done in our pl- almost six full years of the Patreon, and. Um, it's well worth that $5. Believe me, it's so much audio there that you're going to want to put another $5 down for another month and a $5 down for another month. Or if you want to go annual, we can go 50 40 and buy a whole year, one shot, and then you'll uh, save 16% from uh, paying $5 every month. And you get a hell of a, a bargain there on all this great audio that we've done. So uh, do that, and you can learn a lot of stuff. And we want to um, sp- send a special shout out to uh, John Pollock and Way and, the, and you know for post wrestling for Brandon uh, Thurston put- as well. Brandon Thurston as well, friend, of, good friend of ours, Russell Namas, for putting us over and talking about these shows that we've done. That's a, you know, that's a that's a great honor to be uh, to be talked about on those shows, and we're we're so glad, and we hope that new patrons come from it, and we want all the patrons to that's already with us and. All the new ones that's coming along to please spread the word so people can understand what the hell went on back then. And they get, you know, learn some stuff. Because it's been 30 years and, you know, with all this stuff coming out now and Vince being in the news and all that. I mean, it's it's so important to listen to this. So $5 a month, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. Uh, $1 a month gets you access to the Discord and thanks in the segment. 25 gets you access to... The page, uh, pick a show for the week on the Patreon. Now, this is what we have this week. Alan Pisner picked a show for this week, so you can pick your show that you want. But make sure you have two shows in your mind, just in case uh, the first show that you want to do may not work because of logistics reasons. 
So have all that handy. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website, and you should be able to be good to go. $50 allows you send for a segment of the show and 100 for the whole show, if you choose. Which, you know, we've had patrons do that in the past, and all of them have thoroughly enjoyed their experiences on being on the show. Because so, you never know what might happen. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Go there and let the audio enrich your mind. All right. Next, who I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. All right. We would like to thank. All right. I really hope I am not butchering this person's name, and I apologize in advance. And if, if I do, I believe this is Tanise Sarwia. Yeah, I, I know Tanise. It's okay. Tanise, I think. Okay. But thank, uh, you. thank you, Tanise. Yeah. I've seen, that, I've seen that name over the years. Yes. yes. This is an easier one. Tom McFadden. Thanks, Tom. Francis Lane. Thanks, Francis. Dan Jones. Thanks, Dan. And one I don't remember seeing in a while, Andrew Swope. Thanks, Andrew. Yes. I said, and Andrew Swope. Yeah, so that was the last one. Oh, oh that's it? Okay. I didn't know that was the end, but thank you, Andrew. And uh, But yeah, we thank all you new patrons, uh, returning patrons. Patrons have been there from the beginning. We thank all of you for uh, supporting us through these near six years of the Patreon. So... Thank all of you. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right. IWTV. Let's talk about that. And, uh, yeah, it's summertime. A lot of uh, independent shows are going on. So I'm sure there's a lot you could talk about here. Yes. Coming up, uh, you know, this week as of when this drops, as far as live streams, um, Southeast First presents, presents Uncharted Territory on Monday, the day this comes out. Headlined by uh, Modern Age Grappling Rules, Jaden Newman taking on a uh, noted missing person and theoretical all-elite wrestler, Jonathan Gresham. <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting match. Yeah, also on the show, uh, Damian Tangra versus Shug D, Billy Tipton, Alec Price, uh, Violence is Forever versus Exotic Youth, uh, and more. So that's an interesting one there, mixed, getting mixed up a little bit more with some different stuff, since, you know, Tank's doing his thing on the two against Rip Bison, but we've also got your uh, 2022 grapple fuck, for lack of a better term. So, got that on Monday, and then on Thursday night, from the H2O Wrestling Center, we've got Sean Henderson Presents, presents Marcus Mathers' All I Want, fe- featuring an interesting lineup that includes... Marcus Mathers versus Shannon Moore. Dante Martin oh, okay. versus Ruckus. That's an interesting match. Uh, Brandon and Casey Kirk versus Bussy. Okay. Matt Tremont versus Two Cold Scorpio. <laughs> okay. Bam Sullivan, Alex Cologne. Uh, a Yuletide death match between Jimmy Lloyd and friend of the show Colby Carino. No, I don't know why Yule- doing a Yuletide death match in June. <laughs> Well, I've heard of Christmas in July, but uh, this is a June, so I don't know. Yeah, a uh, Doors four-way between some of the H2O students and also a Billy Starks versus Zoe Sky. So that's Thursday night. Of course, Wrestling Open also Thursday night, but no lineup as of yet. Uh, then Friday, we got another Sean Henderson Presents. Uh, what's this one called? This one is I Do Anything. And for those who don't know, Sean Henderson, I believe, was Tre- Matt Tremont's first student. And he does the Sean Henderson Presents shows at uh, at the H2O building. And this is the H2O anniversary weekend, as we'll get to in a second, too. So this is part of that. 
So this one has Colby Carino versus Australian Deathmatch wrestler Joel Bateman, Alex Colon, Connor Claxton. Anything else of note on this one? Less names, but, you know, Cole Radrick and Jimmy Lloyd teaming up against Ryan Radix and Dylan McKay and more on that. Wasn't he on, nine, wasn't he on 90210? He spells it differently. Oh. Well, there you go. I don't know if he's going to feud with Jungle Boy anywhere eventually. but It would be natural, I guess. Yes. Uh, let's see what else do we have. There's AEW a... should bring him in for a squash on Dark or something. Yeah. Um, Blitzkrieg. Pro has a has their fourth anniversary show. Um, oh boy, Mr. Chainsaw Wrestling is doing the Chainsaw Cup live on Saturday. I'm not Chainsaw sure if I know Cup. anything about this, these people. Yes, um, we've got the H2O sixth anniversary show on Saturday, or the first half, Saturday afternoon, uh, which includes a match for the Danny Havoc Hardcore Championship between Lucky Thirteen, Bam Sullivan, and Cole Radrick, among other stuff. Oh, Matt Tremont versus Effie in a death match. Okay. That should be interesting. Uh, then what else do we have? We have another Mr. Chainsaw show on Saturday night. <laughs> um, well, Pro Wrestling Magic is running on Saturday. As I'm scrolling through these. Oh, also on... Jesus, there's a lot. Also on Saturday, an ICW No Holds Barred show, including Eric Ryan defending his title against Atticus Kogar. John Wayne Murdoch versus Masha Slamovich. Uh, and more uh, night two, or yeah, day two, I guess, Sunday afternoon of the H2O thing. And then also WWR plus, sort of beyond, but not exactly. But it's WWR plus now because it's not always all women's shows, but it's mostly women's shows. They have Aces High on Sunday afternoon, which has Chris Antlander making her return against Trisha Dora. And that's Probably one of the best matches you could put together on the indie as far as women's wrestling right now. Uh, Masha Slamovich and Akira against Alec Price and Becca. Al- Alicia Edwards against Jordan Blade. Willow Nightingale against Little Mean Kathleen. And I'm sure more to come as far as then. I, yes, that's the last one. So, a lot of live streams coming this week on IWTV. I'd say, yeah. I'm not sure how Dylan manages it all. Dylan Hales, not Dylan McKay. That's why, that's why he's not doing podcasts that much. So he he's on his schedule, which is uh, way different than mine. So there you he's go. on he is on wrestling hours for the most part. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, I feel bad that I did not refer to Alicia Edwards as Alicia Edwards. Uh huh. Which is how she says it because let's just see she has a much thicker uh, Boston accent than her husband. Yes. All right. Well. Well, yeah, I didn't say part. that. Wait, I didn't talk about the, the code or anything. You were stopping. I, thought, I, I forgot. On, right. I forgot, yes. And if you, you're not already a subscriber at independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD and we'll get a referral fee from your subscription as long as you stay a paid subscriber. Yes. All right, let's go talk about private internet access right now. As today's episode is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, 
a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, excuse me, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. No one, and I mean no one, is faster than private internet access. And if you sign up with private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's talk about that. You can get a monthly deal if you want to do that, $11.95 a month. You can go for a yearly deal, $3.33 a month, which nets to $39.95 a year. Or you can take advantage of a deal only for you, Between the Sheets listeners. You can get it for three years and four free months for $1.98 a month, which equals out to $79 for three years. An amazing bargain. Amazing bargain. You can't beat that. Especially what private internet access can do for you, as they're trusted by millions of satisfied customers. So you do all that, and you're going to be set in your VPN. That's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN in the market. And if you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access's 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just turn it for a full refund. So how do you get this, you might ask? You go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets. That's privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to the 80s as uh, we need a little respite here because we got 2,000 shows coming hot and heavy in uh, the next month. So we go back to 1986, and we're going to be rejoined by our dear friend Robert O'Connor, who's uh, going to make it this time. He's better. So he will be on this show as we discuss uh, quite a few things, even though it's a light week. We got uh, Crocker Promotions. We'll talk about them. And uh, a promo that aired on World Championship Wrestling that between, with David Crockett and the America's team, Dusty Rhodes and Man TA, that made Dave Meltzer want to vomit. So we'll play that. We'll have uh, Blackjack Mulligan issues in World Class, which has a funny story. We'll talk about that. We got uh, Bam Bam Bigelow making his debut on Memphis Television in the studio and uh, his debut in the Coliseum. So we'll have that. We got some Continental stuff. We got stuff from UWF, a great UWF TV taping during our week. We'll talk about that. Um, we got international stuff to talk about. Well, not much Japan, the smallest Japanese section I think we ever had in this show. So we'll have that. And uh, World Wrestling Federation. We'll talk about that and all kind of stuff going on there. As uh, Paul Orndorff's about ready to turn heel, so we'll play that and some other things. And, oh, yeah, I forgot about the AWA. As Dave Meltzer attends the AWA version of Saturday Night's Main Event live on ESPN in Oakland, California. So he's in the building, and he gives his report. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, uh, what you got going on right now? I'm efforting. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Let's just say lot, that for now. A lot going on uh, this week that's up your alley. So. Uh, and I was also working on some less public work that I do for someone as well this week. So. But I've yeah, definitely been efforting. Let's just say that for now. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. 
so I can get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's go to the indie scene now, and a lot going on in the Philly area. So let's begin with 3PW. Propane they Pro ran, Wrestling. That's right. They're in the new, new Alhambra Arena on June 18th for their Resurrection show, where the first match featured the Messiah on the resurrect, on show named Resurrection, beating some guy named Sterling James Keenan, or as you may know him as Corey Graves. Then we had Monster Mac over Josh Daniels, Chris Crude over Damian Adams. This says Rob Zombie over somebody. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it was Rob Zombie. <laughs> no, wasn't I could there, be wrong. Wasn't there a Pennsylvania indie wrestler like Ron Zombie or something? Yeah, I don't think it was Rob Zombie, the singer. So there's that. Three PW tag title match. Greg Matthews and the Rock and Rebel retain their titles, beating America's Most Wanted, Chris Harrison, James Storm. Wow. Then a three-way dance where Devin Moore and Drew Blood beat JT Moses and Judas Gray and the prime, primetime players, Mike Brown and Teddy Fine. Then we have B-Boy of a Ruckus, CJ O'Doyle, O'Doyle Rules, went to a double count-out with Greg Spitz in a strap match. Oh, that's a cheap finish. Simon Diamond over Slick Wagner Brown, in their main event for the 3PW Heavyweight title, Roadkill retained the title over Just Incredible. What a show this is. All kinds of different names and stuff on here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all kinds of local names, TNA names. I mean, it's wild on this show. And Rock and P- Rebel. Well, cool. well, well of yes, course. license, I know, but still, go ahead. But, I mean, 3PW was an interesting promotion in this landscape of Northeast wrestling because, well, at least in the Philadelphia area, because Ring of Honor is, you know, pretty much the Philly promotion. Chikara is also running Philadelphia. We'll talk about them in a minute. I mean, CCW was basically back in New Jersey mainly, but still. 3PW just seemed like this. I'm pretty sure CCW was was running the arena plenty at the time. Because we're going to be talking about next and next was technically the wrestling school show yeah, for the right. combined CZW Chikara school you're that was running right. out of the you're arena. You're right, you're right. So 3PW just seemed like this interesting bird that was running at the time. And you know what? It's a it was a I guess a good thing because they weren't being the same type of promotion that everybody else was. Yes. You know? They weren't being a super indie, so to speak. They were using all kinds of different people, you know, a, a hodgepodge, so yeah. to speak. Some ECW here, some CZW there, some more great guys here. Yeah, so just a, a total mixed bag, which is fine. So, it's, it, it, you know, but people just re- didn't really buzz about those shows as they would buzz about the other shows. I guess mainly because of that. They were indie darlings, so to speak. Well, and at one point, too, even when they were running shows with more indie darlings, they weren't shooting or distributing them much. <laughs> I remember High Spots would sell their commercial tapes, and then they would have well, stuff. Well, after I think... a certain point, but like I remember early on... Um... I know our video would do stuff, too, of course. But I remember there were early shows where, like, I believe it was uh, Mike King Sr., was the only one that was shooting them, and he wasn't exactly putting his stuff out there that widely. Even if you knew how to get it, you could get it, but... I think the thing was that people were... Kind of, I mean, let me talk about earlier with Japanese wrestling and stuff. People were picking and choosing 
and they're picking and choosing all these super indies over something like 3PW. You know what I'm saying? When you when you're spending money, and this is 2005, so people, I mean, DVDs are starting to get more and more prevalent, but still, a lot of people are still buying VHS tapes, so it's still pricey to get stuff. Yeah. Well, 05 is a lot more DVD heavy, though. It's getting there. No, no. Well, Japanese wrestling, yes. But um, U.S. Indie wrestling, not quite. Not quite. All right. NEXT. They also ran the Alhambra Arena on June 16th for the learning curve. Ruckus over Andy Sumner. Sean Bishop over Drew Gulak. Dr. Chung and Icarus over Lance Steele and Shane Storm. Then a uh, couple of Young Lions Cup qualifying matches, the third version of the tournament. Niles Young <laughs> over Corey Castle. Uh, should I save my thoughts on Niles Young for once we finish the result? <laughs> yeah. And then Sabian over DJ High. Not Kip Sabian, but Dorfee Sabian. And DJ High in here. Here you go. Uh, Equinox and Sky Day defeated the Kings of Wrestling, Chris Hero and Claudio Castanoli. And then a CZW Junior Way title match. Mike Quackenbush retained over Kenjiro Matsuyama. Who's that? He was uh, Michinoku Pro. Um, okay. I think he was Michinoku Pro. I'm trying to remember. He was one of the Japanese uh, guys. I mean, he was a guy who was going to be a. Uh, yeah, he was Michinoku Pro. He was going to be a guy. He was a comedy guy. Thought, he was going to be the next stalker. Yes, I, Stalker Ishikawa. Yes, I, it, yeah. Wikipedia says I don't. Let me see what the citation is. It was like a kabuki, a, a, a kabuki type gimmick. Yes. Okay. Citing an issue of Weekly Pro Wrestling, it says that along with Kikutaro and Stalker Ishikawa, he's considered one of the greatest three comedy wrestlers in Japan. But he was the Torimon guy first, and then went to Michinoku Pro. I remember him in Michinoku Pro, but he was Torimon trainee at first. Oh, so. along with like the Sato twins and guys like that. Yeah, in that in that group, Ishimori. Yeah. That okay. All right. So like I was saying, next – so at the time, I don't even remember how it happened, and this is why they're in this era you have people who are like kind of considered to have both as their home promotion. Chikara had moved their school to the former ECW arena where CCW also had their school. So basically the two schools were unified as the next dojo. And that's why you have someone like Drew Gulak, who is considered pretty much both a CZW-trained guy and a Wrestle Factory-trained guy. And I don't think they did the next shows long, though, did they? No. Not at all. They had the combined school for at least a few years, though, I believe. Yes, yes. But these shows branded as next that were these kind of showcases for the students and stuff didn't last that long. All right, Niles Young, how much of this should I go over? Should I just say, fuck Niles Young? Niles Young, I mean, I'll I'll handle it for you. This is kind of a, a touchy subject for you. But Niles Young's a guy who, what was the other name he used? I don't know what his last name is. I guess his shoot name, though, his first name that he goes by now is Sozio. Sozio uh, did that interview with uh, that piece of shit, David Starr, recently that... Uh, people were uh, david Starr's first biggest interview in the last two years since all that bullshit happened with him and uh yeah it, it was a controversial interview to say the least so yeah 
That's enough. We're going to talk about David Starr on the show. Fuck that ass. Yes. Fuck All David right. Starr. Fuck Niles Young slash shows, you know. And let, I won't get into specifics, but if you admit to something and you never delete the tweet where you admit to it, this thing you did that was bad and wrong that you admitted to, stop fucking acting like you didn't do anything. There you go. <laughs> All right, Chikara. They ran the day later at the Riverside Beneficial Building in Reading, Pennsylvania for a show named Stop Making Sense. We have another Young Lions Cup qualifying match. It's Crossbones beat Andy Sumner. Equinox and Sky Day beat Darkness Crabtree and Dr. Chung. Then we got some more Young Lions Cup qualifying matches. Matt Bomboy over Denmark. Icarus over Kendra Masayama. Shane Storm over Twitter, Wrestling Twitter's Gran Akuma. Claudio Castanoli over Jolly Roger. And then we have some uh, non-tournament matches. Chris Hero over Sabian. And a uh, main event of Jigsaw, Mike Quackenbush, and Reckless Youth over Blind Rage, Hollow Wicked, and Ultramantis Black. That has to be one of Rex's last matches, right? Yeah, that's like a, but that's like a Chikara, you know, that's a match you would have seen three years earlier on the early Chikara show. So it's interesting to see Reckless here, yeah. Which everyone forgets, too. Like, when the Wrestle Factory opened, it was not Quack School, it was Quack and Reckless's school. Mm-hmm. Um, looking real quick at his cage match. Okay, he continued to work for, like, NWA East a little, but mainly UWC. And he did a little bit more Chikara in 0506, but for the next several years, he did occasional stuff for UWC, I guess mainly because he's friends with Jeff Bradley. And, uh, his last match was 2010, where, uh, he lost a three-way to Biggie Biggs that also included Twiggy Ramirez. For the UWC heavyweight title. Hmm. So. Yes. And, and there you go. Yeah. I was also saying now that it, there's no more Chikara fabe in 2022. Darkness track. Darkness Crabtree was quack. <laughs> I don't remember who Dr. Chung was, though. Maybe Wang Chung. Who knows? Yes. Also, I, I do. Everybody miss, Wang like, Chung tonight. In terms of, like, show naming conventions, I do miss things like naming shows after Talking Heads albums. Not everything needs to be named after a rap song or album. Or movies. Yes. But, like, there were a bunch of Chikara shows that were named after Talking Heads songs and albums, right? Because wasn't there, I, I definitely remember there being a more songs about building and food, buildings and food. Yeah. All right, NWA Anarchy. They're in the NWA Arena on June 18th at Cornelia, Georgia, on a 75 fans. As we had Jeremy V going to a double DQ with Slim J. Seth DeLay and Patrick Bentley beat Skeeter Frost and Nick Halen. Murder one over Billy Buck. Gabriel Nazareth, the Lost Boys, over Adam Roberts and TC Carners by disqualification. Then we had Jeff Lewis over Strict Nine. Rayman retained the Anarchy heavyweight title, beating Todd Sexton. And then Michael Adrian, as or as Russell today as Michael Judas, beat Iceberg in your main event. So, uh, yeah, there you go. And then a lot of these guys are still working. Um, Michael Adrian still works with Michael Judas. He's down here a lot in my neck of the woods. Uh, Todd Sexton, Booker, works for uh, Southern Fried Championship Wrestling. Jeff Lewis works as uh, a Koloff, one of the fake Koloffs now, with Tyson, Tyson Dane. Yeah. Um uh, Mur- Murder One still works on occasion, so there's that. Slim J, of course, still works. So uh, yeah, so a uh, lot of uh, 
interesting names here. And of course, you know, some of these guys we talked about on, uh, I saw on Bad Street, you know, from three years earlier. But uh, yeah, there they are, NWA Anarchy. Well, this is very early for Anarchy, too, right? Very early, yes. First year. Yeah, because when did Wildside close? 04. Oh, it's in 0405 area, let's put that way. Okay. Um, and Anarchy the whole time has been a Rick Michaels thing, right? He was involved. Or is he not anymore? Or... I thought he no, was No, no, not now. No, not now, but he was involved. So Okay, gotcha. He's been in and out. Okay. Oh, so he was a book, the booker at times, but was it's wait, so who's the promoter of Anarchy? I mean, Bill Barron's is involved in Anarchy. Dan's involved heavily with Van Anarchy. But I don't I mean, think it's it Bill's a... now, is it? No, not now. <laughs> no, I, I was trying to understand now. the history more broadly, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So, gotcha. Everybody's been in and out. Okay. I can't tell you. And at least according to Cage Match, the first Anarchy show is May 21st. So they just opened. All right. Oh, and on the first show, Heath, Heath Slater, Heath Miller. Yeah, he was working back then, too. Yeah. All right, the IWA East Coast. They ran Dunbar, West Virginia, the National Guard Army on June 15th for 300 fans. Josh Hayes and Warpig went to a no contest. Mickey, Mickey Knuckles over Ann Thrax. Uh... Everyone's favorite promoter these days, Ian Rotten, won a false going to wear a match over Trick Nasty. Man Man Pondo won a steel cage match over Raven. Chris Hero retained IW East Coast Heavyweight title over Eric Cannon. And then Necro Butcher won a no DQ match over El Drunko. So 2005 means we are in the thick of the Chris Hero backlash and the Eric Cannon watches Chris Hero and emulates too clo- Chris Hero too much backlash as well, right? <laughs> I guess you could say that. Because, I mean, it had been a storyline like in 0405 that led up to Hero's heel turn in IWA Mid-South, which I think extended here, and led to the canon feud. Like, that was a weird storyline. Chris Hero is doing too many cravats and wrestling too many long matches. <laughs> well, I mean, it's IWA Mid-South. I mean, sometimes, you know, you want to see the death matches. <laughs> We want to see yeah. the hardcore stuff. We want to see this guy laying around the mat all night. Well, let's get to actual <laughs> IWA uh, Mid-South here as we go to the night before uh, the Punk title win. Yeah, he's in IWA Mid-South working at the show Midlothian in Illinois on June 17th at the Partnership Recreation Center on a show named It's Clobberin' Time! Hey. Opening match, Chandler McClure over Mark Wolf. IW missed up tag titles. The Iron Saints, Sal and Vito Tomaselli retained over Ryan Boz and Tricks, Trick Davis. Tricks, Trick Davis. Brad Bradley over Eric Priest. Nate Webb over Mary Brave. Rain over Mickey Knuckles by disqualification. Tyler Black over Delirious. Eric Cannon over Alex Shelley. Josh Abercrombie retained the heavyweight title over Brandon Tomaselli. And then a match for the combined IWM Mid-South NWA Indiana heavyweight titles. Jimmy Jacobs retained over Danny Daniels. And then your main event, Jerry Lynn over CM Punk. So Punk does a job for Jerry Lynn the night before his big Ring of Honor uh, title win. Yes, yes. Say, don't two of these guys on on the show have a wrestling school that someone we know went to? Oh, uh, yes. Black yeah. and Brave. Yes, yeah. Whatever happened to Tyler Black, anyway? 
The New York Post said he's on the run of his life right now, from what I just saw on, on Twitter today as I was uh, looking at my Twitter feed. So there you go. Oh, and, he pro- and he really is. I mean, he <laughs> I mean, did just have one of the best matches of his career a week ago. <laughs> but the thing is, though, is in this gimmick, this new gimmick, he's really found himself, and he's performing his ass off. Well, I got to give him credit. Just the problem is, he's it's not at the greatest of times creatively for WWE, but he's going out there having you know having the time of his life. I've liked the whole Cody feud too, as far as the matches and the angles have been better than. Most of WWE, so... I mean, if, if this uh, freaking Rollins gimmick was around maybe five years earlier, who knows how different... Five or even maybe even longer than that now. Yeah. Who, who knows how different things would have been for him, but hey, he's doing great now. I think it helps that he's just cutting loose and having fun all the time, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and uh, anything else on this show? or We'll save the comments for after we go over the second show, I guess. Yeah, because they ran the next night in Hammond, Indiana, the National Guard Army for a new beginning. Mark Wolf over C.J. Otis in your opener. Danny Daniels over Trick Davis. Mickey Knuckles won a no-DQ match over Rain. Brad Bradley uh, beat Eddie Venom. Two out three falls match for the IWA Lightweight title. Josh Abercrombie retained over Matt Seidel. Eric Priest over Chandler McClure. And then, which led to Chandler McClure and Eric Priest teaming up, beating Ryan Boz and Trick Davis. Merritt Brave over Nate Webb. Sal Vito Tomaselli, the Iron Saints over Brandon Tomaselli and Tyler Black. Eric Cannon over Chad Collier. And the main event, a no DQ match, Sabu over Ian Rotten. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good looking uh, IWA shows here. And Dave Prezak is an- announcing some of his final IWA shows this time period. So there you go. Yes, final I- IWA shows of this era before his return uh, a decade or so later. Yes. Yes, because I, should we just tell the story? Because it's, I mean, it's the story that was out there at the time. So it's pretty simple. Um, so there's a show within, what, a few weeks of this, I think, where all of a sudden... Everyone shows up at the building, and for the first time in IWA, Ian decides to team up Jimmy Jacobs and BJ Whitmer and have them lose. They were the ROH Tag Champs at the time. And out of nowhere, this is the first time where uh, they're teaming up in IWA. So it felt like it was... uh, it felt like a deliberate, weird political bullshit move on Ian. You don't part. say. Well, <laughs> and there were other issues too, but still, that was the big one everyone talked about at the time. I'm and shocked. That led to the end. Of, so it was BJ, Jimmy, Prezak. Did anyone else leave? Uh, pretty much everybody that was involved in Ring of Honor. So did Seidel leave too? Um, maybe. It's been a while. I can't remember all the Such details. A stupid, cut off your nose to spite your face move. But it's Ian Rotten, so <laughs> he would never do such a thing, Bix. Yeah, I don't. I, I've always gotten along with Ian, but uh, he he definitely has some faults, as we are seeing again this week as we record this. But I I don't know if you heard about this because I know you didn't watch. But during the uh, Deathmatch Hall of Fame speech that Madman Pondo was giving for J.C. Bailey a few weeks ago, uh, Pondo understandably, would refuse to mention Ian by name and would only refer to him as piece of shit. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. Uh, now we have... In- oh, I remember this story very well. 
a wild story from uh, the AWS Alternative Wrestling Shop show at City of Industry, California on June 18th, where it was a major scare as wrestler Human Tornado was wrestling Adam Pierce in the main event, collapsed in the middle of the match. Pierce pinned him as schedule, but he didn't get up. He ended up being rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. Luckily for him, it was ruled only as dehydration. I mean, those shows were outside in the parking lot, right? Um, yeah, I think so. So, it happens. June 18th in SoCal, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was damn hot as hell, and th- I remember this going down, I remember going to the SoCal Uncensored board at the time, and tr- trying to keep up the date on it. I mean, it was, it was a big deal, because people thought that, you know, Tornado could have had some real serious issue. Luckily, he didn't. He was fine. But... Yeah, this was a scary moment. Because, yeah, remember, it's 2005. We still have a lot of wrestlers that are dying. Yes. You know, I mean, we're not, I mean, heat not just here, but Japan and all that stuff. So, yeah, just not a great time for a scare like that with wrestlers. All right, the results of this show, Little Nate won a three-way over Little Cholo and Quicksilver. Johnny Paradise and Desire beat Silver Tiger and Nikki. The Plague over Chino. Chris Bosch and Scott Loss beat Hook Bomberry and Lionheart. Scorpio Sky and Puma beat Ricky Reyes and Pinoy Boy. You want to tell me about who Pinoy Boy was, Bix? TJ Perkins, who I didn't think was still wrestling as Pinoy Boy at this point. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Los Chivos, Kayam and Enigma de Oro, retained their titles, beating Davey Richards and Alcatraz. Big Bobby Slim over Joey Ryan by his qualification. And Adam Pierce over the Human Tornado. And yes, Joey Ryan at this time was not the Joey Ryan that he would become. No, this is Joey Ryan of X Foundation. He's not doing the gimmick that... Uh, Lost Boys, yeah, that hair of Joey Ryan, yes. That he would become famous and later infamous under. But all of that said, fuck Joey Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yes indeed. Yeah. All right. Now, another sad story as we go to Northern California. The wrongful death lawsuit filed by the parents of former All-Pro Wrestling student Brian Ong against All-Pro Wrestling and Roland Alexander went to court June 16th in Hayward, and the trial began on June the 20th. Ong passed away after taking a bad landing from a spine bust and practice from Dalip Giant Singh. Golly. He had been injured prior to taking the slamming drills. Okay. Where do we start with this? Um... They win a judgment. They're going to court. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As Roland would say years later on Cabana's podcast, he had insurance. Insurance paid for it. And he even said, and I kind of believe him, I mean, it's Roland Alexander, but still. He said, that is why the APW school always costs so much. Which, I mean, makes sense. It was a school without names and a garage. Right? Like you better be damn insured. But also, like they charged six grand when everyone else charged three grand, and this is in you know late nineties, early two thousands money. You know, uh, and they were and they were also one of the most famous wrestling schools at the time as well. But I mean, I mean, if you're gonna be you know have insurance, like I said, you got to pass that buck on. Well, now in. <sighs> And look, it's his business, the buck stops with him. I always felt like he got a little bit too much personal blame, though. 
Like, well, is he you know why that is. Because it's Roland, but let me finish. Yeah. Obviously, as the business owner, he is responsible. That said, from the facts of the case, the person that had the most personal responsibility by far was Donovan Morgan. Yes. Donovan Morgan was the one who saw him hit his head and throw up after and told him to go back in the ring and keep doing the spots and drills and stuff. Yeah. You know, like, I hope he's had his own way of dealing with that, and I'm sure it was not on purpose, and it's a little bit of a different era, so I give him a little bit of a pass with that in terms of his mindset at the time, but... Well, here's the thing. Don, I mean, Donovan Morgan had been around Noah and that whole ja- the Japanese mentality, and how many times that has that happened? The Japanese dojos. Yeah. So it's it's a more complicated story than the way people normally tell it. Either way, you know. Um, and you know, there are the stories of Roland trying to dodge the subpoena, which could be true. I don't know. So if he did that, that's bullshit. But, and look, I think we have to believe him that insurance paid for it because once the trial was kind of, and the court case was done away with, I mean, APW kind of finally went back to normal. Yeah, but it, did, it didn't have nearly the luster no, that it did before this. It was never the same, but it continued on being a functional business. No, that, it did do that, but it, it definitely wasn't one of the premier indie promotions in the in the country, you know? I mean, no. which it, it had been because, I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, they featured on Beyond the Mat. You had all these guys that came from there that got, you know, got work in major promotions, Japan, such and such, you know? But the lawsuit I mean, had, also wasn't even on. the reason for that. I mean, it was... No, I mean they had the started going. They they and, had started going yeah. down anyway. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was just another part of the whole story. Well, also it went from being a wrestling school promotion that had all of the past graduates who had become polished workers to being more of a wrestling school promotion straight up because most of those guys left to go to Iron when Modest and Morgan started. Yeah. So. It, with, it, you know, he brought in good talent. You know, there were those shows where he brought in Super Dragon and guys like that that were very good, you know, early in that era. But it was never going to be the same once Modest Morgan and everyone else left. Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about WWE Developmental here because um, it's not enough to have its own section and then want to put it in the crowded WWE section as well. So let's go to Ohio Valley first in the torch. Jim Cornette returned to Ohio Valley at the June 15th TV tapings. He cut a very long promo that took some veiled digs at WWE authority figures who suspended him going just far enough to save face without getting himself suspended again. He's back to writing TV every week. Word within OVWs, everyone's looking forward to his return. Tommy Dreamer and Lance Storm have been formatted in TV shows and will be more than happy to hand that responsibility back to Cornette. There's concern that Cornette will not keep his cool when he has to deal with some of the storylines that veered off the path he would have gone. And Storm will depart OVW at the end of this month when his current WWE contract expires. He will open up a Calgary training school and has expressed hope that it will eventually become a WWE of developmental territory. So here's Lance getting his school going. So, and we all know how that's done. But, yeah, um, Cornette, 
Uh, not long, though. He's not no. long for here. Should I look up exactly when the Santino thing happens? Because it's not long. We did the show. We did the show about that, didn't we? No, I think we did, but I don't remember the date. So let me see. So uh, that would have been like August. I'm checking. Okay, Wikipedia is wrong because Wikipedia says that the that suspension was May, but no, that's the the um, Kevin Furtick thing where he snapped at him for wrestling a dark match in a sombrero. So let me look. Jim Cornette released 2005. Uh, it says July on what's coming up right here. Uh, looks like Wrestling Inc. has a story from July 9th. So yeah. Uh, really so yeah. Three weeks away. <laughs> weeks weeks three, four away. Weeks, yeah. Um, this is not defending him, but... Once they started taking away the amount of autonomy they gave him, and he start needed to start playing along with their company gimmicks, which is really how they should have handled things at the beginning, um, he was going to snap. Something was going to happen. Yeah. I don't think anyone expected the other shoe to drop so quickly. No. Um... I remember that was kind of a big deal about the whole thing at the time. But, you know, look, I mean, obviously he had to be fired. Um, and one thing I'm curious about, I don't remember, had he ever lost it on someone just in terms of yelling the way he had on Fertig in May? Or was that the first time anything like that had happened? Uh, they got in trouble for because the only story I can think of off the top of my head where he goes off on someone in OVW earlier is the Lesnar thing, and hey, he was justified with that. You know, for those who don't know the story, um, Stacy, Jim's wife, was supposed, to, you know, as Sin, was supposed to work a spot with Lesnar where, what was it, he press slammed her or picked her up for a press slam and then got hit by one of the heels or something? And she had gotten a sensitive piercing recently. He was told to be careful, and he wasn't. Yeah, I can see where he would get pissed off about that. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, granted, he has some power over him at the time, but on some level, you can appreciate that he was willing to go off on Brock Lesnar. Yeah. If he's going off on Brock Lesnar, then uh, he will go off on anybody. Yes. Because um, Brock at that time was, my God, massive. Yes. And freak athlete and all that. You know, just off winning the NCAAs, too, as he at heavyweight. So, I mean, I, I feel like there might be a story about him yelling at Linda Miles, but I don't know. Um, I might be confusing that with something else. But, look, he, clear, he clearly needed his timeout over the Furtick thing, because even though you can see why he would have been miffed, he should not have lost it on the guy the way he did. And then obviously putting his hands on Santino. That was going to be the end of things. And that's another guy. Santino's a tough dude. No, <laughs> I had no idea who Santino was. <laughs> but still. <laughs> so, yeah. And All right, you know, they were, yeah. I was going to say, like, for as much as people say that Santino got his job out of spite, he probably got his job out of being a legit tough guy who kept his cool and didn't do anything to Cornette. Yes. It's probably more that. And then he kept his job because of how entertaining he was. Who knew that? So there you go. All right. 
they ran a show at the Paramarks Arena in Louisville on June 17th for 900 fans. As we had the Thrill Seekers, Johnny Jeter and Matt Capitelli beat Ken Anderson and Paul Burchill. Hey, we've already talked about this kind of sort of earlier. Uh, TV title, Duchesne uh, went to a draw with Kenny Doan, retained his title. Seth Skyfire and Lisa Lurie over Mike Mondo and Miss Blue. Blaster Lashley went to no contest with Danny Inferno. Submission match for OVW Heavyweight title, Brent Albright retained over Lance Cade. And Chris Cage and Jerry Lawler in Louisville uh, defeated the Blonde Bombers, Chad Tank Tolan. So, yeah, this is the crew we talked about earlier in the punk segment of Ohio Valley, who they were pushing at the time. Yes. So, there's that. All right. The new Atlanta territory is not officially open, but head trainer Bill DeMott is headed training sessions in the ring with wrestlers. No live events are scheduled, and no TV show start date is set. WWE has found out how hard it is to start developmental territory from scratch, one source told The Torch. Yeah. And that's what they did. I mean, I mean, this ain't this ain't OVW, this ain't Heartland. They are starting from scratch, and I think they learned their lesson here when it came to no, how to do it. No, they came. didn't, Chris. What comes next? I th- well, I mean, they go to f- the, the Florida. You're forgetting how ridiculous everything was in Florida. They didn't even have a functional school with a ring for months. Eventually, they learned because of their zoning lesson. issues. <laughs> Eventually, they learned their lesson. They learned well. Also, they they absolutely should have had it in house for years before they took it in house. Yeah, which they don't even do till because NXT at first was just the FCW TV. FCW still existed for a while after the NXT rebrand. Um, so let me think. So yeah, it's not till like 2013 that everything is fully unified with the Performance Center opening. And that yeah. was much later than it should have been. Um, and then on top of everything else, maybe they're finally learning it again, I don't know. It, it's really amazing to me still just how little they learned their lesson of what made those best OVW classes in the early 2000s good that it was having great veteran journeyman workers uh, in OVW for them to work with. Well, the thing now, though, is they finally have a chance to go out and work live events again. Yes, the Largo Loop is back as of the weekend before we uh, recorded this. Yeah, so... So that's good. But yeah, Deep South... uh, Deep South had problems, and Bill DeMott was one of them. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) Um... And that building that they were running in is back to having shows again. That's the one in Lovejoy? That's the one in uh, Looks Grove. Okay. Or McDonough. And that, it, oh, that's, that's Lovejoy uh, is the original Deep South, right? Yeah, that's Jody Hamilton's spot, yeah. But this is where... Um, well, this is this Jody is Hamilton's having, spot, too. Well, yeah. But this is... They're having those shows now where... Uh, bu- 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 who's running that? It's the promotion that uh, Lenny's announcing for it. It's on uh, Fight TV. Oh, 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 uh, 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 Gresham's thing. Yeah, Gresham's thing. I'm yeah, forgetting Gresham's what the name there. is. The one that's not Terminus. Um, I didn't yeah. realize that's what that building was. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, pretty damn sure it's the same building. Oh, God. What is it? Uh, modern grap something grappling? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that. Interesting. Because it was a... Uh, it was interesting commentary team of Lenny Leonard and Colt Cabana. Yeah, Colt. And Colt's wrestling. He wrestles on those shows. So... Yeah. Yes. Also, a bunch of guys, uh, I don't know if it's because of the setting of a former wrestling school or what. Uh, boy, did they decide to dress like they were shooting customs. 
<laughs> Modern age grappling, that's what it is. Yeah, there you go. But Deep South, and what's the other thing I was going to say, though, with that? Um, just a weird promotion. I saw some of the TV when it was airing on MAV TV, like on a month-long delay. Uh, it just didn't click. Um, maybe some of it was the talent they sent there. I don't know, but... It should have been better than what it was. Yeah, FCW, for all of its faults, was much better than Deep South. Yeah. All right, let's close that with World Wrestling Entertainment now. And uh, a lot going on here. Of course, 2005. Uh, we start with Pro Wrestling Torch. Vincent Mann's given zero consideration to consolidating Raw SmackDown the one combined roster. There were some wondering whether that was in the cars, since the draft seemed to be slanting so strongly towards Raw, and was SmackDown moving towards Fridays during the final year of its UPN deal, there had been some speculation that my man may have been giving up on the brand split. Well, he doesn't. But I think going to Fridays definitely made it where Raw would now get more of the top-heavy guys. Yes, and this was, and it wasn't the first time they had done lopsided drafts either. But the move to Fridays is a big change in terms of because this is Cena. Cena's gone to Raw. That's the big one, you know, the big move. Mm -hmm. So, and we'll talk more as we go along about other people moving, but that was the big move. So, yeah, it's just you know, it's, it's what it was. They were lame duck on UPN for that season. So for that last year, yeah, well, which was yeah. weird because they they end up being brought back for. Well, wait, CW is when? When does CW All launch? Right. The following year. After so yeah, this? September oh six. Yeah. So so that's interesting too. So they were on. So not only were they picked up for CW as one of the, you know two shows from the UPN and WB being merged, and one of what was it two UPN shows. It was just SmackDown yeah. and Veronica Mars, right? Yeah. That got picked up. So they got a new they got a new contract though for that too. Yeah. And they were, you know, treated also more respect, but they have more love, so to speak, in that deal. So there you go. Well, uh, it wasn't Don Don Ostroff at UPN put in charge of CW at first. At first, yeah. But Anyway, all right. Uh, at press time, there were still no decisions made regarding ECW other than Dave's pretty sure they are going to keep the brand name alive. There was no mention whatsoever of ECW on the June 20th Raw. In a year, Dave would expect them to do another pay-per-view, and they do, but no decision has been made in that direction. And a lot depends on their plans regarding Paul Heyman, whose contract runs out at the end of this year. Nobody from the one night stand preview has been signed at this point. The only person they are seriously negotiating with is Sabu. And those, those negotiations we heard are about more than a week before the pay-per-view. The reason we are getting is Sabu is not going to sign. None of the key ECW players will commit elsewhere. Read that TNA. Signing a commitment for proposed house shows run by Shane Douglas under the Hardcore Homecoming banner, Gladiator, or anyone else starting up. Because they're waiting to see if there's WWE interest. Sandman hadn't signed at press time. Some were joking about eyes for talent when Lauren Nina suggested to Vince about signing Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney because he thought their look would make them an interesting gimmick underneath tag team. 
Yeah, Big Johnny came on that show. Uh, the sign act balls and axe on the most. Big, about that? Uh, he, he told me he sucks his blood, his wife's blood. I almost said his blood's wife. <laughs> his blood's wife. <laughs> uh. Well, they did have an interesting look. So th- th- there is that. And then new ECW happens a year later, and who gets signed? Surprisingly, Balls Mahoney. And wasn't Axel there very briefly? He may have been, yeah. I think he was signed but, and then got fired for Axel Rodden reason. Yeah, Balls was there lo- longer, of course. Yes. And at the angle his, with Kelly Kelly. <laughs> I was about to say, he had his crush on Kelly Kelly. Yeah. SmackDown on June 16th from Hershey, Pennsylvania, open with JBL cutting the promo. This is Brian Alvarez giving the SmackDown review. Yay! JBL's back on my good side after the ECW pay-per-view. He cut a promo saying he was very happy for all the ECW guys because their favorite was such a big success that many of the participants have been promoted to their, at their local fast food franchise. <laughs> now he said their 15 minutes of fame was over and then go back to bagging his groceries and driving him around. He said they would never be SmackDown superstars because there was only one, yes, only one SmackDown superstar, and that was John Bradshaw Layfield. The Brett Bashams and whoever the U.S. champion is looked sideways, unhappy to be buried alongside everyone else. What's the U.S. champion's name? Yes, I had to ask Vince. Orlando Jordan, he replied. That's right. Orlando Jordan, the torchbearer of SmackDown, the only singles champion left on the show. Well, there is Paul London, Vince interjected. Because Cena was the <laughs> world champion now on Raw. Um, yeah, so anyway, Chris Benoit came out. You see, he was there for a match with Doug Basham, which indicates he had something to do with putting this baby together. Good to see the first draft hit for SmackDown here working the opener. Basham got the heat, throwing a chest first to the turnbuckle. Brian wondered if there was people around America that watched the show and thought to themselves, gee, Doug Basham is pretty good. Actually, I wonder if there were WWE executives who made this comment. Benoit's comeback began when he just started making a comeback. What I mean was there was no real transition. He just all of a sudden started chopping Doug real hard, and it was on. Doug cut him off, hit a superplex. He went for something on the map, but Benoit pinned him with a wacky lucha roll. Yes, he fluke pinned Doug Basham. It's a good match, though. Bad guys quadruple team Benoit afterwards, but then lights went out, and Undertaker's dong returned. He beat the bad guys up, and everyone cheered except me. It was strange to look at the Undertaker and suddenly realize that this man is now someone's father. He already been someone's father. Tay Long came out and signed Undertaker versus JBL for the main event. Holla holla, player. Wait, did he have kids in his first marriage? Oh, yeah. I, I guess he did, right? Yes! Okay. <laughs> um, well, his first or second marriage, I should say. <laughs> poor, poor Bashams. Oh, God. Because, I mean, you watch those guys in OVW, and so great there. As uh, Doug and Damager. And they get here, and they just—they did not know how to use him. Nope. And especially since, like, you look at what made them good in OVW. Both of them could talk. Doug, especially. Um, Damage Danny was tall, could work. Doug, you know, wasn't small, was pretty decent-sized guy with a great physique and could work his ass off and they were so they were they 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 were southern the stigma was they were southern. i guess and then they make doug shave his head and make them brothers and Cornette had to book his way out of it because they just got brought to tv and did that out of nowhere one day while still in ovw and 
a great another great cornet moment. Yeah, I mean, it's probably his most resourceful, I, I would think. But you know, and it's like for all you know, anything we can say about Cornette, a lot of it's valid. He is absolutely right to carry the ire he does for just how many of the best OVW guys in especially the early to mid two thousands basically had their love of wrestling driven out of them by WWE. Mm-hmm. Basham's, Chris Cage, Johnny Jeter. All because they were for Ohio Valley Wrestling, mainly, too. And they were Ohio Valley guys. They weren't guys that were signed by WWE. They were guys that were in Ohio Valley Wrestling that got deals. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Of those guys, are any of the ones who were signed and then sent to OVW in that You don't hear that conversation. problem, mainly. I mean, you you have some you have some people get that had, that got fucked up along the way, but it was all the guys that were in OVW that got deals for being OVW, like your Densmore, your your Bashams, your Rob Conways, those types of guys. Now, interestingly enough, I guess you can't say that as much for the women who went to, to OVW that way, right? Because. Well, Jillian went on her own. Beth went on her. Beth Phoenix went on her own. Yeah, but they're different. They're not Southern. Yeah, well, Jillian was, is, but but Beth, but Beth isn't. Was Mickey signed first? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, it's crazy how that works. But anyway, Eddie Guerrero, Russell Paul London next. Do not ask why this match is taking place. Cole explained that Paul requested it because he was sick of being disrespected by Eddie. At least someone's paying attention to the storylines. London made a big comeback and ran wild. Well, until he got caught in the top rope and took a stupid bump on the back of his head. Eddie hit what was described as a brain buster, then put him in a Texas Cloverleaf for a submission. I guess they figured they didn't do a good enough job last week killing the Cruiserweight division, Brian said. Eddie refused to release the hold afterwards until Rey Mysterio made the save with a series of hard chair shots. It's hilarious watching Fit Finley and four of the men having to pull ti- little tiny Ray off of Eddie. Oh, because we're in the middle of that feud. Yeah. That's right, yeah, Do- because Dominic is, uh, I think, the next week. That he first appears? Uh, that Yeah. Either next week or week after, one of the two. Uh, actually, wait, pull- I think the following week... Oh, no, no, wait, I'm thinking of the babyface match. That's 04, right? I was thinking of when's yeah. that really great Ray Eddie match on SmackDown. But I'm not sure if that's it. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is the this is setting up SummerSlam, right? And the custody of Dominic match and all that. Yeah, they plugged one night stand replay. Taz starts talking about what a great night it was. I thought, wow, they're not going to ignore this evening. They're not going to ignore it this evening. But no sooner should I speak than they cut backstage to Ray and Eddie brawling, and when Ray accidentally locked himself behind the door. Read that sentence again. Nothing like a stupid baby face. What? Okay, I mean, I'll see if I can pull this up. I'm curious to see what actually happened, because this does have a chapter mark. Um, okay, let's see. It looks like it's a uh, metal, like, whatever door. Like, a not a garage door, but, you know, the other kind of thing that like like that. Okay, let's see what the hell happens here. I don't want to do too many clips, but, I, but we need to understand what's happening here. Feel What's Ray looking for now? What are we doing? That's weird on a pre-taped show. Why didn't they just cut out Taz's false start there? And Ray looks like a member of the Dark Order here. 
No. What you well, where's the hell's Eddie going? Wait a minute. Well, the door's coming down. Ray's closing the door. He's trying to seal Eddie in there. And Eddie Guerrero running for Mysterio. No, Ray threw it. Oh my goodness. I, I can't. I, I can't. I can't believe this. Let me, let me tell you something. Okay, Ray pressed the button to lower the door to the loading dock for no apparent reason. I guess he was going to lock the door so he could beat the shit out of Eddie. Inside? But then he threw Eddie out. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So why so did he throw Eddie out? out? But he threw Eddie out. <laughs> like Brian said, I'm like a stupid baby face. <laughs> yes, Brian is on the ball here. Yes. <laughs> J. Bill and his crew had an argument backstage. Both Brash and Orlando wanted the bashes to be at ringside within the night. J. Bill said no. Well, wait a minute. That didn't sound, that didn't come out right because Bradshaw and Orlando wanted them to be ringside, but JBL said no. Okay, they weren't going out with Orlando. Okay, so he Orlando wanted, but JBL said he they couldn't go out with him. There you go. Because if they got hurt, they wouldn't be there for him and his match against Undertaker. Orlando said, "What was JBL match more important than his?" JBL said, "Yes." Well, he had a point. Orlando was facing Bob Holly. So anyway, as they were arguing, the bashes announced they were quitting. So they quit. There you go. Carrito came out to host the Cabana. He plugged Big Show versus Matt Morgan for later. That is so not cool. <laughs> Charmel and Booker T came out as his guests. They were happy this week as the Mad Rapist had jumped ship. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's the the Kurt Angle feud. That's right. Where That's he right. is yeah. pursuing Charmel in a very inappropriate way. and That's right. And possibly one of the worst lines ever uttered on World Wrestling Federation programming. He cuts the promo about how he wants to have sex with Charmel and says that the type of sex he wants to have with this black woman is wild, quote unquote, bestiality type sex. <laughs> and who knew this was going to be foreshadowing for Kurt Angle's future uh, sexual proclivities? Well, so well no, 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 no. At the time, Meltzer, I believe, or Brian, maybe, I think it was Meltzer would talk about how or maybe it was a few years after this looking back on it retrospectively although i don't know why it would have been and so i think it was around this time Meltzer mentions that like for some reason and that this is making light of it, it uh kurt angle has a rep for being into black woman even though his wife is not yeah Karen, he was still married to karen at the time yes but anyway, all right, so uh, Booker claimed that Kurt was actually the last guy he wanted to see drafted the Raw because him and Charmel had been having fun whipping Kurt's ass. Carlito asked what would happen if Charmel ended up getting drafted the Raw. She would be along with Angle, and he could do whatever he wanted with her whenever he wanted, and there would be nothing Booker could do about it. Charmel said he was right. This might be the last time two of them were together on SmackDown. Therefore, they felt it was more important to give Carlito something to remember them by. That something was a beating. Charmel talks circles around her husband, and shockingly enough, WWE knows this and lets her. After commercial, Carlito was screaming at Matt Morgan for not protecting him tonight. Then Big Show's music played. When it rains, it pours. Show versus Matt Morgan. Brian's presuming Big Show hadn't started working out with Kurt Angle yet because he looked bigger and fatter than ever tonight. Morgan got the heat after Carlito interfered. Good, not good, but not. Brian expected much, much worse. Show went to show slamming through a table, but Carlito broke it up with a chair shot for the DQ. Matt Morgan then tried the F5 big show through the table, but show deadweighted him. And that's a lot of dead weight. And the show slam after all. Yay, this feud must continue. And Matt Morgan made his return to wrestling recently on the uh, Impact show, which is interesting to see. Was Joel Greenberg with him? 
<laughs> he was interviewed. Uh, Matt Morgan was not Joel Greenberg. I think yes. Joel Greenberg's in federal prison, isn't he? Uh, I don't think he's doing any interviews now. Teddy Long was shown backstage waiting for the new draft pick to arrive. I wonder if that's a clue. This man is always late. Hmm. Orlando Jordan versus Bob Holly for the U.S. title. Bob's comeback began after Orlando did a wacky dance and Bob punched him right in the face for it. Bob is such a huge prick and an asshole, but sometimes it's just impossible for me to hate him. In fact, this entire last month has been impossible. In fact, I was going as far as to say that when he did not win this, t- this match of the title, I was outraged. Finish saw him go for a sunset flip on Orlando pin and using the ropes. Robbery. Ah, oh, good old Bob Holly and his uh, stiff punches to the face and shit. <laughs> oh, Bix, here we go. <laughs> I forgot about this one. So next, Big Bad John came out, John Heinrich, with a giant candy bar and said he bet he could find a friend there in Hershey. Try the big show, Brian asked. Then four faceless divas came out instead. They were fawning all over Heinrich when, by the grace of God, Eminem interrupted. And I said that with full knowledge that this will lead to a segment with Heinrich and Eminem. Molina said everyone knew there was nothing sweeter than Eminem. The volleyball chick said, come on, they were just trying to have a little fun. Molina mocked her tremendously poor acting, and it was great. She said they were all, all they were doing was getting fat. Where Johnny Nitro yelled out, fatty! <laughs> what are you going to do? Heinrich, read me a lame poem. Are you going to ask me to be your friend, Melina asked. Maybe, said Heinrich. She said she'd never be his friend. He began to weep. Volleyball chick spear Melina. Heinrich tried to break it up, so Eminem beat him up. Beat him harder! Thankfully, this caused all the generic chicks to just leave. All right, who's our? let's see who our ladies are here. All right, so who have we got here, Picks? Michelle McCool is one of them. Michelle McCool, I, I know that. this volleyball girl. Yeah. Which one is this one? This is not all of them are Diva Search, I think. Or is, oh, is that Joy Giovanni? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, yeah, these aren't all Diva Search women, I don't think, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Who, yeah, Michelle McCool is one. And uh, who's the other blonde there? I can't tell. Is that Beth? That's not Beth Phoenix. No. Oh, here's Eminem. Okay, well... And, and and you know what? The one thing is, at least they got to keep their uh, their gimmick and stuff from OVW, and they enhanced it here. Yes. Um, I don't understand what is happening here. I need to... We need to hear Melina Heinrich. I want to hear this. Okay, I yeah, it doesn't seem... Tr- okay, it's not actually that long. So, yeah. Let me... I want to hear this acting. And Johnny Nitro yelling, fatty. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Oh, and now the network is doing you, its thing. Yeah, Yeah, of course you went back too many times. No, I didn't. It doesn't like, no, you no, it doesn't like you when you do that too many times. Hold on. One one forty is where I was. Let's see. I'm surprised it still works. What? The, 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 this version of the network. I'm surprised they still actually have it. Well, it's for international. One one forty. You're going backwards. No, uh, I no, I'm not. It's the remember the thumbnails don't fit the. All right, all right. Just we'll, we'll go back. We'll go, go back a little further. Okay. When she starts talking. Come on. All right. Here we go. Uh, all right. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, break, break oh. the box. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. 
great. <laughs> Ew. Oh, <laughs> Chocolate Hershey kisses. Tastes good. Give me a break. <laughs> Doesn't everyone know that there's nothing sweeter than Eminem? Honestly, Melina, what do you want from us? All we're trying to do is have a little fun. Actually, Michelle, all you're doing is getting fat. Daddy! <laughs> so why don't you and the dumb Pause. Get- When does Michelle McCool get hospitalized? She, yeah, that's, yeah, that one's, yeah. Because she's saying. the one that eventually has the the eating problem, the eating disorder. Well, no, technically she is hospitalized with an enlarged kidney, something most likely caused by an eating by a, a starvation oh, Because she doesn't, she she does not look like she's on that here. She looks and I mean, she looks like a normal woman. She's not looking like how she would look. She's got you know her. She got meat on her bones. So okay, speak. so uh, she is hospitalized in November of six. It looks like I forgot. Oh, so it's yeah, not a year plus, but who knows what's going on? Oh, WWE.com, I forget actually had had a thing on it. Uh, this might be the biggest I've ever seen her too, and with biggest Which is, is relative. Yes, yeah, ha- the healthiest, so to speak. Yes, um, healthiest looking. Yes, uh, yes. hospitalized was thought was general. What she thought was general sickness and acute back pain, decision to admit herself may have saved her life. An ultrasound and other extensive tests revealed that she was suffering from a large kidney and electrolyte imbalance. Condition is severe enough that she's been hospitalized for over a week, including Thanksgiving. According to WWE, Dr. Ferdinand Rios had it been left untreated. She would have encountered a myriad of other health issues such as heart or kidney failure. Quote, her condition was complicated by an electrolyte imbalance. Sometimes those cannot be corrected immediately and due to a lack of a sodium in her body, she needed a lot of intravenous fluids. During treatment, she experienced singeing pain in her chest, or she mentions a singeing pain in her chest to doctors. Um, she most likely suffered a fractured sternum in one of her matches. Oh, as well, being kicked in the chest. Uh, the support and well wishes she's received, blah, 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 keep her upbeat. She's getting better and stronger. <sighs> And then, we got Dr. Ferdinand Rios' name dropping this segment. There you go. You mean Dr. Ferdinand Rios, who signed something when he left WWE, saying that he had to tell them any time anyone reached out to ask him about WWE? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, yeah, she's definitely, like I said, the healthiest I've ever seen her right here. Shame. All right, back to the clip. Oh, right, that. Get out of the ring and let Eminem take their proper spotlight. Hey, you don't talk to me like that and you don't talk to Heidenreich's friends like that. Oh, what are you gonna do, Heidenreich? Read me a lame poem? Oh, oh, are you gonna ask me to be your friend? Oh. Let me save you the trouble. <laughs> I will never be your friend. Oh. My friends are MNM, the tag team champions. My friends are important. They are the jet set. 
A-list Hollywood trendsetters. They're not some pathetic loser who runs around the ring acting like a kindergartner on crack. <laughs> on crack. Okay, we don't need to keep watching this. There we are. We've got enough of what we need to say. Uh... <laughs> so Heinrich is... Uh, so Eugene is still in the company, right? So Heinrich is doing a... Uh, I'm going to say a version of Eugene, but he, I mean, he was pretending to be crying when Lena said he went, she wouldn't be his friend. Good lord. Okay, let's let's move on. They love making people into simpletons, so to speak, didn't they? Yeah. Some people. Next, we get JBL versus The Undertaker. Orlando came out with Bradshaw, so Benoit came out and beat him all the way to the back. There's one thing I like about The Undertaker is the fact that when I fast forward through his interest, I can burn up to at least three, five minutes, which I can then add up to the rest of my life. Undertaker looked very old this evening, which is something else, seeing how, how he's been off the road for months. Well, I guess he's had some rather life important issue, important life issues to attend uh, to, like the birth of an offspring. Taker took a hard back suplex, and I could just hear him thinking, "Why the fuck did I come back?" Hey, every JBL Undertaker match you've ever seen, or imagine a terrible nightmare. Taker finally had a choke, a choke slam, but JBL kicked out. Brothers made him soft. He went for the tombstone, but JBL whacked him in the nuts. Remember, no DQ. JBL followed up with a clothesline from hell, but Taker kicked out. Okay, they killed a bunch of finishers, and for what? Hey, shitty smacked that main event? JBL finally went up to the top to deliver 10 punches, but Taker turned into a press powerbomb. Note the wrestlers facing Undertaker. Never go up there at the end of the match. <laughs> JBL kicked out, so that left only one finisher that had not been killed, the Tombstone. Taker went for it, but Randy Orton, the newest draft pick, ran down and hit the RKO. Young Randall is apparently taking Uncle Vince's advice as he was much larger than he was the last time we saw him. JBL then crawled over and got the pin. Randy on the ramp grabbed Mike and told Taker he better get used to RKOs because he's now officially a SmackDown guy. Everyone booed except 10 girls who screamed and may have fainted. Oh, the ironies. So there you go. Randall Keith Orton now on SmackDown for his feud with Undertaker. Well, reviving his feud with Undertaker, right? Um, this or is, is this the, the original feud? feud? This is the original feud because Randy was always on Raw. Wasn't the WrestleMania feud the first feud? <sighs> I think WrestleMania 21 is... But how long has he been off with the shoulder? Yeah, wait a second. That doesn't fit either. Hold on. Let me see. WrestleMania 21 is April. But April is that 2005. when they... That's what I'm saying. Is that yeah, their... That's when they wrestled, in, they wrestled in Mania. Yeah, but... I don't think I mean, that, well, I guess it was a draft show, right? Where he comes in, but I don't think he was hurt. I, I, that was a long injury, though, where he comes in with, where we get the neck like a stack of dimes thing, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. All this shit runs together. <laughs> it all runs fucking together. So it's, it's easy to get confused on timelines at WWE. Anyway, SmackDown did, did a 3.3 rating on the Fast Nationals. I oh, it was. It was, it was May 16th. It was May 16th. There you go. I wonder if Alfred Conan will have that. And then uh, for a limited estimate of 5.13 million viewers. Well, let's be clear. What is Fast National? Fast Nationals are much more of a thing and have long been much more of a thing on broadcast television. 
the thing with the Fast Nationals lately is that no one really uses them, and you have to pay extra for them for cable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. WWE mm-hmm. is paying about two grand a week solely so they control AEW through Alfred Kanawa. Yep, so there you go. <laughs> five million viewers, huh? Yeah, five million viewers. All right, Raw. Raw opened up with John Cena coming out. This is still Brian. Update, he's still not being booed. I predict within three weeks of shitty match and a shitty match, they will turn on him. In fact, maybe that's why Chris Jericho did it. If I'd, ha- I'd have if I were him. Cena, who had a very an awful new haircut this week, ran down Y2J and Christian saying they hadn't seen nothing yet. What a threat. He called them both out for a fight, but Muhammad Hassan answered the challenge instead. Man, I thought it was bad we had to see Cena versus Tomko. This is even worse. Hassan said Cena was a typical American, not here bitching with nothing to bitch about. They didn't bleep out these words, by the way. He said Cena was welcome with cheers while he, Hassan, was welcome with hatred and booze. He said he'd been screwed left and right. He was undefeated, blah, 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 blah. Cena said this had nothing to do with Hassan being an Arab American. It had to do with him being an asshole American. They bleep asshole on my bitch. And that killed the whole punchline for people at home. He said he came out here to fight. You know, Christian and Jericho weren't going to accept. He wanted to face Hassan, which Brian said, no, 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 no. Thankfully, and I've been so happy to see this, and I have never been so happy to see this man. Eric Bischoff came out and put on the brakes, or so I thought. But I was wrong. He signed Hassan versus Cena for the WWE title later. Screw you, Eric. You killed WCW, not Vince Russo. <laughs> Hassan bailed and said he needs time to prepare. Hopefully he means four years. Okay, in all seriousness, who the fuck thought this was a good idea? Obviously Vince McMahon. That's commercial, and Bischoff said it was time to reveal the newest draft pick. Braun has done it again, he said. They were three for three. But first, he said he wanted to bring out a man who was the crown jewel of last year's draft, Shelton Benjamin. Eric congratulated him on holding the top, Intercontinental title longer than he was in the last 10 years. Eric was stammering through this promo like he'd forgotten half what he's supposed to say. Shelton grabbed the mic and said he already knew where Eric was going. He said like a taboo Tuesday. He surprised Chris Jericho won the title. Eric was going to make him defend the belt against surprise draft pick. Which surprise draft pick turned out to be? Carlito! Eric was clapping and cheering and whooping and carrying on and shutting on the same look on his face that everyone else did, asking, why is Eric so happy to be drafting Carlito? <laughs> Which leads to Shelton versus Carlito for the IC title. Well, I hope that unlike a taboo Tuesday, Shelton had some time to prepare for this match. Because I'll have high hopes of Carlito trying to call the whole thing in the ring. Shelton tried a wacky flip dive over the top rope to the floor, but caught his foot on the ropes and plunged down to earth crashing violently and nearly breaking Carlito's ankle in the process. Somehow they both lived. This match was so bad, I got thinking maybe they're trying to call it in the ring. Shelton made a big comeback and no one cared. He was on the messed up from the botch diver selling like it like he was. Picked up a bit in the last minute. Carlito finally rolled them up and grabbed the rest to win the match in the belt. Oh yes, after eight months, this was how it ended for Shelton. With a terrible match. Sucks to be him. Well, I mean, he had it for eight months, which in WWE in that era, that's insane to have a title for that long. Yeah. And Carlito was the draft pick, and they're trying to get him over, so I get the title change. And also, even if it's a retread of what they did before, it seems like they're trying to make Carlito's gimmick the guy who wins a secondary title in his debut. 
Yes. Because that's what he did when he came to the main roster and beat Cena on SmackDown for the U.S. title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maria interviewed Carlito. She said she, he just ended Shelton's reign. How'd you do it? He said he just pinned him. One, two, three. He's right. He vowed to be the best IC champion the company has ever seen. He started eating an apple. Don't you dare. He did dare. I hate him. Next, Viscera came out in the giant bathrobe and destroyed Simon Dean in like a minute. Total squash. It will really be sad when they fire Nova, if they fire Nova. Like it's his fault they gave him a horrid gimmick. Lily announced Viscera as the winner with joy and glee and hit the ring and dance with him. Is it as a conflict of interest? Then she cut a promo saying they were moving pretty fast. And since they were going to be in Vegas Sunday, maybe they could move a little faster. Wait a second. All this time and all these trips to the hotels and they haven't done anything yet? That's not moving very fast. She says she suspected that Sunday he's going to hit the jackpot. How's this sell- even selling one pay-per-view? Oh, the Vesper Lillian Garcia angle, Bix. <laughs> Maybe he meant get married. <laughs> oh, my. I totally forgot about this angle until I did the notes. World's largest love machine. That's right. He basically took Mark Henry's gimmick. You know? In a way. More diva search crap aired. Brian believes it was the exact same view that we saw last week. This gave me a great opportunity to fast forward. Jericho did an interview with uh, TCS backstage, Bix. Oh, boy. Do I need to explain that one? Yes. Okay. That's Todd Grisham. Todd Grisham, at this point, is best known for doing the dubbed commentary with Benoit and Malenko on the Japanese matches on the Benoit DVD. Um, and in a term I would hope I, he would not use today... Uh, Brian and Vinny dubbed him that cocksucker from the Benoit DVD. <laughs> yes. Good lord. Because, which is, I don't think, a term we should be using as an insult anymore for <laughs> many different reasons. Whether it, you are referring to women or people who enjoy performing that on people of the same sex. TCS. TCS. Uh, Christian Walt. Well, uh, wait, what else do we have during this era? We have uh, Steve Romero or whatever. Wait, I forget if that was the real name or the WWE name. He was the mystery Hispanic. (laughs) Yes. I forget who else. There's a lot. But anyway, uh, Christian walked in and they got into an argument about which of them is going to win the title Sunday. Yay, Christian. He stole the show. See here. Angle did a promo about his match with HBK, which takes place in six days. Yes, great build for that rematch. Idiots. I wonder if someone could be drafted back. It's a blind draw. What if Angle got drafted again to SmackDown this week? That'd be great. This match needs more time to simmer. So anyway, Angle and Bischoff had a love fest. And then it was time for Edge and Lita's wedding. Let's go to the clip. Oh, we are doing the whole thing? Well, we'll play the, I we'll we said we play the beginning. Then... Okay, we'll start from the beginning, and then we'll see from there. Okay. And we are back live, ladies and gentlemen, here on Raw. We have no idea what to expect with this wedding. We've had a few weddings on Raw King, and they've been unusual. Some of them, that's a good way of putting it. No reason to expect it. Oh, we've got some buffer in here. Yeah, that's unusual. That doesn't usually happen. Should I just refresh it? <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, let's see. Come on. Might as well. 
Should I do an edit or should we just roll with it? Oh, let's roll with it. Hell, why not? All right, I'll skip ahead 10 seconds at least. And then we. No idea what to expect out of this wedding. My last wedding day was a beauty. I went to put the ring on. She gave me the wrong finger. Hope we don't see something like that tonight. You think you know me? Yeah, the best overall wedding is Teddy and Crystal, but but the this wedding dress this is, is by far the most, the most memorable wedding dress in the history of wrestling weddings. Yes. Now Trish, of course, has her moment when she's the bridesmaid. Yes, in her uh, several months earlier. Yes. Yes. But uh, but uh, good lord. Yeah. The, <laughs> for people who have never seen this. <laughs> If boob tape did not exist, this dress would be a problem on television. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a better way to put that, is there? But I think she is wearing a bikini top. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know uh, how. Well, well, let's look. Let's look at it. Here right. today, in the eyes of God, here to celebrate between. Edge and Lita, and to join them. Pause. In... All right, see right there. 
It does kind of look like, yeah, see that? That's part of the dress, right. though. I guess it is, but it kind of looks like a bikini top, though. I don't know about that, but still. Just the it, way it is in the front. It, it, was the, it was the kind of adventurous outfit you would not even see on NXT today. Uh, no. Um, I don't know. Mandy Rose might wear, would wear something like that. I don't know about that. Now, that said, we should take a second, too, before we carry on with two. We got to give both of these two some props because people don't always realize this. They had already split up by the time the angle started. Yes. And they did a fucking amazing job building up chemistry with each other on screen. Yeah. You would, I mean, you could you could see where something could happen where these two wouldn't want to work with each other because of, you know, they're not together anymore. But And because of how touchy-feely the persona of their act was, too. Yes. So... They, we talk about, I think, fairly often in this era, just how good a job they did and just how much she elevated him as a star and stuff. But it really is impressive what they're able to do together under all of these circumstances. Yeah. Holy matrimony! Go ahead. I was going to mention, you know, we didn't mention it earlier, but Melina, if, if that version of Melina had come around... Ten years later, she'd be she would have been one of the top stars in the business. But if similar personal things happen, do do she and her boyfriend get the same heat? Um, it's possible her performance, though. Yes. Oh, she's such a natural talker here. Yeah, exactly. So, all right. And as we open our sacred celebration, Edge and Lita wanted to share with you and the world the sign of their love. All right, we can fast forward through this. Yes. Um, and the crowd's chanting, we want Matt. Because Matt... Well, as we'll get to, as far as anyone knows, Matt is still released and not signed, but everyone... Well, we'll talk more about it. Yeah, belief at this time changes after this segment. Oh, did I go back? Or should we just pick it up here? Pick it up here, because he's yes. out. Yes. Because he has a special, uh, he has his own poem. Yes. He's taking after his old friend, Heidenreich. That's right. He is wearing what would you describe as a tuxedo with the sleeves cut off. Yes. Look at Edge and Lita knew Snitsky were coming out. Edge and Lita, as a gift to you on your special day, I wrote a special passage and I entitle it It's Not My Fault. <laughs> Wait, I, I just realized, are they not calling it a poem because that's Heidenreich's gimmick? Yes, a passage. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault you fell in love. It's not my fault it came from above. It's not my fault 
Edge and Lita chose this direction. It's not my fault. Kane can't get an erection. <laughs> it's not. Also, Edge and Lita's reactions to everyone else are fantastic throughout this whole thing. Oh, yes. My fault. The things that love can do to us. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Just like it's not my fault. You had a dead baby in your uterus. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was very nice. For those of you who have blocked out 2004, 2005 WWE, um, or, or for whatever reason not familiar with this era, maybe you mainly listened to the show for the older wrestling and we're not watching at this time. Um, to quickly recap, they did a storyline where Kane had become sexually obsessed with Lita. Specifically because she, he, excuse me, he wanted her to have his baby. And she was a baby face at the time. Yes, with Matt. And he just starts beating up Matt all the time. Um, cucking him, as the kids might say. And it leads to a match with Matt and Kane, where Kane wins. He gets to... It, it, or was it that? Or it was that, right? Yeah. I think that he gets a night with Lita. Oh no, we don't know about the baby part yet. And he uh, pokes a hole in the condom because he is also a reproductive abuser who is sexually assaulting her. And uh, she becomes pregnant. The plan was to have the angle go the full nine months. They got fed up, decided not to have it do that. And meanwhile, Matt's injured, and Lita is forced to be managing Kane. And so they do a match with Kane and Gene Snitsky from Developmental on Raw. Uh, Snitsky is not planned to be a character. He's just planned to be a guy in the match, which is amazing because what he does is he bumps Kane into Lita, who has a miscarriage. And then they realized, oh, wait, this guy who can't work and throws the worst punches in World Wrestling Entertainment is now a regular character. And he's an oddball that becomes an ironic Internet favorite. And that's what happened. And I am sorry I had to explain all that. Yes. WWE, everybody. Mm -hmm. But it's now time for Edge and Lita to proclaim their love and commitment to each other. Do you this might be the best officiant they ever had at any of these. Well, not counting Bruce Bruce. And Brian uh, thought that the pastor may have been Bruno Sammartino. Okay. You have the there is a resemblance. Very good. And I understand that you have written your own vows. Do we need these? Sure, why not? Then Edge place the ring on Lita's finger and proceed with your vows. Because I remember this was like funny. Lita, everyone knows me as money in the bank. And now you also know me as money in the, uh, money in the sack. <laughs> and, and I know you've had some rough times because of a bald, sweaty, seven-foot monster. But, but tonight when the Padre says, do you take this man? You'll be marrying a man and not a monster. Not a seven-foot, sweaty, sexually incompetent freak. By the way, we should also point out that Lita's heel turn was um, turning on Kane. 
<laughs> who had turned yeah. baby-faced because of the miscarriage. Yes. This whole thing is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Lita. Lita. Please. Place the ring on Edge's finger and proceed with your vows. Slut chance. Lita, please. This is uncomfortable to watch because she has talked about how this did this stuff did bother her because it it's inspired not as a it's not something people would chant now but it's not just the gimmick it's also the mat stuff yeah well which, that's we ain't got to that yet <laughs> I'm assuming it'll come up on his podcast eventually but I do wonder what regrets he has about how he handled things you know online and all that but anyway. Yeah, we'll have more on that later. What's the matter with these people, JR? Edge, I may have been unlucky in marriage, but I've never been unlucky in love because I never loved Cain. And I now know, after falling in love with you, that I have never been in love with any man. She's choking up. I don't blame her. I don't, I don't care what these people say. And it might hurt. But if falling in love with you makes me a slut... The pastor. The regular on his face. <laughs> well, then I'm proud. I am proud to be the slut of the century. Oh, my God. This is gonna be different. So that's where Daniel Garcia got the idea for his sports entertainer promo. <laughs> I love the fa- that zooming on the pastor. <laughs> He's got to be a show image. One of these, one, one of these things got to be a show image. Uh, dog on it. Some beautiful vows. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. <laughs> if there's Finish anybody the here that feels oh, here these go. two should not be joined in holy matrimony. Uh-oh. I love the preacher going up. Speak now. Or forever hold your peace. Very well then. Very well then. Listen to that pop. Wait a minute. It's so funny. <laughs> JR, they got us again. 
They knew Snitsky was coming out here, and they knew about this. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just couldn't resist. Oh, man. <laughs> Not funny. Padre, I'm, I'm sorry, Padre. I'm sorry. I'll explain it all later at the reception, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, then, if nobody actually objects, then by the power vested in me, Uh-oh. by God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> I love how how JR realizes we do not know what denomination this man is supposed to be. What the fuck do I call him? Reverend, that's good enough. Yeaton just got a uh, piece of the set yeeted into him. That's what I'm about to say. That was that. What if that would have went over the, the rail? Uh, I'm assuming it was Mark Eaton. It looked like the timekeeper position. Yeah. This wedding chapel. This that was designed. Wait a minute! You can't do the hell he can't. Who's going to stop? Oh no! A seven foot, three hundred thirty pound monster. I don't think the ceremony was finished. King came up like he was rising from the depths of hell. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. Why is he being I mean, the baby face. And you notice no one is rushing to the ring to restrain King. Did we just see someone running over to check on Mark Eaton? Maybe. <laughs> or maybe they're getting ready for what's about to happen next. I guess this means Kane objects. My God, the destruction that that Kane is about to deliver on Edge and Lita. Poor Priest, man. I whatever forget this. Kane does Kane trying off. to comfort the Priest, who's, who's only trying to do his. Thing. I'll bet he's never presided over a wedding like this in his entire life. No doubt about that. What must that man King be thinking right now? Why is he smiling? Well, I don't think smiling. that's a smile. Wait a minute! No! Wait a minute! No! 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 That's a priest! Not a tombstone! No! Oh my God! The greatest tombstone ever. Oh my God! Penis tombstone, pile-driven, the priest. Some hell have been opened. Oh, 
Have we ever seen anyone lay out non-wrestlers more safely than Kane tombstoning them? Oh, he he is the safest ever. I mean, yeah, look, it, I mean, it looks so fucking fake, but still, you know, yeah. he's say keeping them safe. Yeah. What a segment. <laughs> that was that was wonderful television. I have not watched this since it first aired, and that brings back memories of the DVDR chat room and watching Raw every night, every Monday. And my God, that's that was something. As <laughs> uh, a commercial, Kane cut in the same promo backstage saying he hated to ruin their special night, but I am back. Next, Todd interviewed Christy about her attack on Victoria last week. She said she was really looking forward to the face of Victoria, and right as she said that, Victoria came up behind her and hit her with a glass or something. Todd reached behind her head, and his hand came up bloody. Yes, they did a blood gimmick with a girl. So wrong. It was fake, but still. This is the worst Raw forever, Brian exclaimed. Backstage, Christy was being fitted with a neck brace. It gets worse. John Cena versus Muhammad Hassan. Someone must run in, as in right now, immediately. Didn't happen. To my other shot, the first thing they did was a high spot and didn't screw it up. Davari grabbed Cena's foot and Hassan got the heat. Cena made a comeback approximately a minute later. It was horrible. Cena didn't hit the FU for the clean pin. Yes, match with about a minute and a half. Boy, did they ever job out Hassan, and it certainly didn't help Cena have this match on this show with this guy with this finish. All that work, all those months of build and bullshit promos about being undefeated, promos which counted against the years and hours and minutes remaining in my life, and it ended like this. There were even some boos when seen hit the FU. This show was an utter disaster. On the bright side, the match was too short to be dangerously awful. Christian and Jericho both ran out and beat us Cena afterwards. Lane bill for the pay-per-view. I am filled with hate right now. Yeah, I mean, that Muhammad Hassan thing, boy. The world came crashing down quick on him, didn't it? Through no fault of his own. Yeah. I mean, they did all that time. They did all that build. And he jobs in 90 seconds to John Cena. And it's John Cena, but still. Well, maybe it's better that he's living as a normal human being now. As a teacher in principle. Yep. I liked him. I mean, I thought thought he did a good job uh, with the character. But yeah, man, we met the eight diva search finals in a pre-taped segment. Not one of them stood out, and this is going to be the most insufferable eight weeks in WWE history. All right, so let's see who these divas are. We're not watching this, of course. For the 2005 diva search, this is 2005. So our contestants are Ashley Masaro, who won, Layla Milani, Elizabeth Roofer. Wait, Layla Milani is a different person from Layla L, right? Yes. Yeah, Layla Milani is the one that was on uh, Deal or No Deal after after WWE. Um, uh, Crystal Marshall, Summer DeLynn, Cameron Haven, Simona Fusco, oh, and Alexis Andrade. So basically, it's just Ashley and Crystal that they picked up. It's Ashley and Crystal, and. Um, um, Alexis will be going on Flavor of Love Season 1 as Smiley. Oh. Uh, Layla was on Deal or No Deal. Uh, Trenisha Biggers was hired. She was eliminated in the top five. Of course, speaking of Kurt Angle, Raga Khan, 
And uh, Elizabeth Rufer was higher, but she didn't last long. So there you go. This diva search kind of seemed like the most anticlimactic diva search. It seemed like Ashley Massaro was going to win from the, from the jump. She had the personality. Well, she she stood out the most among wrestling fans. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So they previewed the pay-per-view, and all I could think of was that I don't care about at all about this show, and I don't give a shit about Angela Sean. That's come from a person who gave their first match five stars. I find the fact that WWE was able to disinterest me in their second encounter profoundly intriguing. Next, Big Dave fought Kurt Angle for the World Heavyweight title. Matched about three minutes before Ric Flair and Hunter ran down to attack Big Dave for the DQ, and the night is complete. As they were beating him up, it hit me what a crappy crew of champions WWE now has. Big Dave, John Cena, Orlando Jordan, Rosie and Hurricane, Carlito. God, the best of all, it's Eminem and my wide margin. More people ran in. Hey, there's Shawn Michaels. Tell me, I came Eric Bischoff. He said this wasn't how they were in the evening. If everyone won the fight, they're going to fight right now. Which led to Sean and Big Dave against Hunter and Angle. After commercial, HBK was making his comeback. Flair cut him off with a chop block behind the rest back. One week after spending 10 minutes burying one, each other. Here were Triple H and Kurt Angle working together as pals. They worked over Sean's life forever. Yes, let's make sure that Sean Michaels cannot stand for five straight minutes. He finally got the hot tag to Big Dave, who was just as mobile in his feet as Sean had been found his back on the map for the last five minutes. Batista needs Richie Magnet to tell him, whatever that is you were doing with your hand, never do it again. A little inside reference of Brian's training. Um, funny, so does Cena. Broke down to a four-way. Angle and HBK brawled throughout the crowd. But in the ring, Big Dave gave Flair a spine buster. Then turned around and gave him the pedigree for the pin. Yes, the clean pin. Well, at least that means he's not winning the belt on Sunday. Awful, 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 horrible, wretched show. All right, we're all on, on June 20th for the wedding, drew a 3.9 rating, which has to be disappointing since every wedding in WWE history has popped a big number. We don't have much in the way of details on the wedding's 4.5 quarter was the high point of the show, and the tag benefit did a 4.1. Now, back to Brian. Regarding the Matt Hardy news on Raw, here's the deal. Either A, Matt Hardy's coming back very soon, or B, this man's completely lost his mind. Number two has been debated for years, but I'm personally going with number one. As a general rule that is sometimes broken, WWE does not promote things they are not going to deliver on. Having Edge somewhat acknowledge we want Matt Chance on Raw is one thing. Actually playing Matt's music and having Ross and Lawler and Angelina and everyone else totally freak out is another matter entirely. He is returning. On top of that, if they haven't re-signed him yet, they are beyond stupid. To me, one of the biggest things was that there was no word from Matt immediately after Raw. In the past, whenever he did something on Raw that in some way pertained to him, he immediately went online and ran about on his website. He was strangely silent Monday night. The explanation, which is so convenient, is that Matt had been planning a trip deep into the mountains, and while he was there, he would have no cell phone or internet access. I am not making this up. So anyway, while I haven't confirmed this, my personal belief is that he has signed and will debut perhaps as soon as the pay-per-view on Sunday. Well, let's continue, shall we? With Brian. Brian has a lot of Matt Hardy stuff. Matt Hardy needs to be re-signed by WWE right now so he'll get his ass off the internet and stop losing his mind. His latest deal is the Matt Hardy Show, a reality program that he's airing on his website. I just finished five straight days of shooting, and if you are a Matt or Jeff Hardy fan, 
You will not be able to miss one single episode. You will see every side of me as well as Jeff, my dad, Lori, my friends, my dad's friends, and other motherfuckers. Everyone involved in my life currently. There will be hilarious bits, wrestling bits, controversial bits, touching bits, inspirational bits. Every range of emotion will be covered. I don't want to be protected by the editing room. I want each and every one of you to see the true Matt Hardy. Uh, Chris, before you get to Brian's narrative here, MF -er, it says MFers here. He means Mattitude followers. That's right. Sorry. Uh, after the last few weeks, I don't think that's the best thing for his career, Brian said. The preview clips has footage of him running over a photo of Lita with his car, which seems a bit irrational to me. And this came shortly after he posted a picture of himself posing with a gun. Yes, it did. Um, so the Hardy show lasts for at least a few years. It's never been entirely clear to me how well it did, because it was a paid subscription thing. You know, and in that era, and only on the web... But it seems like it did well enough that they kept it going. You know, and it becomes the Hardy show with him and Jeff. Um, I guess retroactively, though, the thing the Hardy show is best known for, though, is the one thing that got extracted and posted on YouTube, which is Matt and Jeff pilled up off their minds at a truck stop cutting promos on CM Punk. Yeah. But the one thing you say, too, is this was the precursor for all the vlogs and stuff that we have today. Uh, yes. There would probably be, probably be no BTE if there wasn't a Hardy show. So I don't know about that. I'm sure there'd be something, but it, it had its influence to some degree, yes. And, uh, and by the way, to be clear, Matt comes back on July 11th. Yes, a few weeks. More Matt Hardy fun and games from Brian. He was on the Interactive Interview radio show. He is now calling himself the Angelic Diablo or Angelic Devil. Only a profoundly attractive man should ever call himself that unless he's trying to get mega heel heat. He said he wrote about 90% of the Hardy Boys book and Jeff wrote 10. Some people might think, wow, I can't believe Matt wrote that much. I heard that and thought, wow, I can't believe Jeff wrote that much. He said as far as wrestling, Jeff probably has more physical gifts, but he didn't have the head or passion for it. He said when everything with Lita went down, he knew Edge was getting a push and thought the possibility was there that WWE might can him. But he was still surprised when it actually happened. Matt talked about Edge's tire slashing incident. For those who don't recall, WWE was doing a house show with, near Matt's house, and Edge's tires got slashed. Everyone figured it to be Matt. Matt claimed it wasn't him. He would explain on the show that his current girlfriend, Lori, was the ex-girlfriend of a former WWE wrestler. And this wrestler, upset that Matt was with Lori, slashed Edge's tires and phoned in a report saying Matt was responsible. I want to quit the business by this point, Brian said. He admitted that while he hadn't talked to Vince, he had talked talk with other W officials lately. He refused to say whether they won them back. You know what that means. Surprised he wasn't back at the wedding, although it wouldn't have made any sense unless Cade had been drafted on SmackDown this past week. Okay. Um, shall we play the Angelic Diablo promo? I guess. Or at least part of it. I, I don't think we need to play the whole four minutes, but people need to understand how bad this was. Like, this is the moment that, like, Matt should be very glad he had made the deal to come back because this is the moment he completely started losing whatever momentum he had coming out of the firing and stuff. And he's wearing a black duster that he has buttoned up. And it's slipped out shirt. And it's black and white. My name is Matt Hardy. I've been very fortunate in my life. Everything that I've ever wanted since I was a child actually came to be. Every dream that I ever envisioned having as an adult came to be. I wanted to be a professional wrestler. I wanted to wrestle for the WWE. 
I wanted to be a champion. And all that came through with my hard work and dedication. I wanted to meet a woman that I could love with everything inside of me, give her everything I have, my heart, my soul, my mind, my body. And then just for her to give me that back. And that came to be for six years. I wanted to have friends that I could turn to in any scenarios, friends that I could trust with my life, with my family, with my soulmate. And that came to be as well. But there was one moment in my life where I happened to suffer an injury. My left knee was totally destroyed. And I had to get complete reconstructive surgery done on my left knee. And at that one point in time, everything in my life changed. Everything that I had, every dream I'd ever worked for, lost. I'm tapping out. <laughs> you wanted to play it. <laughs> it's not, well, I wasn't going to play the whole thing anyway. It's not quite as bad as I remember. The thing people remember is more the whole angelic Diablo idea than the actual promo. But uh, he's glad he signed. I mean, he should be glad he re-signed when he did, though. Because this was a disaster. Yeah. All right. One of the biggest wrestling events in modern times in Europe took place on June 18th at the RDS Stadium in Dublin, Ireland. As W. Smackdown Outdoor showed you one of the biggest house show crowds in company history. Approximately 22,000 fans, a little over 20,000 paid in the building set up for 23,500, paid $1.5 million for a show headlined by John Cena as Kurt Angle versus JBL for the W. title with Stone Cold Steve Austin as the referee. It would rain probably just behind Triple Mania on May 15th from Guadalajara as the biggest paid crowd so far this year. And perhaps considering, I, this is Dave talking, by the way, I think it's more likely that AAA attendance figures exaggerated. This show's figures is real. This could be the biggest. WWE doesn't have another stage show booked. It'd be the second largest modern crowd, the second largest game ever in Europe. Trail only the uh, SummerSlam 92 main event from Wembley Stadium in London, Davey and Brett, which drew 78927 paying $2.2 million, still holds the non-Japan merchandise uh, worldwide paid attendance all-time record. They opened the show with a tape of Vince McMahon giving a message from the U.S. thanking the fans for making the show a success. He talked about how the McMahon family originally came from Ireland and said, Erin Gobray. That's an Irish saying that means something to the effect of Ireland is good. Hope I didn't botch that. As successful as it sounds, as a success for WWE, it was said to be something of a disaster for Aiken Promotions, the local company that put the show on. They overspent the promotional budget WWE gave them, and apparently didn't do well because on that because of that. Afterwards, they were saying they would never do an outdoor show and would stick to the point. That's the the other building there. WWE been selling on the shows at the point capacity six four hundred. Usually within a minute, a ticket's going on sale. After being able to do two straight sales and consecutive nights, the Phillies was to try the outdoor show. There wasn't a lot that differentiated this from a normal house show and the appearance of Steve Austin as a referee. There was no mention made as, at the show as to why Kurt Angle and John Cena were on a SmackDown show. Dave guessed the TV shit matters. This main event had been already advertised. They shot an angle for it last time they came. All right, results of the show. We have Paul London over Billy Kidman with a DDT and a 450 splash. Although Kidman got his foot in the rust for the pin. Good work, although most fans didn't care about the match. Big show over Carlito with a choke slam. Bad match, mostly comedy. Show dispatched Matt Morgan before finishing off Carlito. Crowd cared about this one considerably more than the first match. 
Funaki Pinchava Guerrero with a thrust kick. Fans chanting boring during the match. Decent match, nothing special. Orlando Jordan Penn Heinrich, U.S. title. Another bad match. Heinrich got a great crowd response, though. Eminem retained the tag titles over Bob Holly and Booker T. Really good match. Molina bent over and showed her ass to Bob Holly. Holly then chopped the hell out of it. Eminem started rubbing her ass like the old school Hollywood blondes. They did the snapshot on Holly for the pin. Tori Wilson came out to halt t-shirts. Molina came out and they went in on the mic, leaned to a catfight spot. Tori laid out Molina with a DDT, then took off her shirt and called out Teddy Long. Why, well, I don't know. Rey Mysterio pinned Eddie Guerrero with a 619 Supreme World Night Drop. Good match. Matt Morgan pinned Mark Gendry with F5. Crowd was totally dead. The PA was awful, so that only made his pre-match stuttering act that much worse. Oh, yes, it's the stuttering act of Matt Morgan picks. God, I love that WWE. John Cena won a three-way with Kurt Angle and JBL with Austin's referee. Of course, the crowd went nuts for Austin. It's the first time ever in Dublin. JBL got the crowd going by saying they were seeing history as the two greatest legends. Himself and Austin were in the ring together. He then ripped in Ireland, ripped on Ireland and gay, with gay references, even noting that the national sport in country is called Gaelic football. <laughs> oh, my God. Cena nearly killed Angle when he dropped him wrong doing the FU. Finish saw Angle bumping Austin. Austin laid him out with Stunner, which got the biggest reaction on the show. Cena did another FU, this time with JBL for the pit. Austin and Cena celebrated with beer drinking, although Cena doesn't really drink much beer for some unknown reason. Austin gave Cena a Stunner and poured beer on him. Austin helped him back up. Instead of retaliating, Cena just put Austin over. Gaelic football. <laughs> Well, at least the show drew. Oh, yeah. They were hot. And hot in Europe, absolutely. All right. Excuse me. That's all yawn. Humantu got out of debut on Velocity over the weekend to being called, just being called Humantu. Dave gets because they already have two Guerreros. So, because it's super crazy starting the weekend shows while Kid Cash got a tryout on Heat. So, the ECW guys are getting a little TV work here. Yeah, when does Cash get signed? Not too long after this. Yeah, he he has one of those really forgotten WWE runs. Oh yes, both as a singles and as the pitbulls with Jamie Noel. Mm-hmm. The boogeyman name that they trademark is for Marty Wright. Wright isn't ready for by any means in the ring, but he has natural charisma and said be an awesome guy on promos. And then he gets put in this gimmick, and you really don't see how awesome he is on promos because he's doing his boogeyman shtick. I mean, he's charismatic, and he can deliver stuff well, but yeah, it's not what people were expecting. Yes. All right, uh, back to Brian Alvarez. Cena did the UK tour and then flew right back to America for Raw. He's also been doing all, all of his CD publicity and such, and is almost never home. It's a completely insane schedule. In about 10 years, she's going to look back and claim, like Hogan, that back in the day, he was on the road 350 days a year, year after year after year. Funny thing is, at least one of those years, this one, that's not a major exaggeration. Speaking of Cena, his CD is holding fairly steady on the Billboard charts. There's even more on the Billboard internet listings a couple weeks back. In other words, people are still buying it. Usually, WWE releases all the hardcore snatch about the first week and then sales fall off a cliff. Then we continue. We're told the deal Cena has with WWE for CDs is awful. Basically, the going rate in the music industry is 7.1 cents per song per album sold. And since there are 17 songs on each CD, each disc makes $1.20. Half of this revenue, however, goes straight to the publishing company, which is, oh, yes, Stephanie Publishing. Stephanie as in McMahon. 
This is the most creative thing she could come up with when setting up when come up with when setting up her company. So at least sixty cents per album, which split up between the offers of the lyrics, and since several people were responsible, that might be cut down to twenty or thirty cents per album sold for them. So if they sold hundred thousand CDs, which is a gross of one point eight million, if they all were sold for eighteen dollars and ninety five cents, he'll make anywhere from twenty to sixty thousand dollars. So for all you aspiring rappers and musicians out there, take some time and set up your own publishing company. And this is Brian being stupid. Stephanie Music or Stephanie Publishing was not her company. This is a company Vince had set up for WWE's music publishing years and years earlier. Well, yes. But the thing is, is that, I mean, Brian is right here. All musicians regarding publishing, they need to do own their own publishing. Yes. Own their own publishing. You know, that's where so many people got screwed. You know, one of the most famous ones was Billy Joel. Remember that story? Mm-mm. Billy Joel's first wife was his agent and owned all of his publishing for all those early albums. So when they got divorced, he lost all the rights to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why he um, – she's always a woman. I mean, supposedly he w- he will not sing that in concert anymore because of that's who he, re- he wrote about her. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but I mean, you look at a lot of musicians over the years; they really lost their ass with publishing royalties, not have control of that. Oh, and uh, I just found on Google, Stephanie Music Publishing was incorporated August fifteenth, excuse me, August seventeenth, eighty seven. So I guess that's when. They put out Pile Driver. Pile Driver, yeah, that's Pile Driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we got two stores closed out there, or something else. On a, on June seventeenth, on an indie show in Knoxville, Tennessee, Tracy Smothers cut a promo on JBL and challenged him. Smothers claimed he would put up everything he owned, including his life savings, his dog, his house, and everything, for an opportunity to have a real fight with JBL. Nothing will ever transpire from this, although it got him some internet publicity. Smothers, now 42, was a very good high school wrestler in his lifetime. He does have a hot temper and has been in skirmishes in the past. Dave doesn't know if he's in JBL's league, but Smothers has a reputation for being a crazy fighter, and guys like that aren't smart to mess with either. It really doesn't matter because JBL almost surely be smart enough to ignore this because it's a no-win situation for him and hardly worth the injury risk. The WSF has already learned their lessons from Brawl for All and Angle and Daniel Pooter about putting money down in situations that weren't completely under control. Dave taking this seriously is hilarious to me, or semi-seriously. Is it Tracy Smothers being Tracy Smothers, calling on JBL? And that's all it is. There's no fucking way JBL or WU going to do something with Tracy Smothers. No. You know? I mean, that's all it is. So. Now, we should know, too. So, wait, when? So, Meanie gets his weird contract right after this, though. For yeah. the over the JBL shooting on him thing. Yeah. Which, yeah, we'll have to do that eventually. Oh, boy. Um, let's, let's just say, though, too, since it came up, it's nice that John Layfield seems to be a much different person these days. He's out, he's out of the business. He's out of the business. And I mean, look, I mean, Meany mean, has long since forgiven him, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, shit, shit happens sometimes. And, you know, make amends. Now, this is, a, this is an amazing story. Rochelle Lowen, a short-lived live WWE diva, gave an interview on Voice of Wrestling 
not voices of wrestling, voice of wrestling, pegging Randy Orton. Not really pegging him, but pegging Randy Orton as well as other women for her quitting so don't quickly. Make, don't make me say it, Chris. <laughs> uh, well, let me continue reading. She said she was resented because she was brought in as a model with no product knowledge who was recruited in, as opposed to having survived the diva search, as most of the women who were brought in at that time were. She claimed Randy Orton was mad at her because when they met, with her not being a wrestling fan, had no idea who he was. She asked him, are you from Canada? She said Orton looked at her and stormed off saying, I hate Canada and I hate you. Oh, God, I remember this. She thought that was kind of weird. I have no idea why. Isn't that normal behavior? As the day went on, Orton did things inappropriate and verbally abusive. Nothing like being shot down by someone who doesn't know who you are. After she did a pre-tape, she went back to her changing room. She found out Orton had snuck into the women's dressing room and destroyed her bag and everything in it. Mostly smearing lotion and baby oil. Welcome to the eighth grade. She denied that he crapped in her bag, but he did destroy it. As she was leaving that day, Big John Larnitis asked her how her first day of work was. She said it was horrible. And said she wasn't getting paid as much as damages to her stuff would cost. When she brought it up without mentioning names, Larnitis said he figured it was Orton. Lowen wanted to quit, but was moved to SmackDown to get away from Orton. She started traveling with Mark Jindrak, who used to be Orton's best friend when they were on the same brand and chased down women together after shows. She claimed Orton stopped talking to Jindrak over it. She said she wasn't interested in Jindrak, but that he and Rey Mysterio was good friends. He's an animal, an absolute animal. What kind of man acts like that when he likes a beautiful woman? This guy's just absolutely after lunch. He's just retarded. Well, it's 2005. Oh my god. I this is Day's version. Um Brian <laughs> Brian just was going off about this woman. I mean, just talking about how uh, about how she was acting and all this and everything too, you know, about the Canada thing. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Uh I'm just gonna read a quick thing of what he said. Uh blah 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 blah. Okay. Rochelle, whatever her last name is, did an interview with Voice of Wrestling, so he just quit Randy Orton because he was mean to her because she was hot. And by the way, the hosts <laughs> of Chris Cash, the host of Voice of Wrestling are Chris Cash and Big Mike. Is that CZW Chris she, Cash? I don't think so. She, she had never followed wrestling, so that's why she didn't know who Orton was. So Brian said, do not ask why she, was at, she asked Randy Orton if he was from Canada because it never explained. Um... Uh, she did the pre-tape with Mr. Bischoff, and it took about an hour or two. And when she went back to the locker room, she found her bag of smeared with oil and lotion. All of her very, very nice belongings, she quoted and quoted, had been destroyed. And why? Because Randy Orton had a hard-on for me. She determined Orton had serious issues with beautiful women like her, and that's why he did this. He was psycho, she said. Crazy. He's an animal. Well, why does a man like that when he likes a beautiful woman? Uh, Brian said, I've come to the conclusion that Randy Orton and Rochelle Lowen are the two people I'd never want to meet in my life and who bonked into each other and caused the entire universe to tilt out of balance. Thankfully, she quit before the Earth could be destroyed. <laughs> oh, my God. But the new, I mean, how about the story that Orton and Jindrak had a falling out over her? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at uh, what Wrestling Inc. has. Looks like this is just the press release that Voice of Wrestling sent. Wait, okay, you know why quote. she asked if he was from Canada? 
Why? She's from Canada! Oh, right. Okay. But anyway, so we have this quote from her, too. The reason Randy Orton did what he did had nothing to do with the competition, she disclaimed. I don't think that's what they mean, the word they mean to use. His behavior had everything to do with how pathetic this person is, how psycho he is, and how his mentality is completely off-key with what normal mentality should be. Maybe Mama wasn't nice to him when he was a little boy, or dropped him on his head too many times. He has some real issues with beautiful women. Yeah, that's the whole quote. I don't know what they are, but he definitely does. Holy shit, real quick. You yeah. know who she ended up hooking up with? Who? Bill Maher! Wonderful. Go ahead. Um, I think the rest of it is in here. Uh, oh, wait, we do have more about the, the Jindrak thing. Oh, God, the exact quote. <laughs> this is amazing. I became very good friends with Mark Jindrak, who is Randy Orton's best friend. And I would travel with Mark and Ray, and I'm sure that ate Randy alive. In fact... Randy wouldn't even talk to Mark Jindrak, the reflection of perfection, for a while because of that. But she said she wasn't interested in him. I really got along with him. I thought he was a great guy. Same with Mysterio. And uh, Moron Orton. Oh, okay, yes. So, okay, this was the. There were two different beautiful woman quotes. Then there's the one you read with the R word. Uh, she seems interesting. She's had plastic surgery, too. And they've seen that in these later pictures. She's had some. Uh... So facial work done. Well, so. good for her, I guess. Um, and at least there was no... But anyway, Bill Maher, Lord of mercy. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. I hope enough so. Of two, enough of 2005. We need a palate cleanser. So next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1986. Hmm. And in World Wrestling Federation, we have a major shakeup as George Scott has been demoted as the booker. So we'll have news on that. Plus, we'll have the uh, early beginnings of the Paul Orndorff Hulk Hogan angle to talk about and uh, other assorted house shows and stuff. And uh, it's some interesting stories. Uh, we have actually. I think this is the smallest Japanese section of history between the sheets. So we'll have that. Uh, we got <laughs> Canada. We got some lucha. We got more lucha than we got Japan. Uh, we got a little Puerto Rico. We got some uh, independent results, some early East Coast independent results. We'll talk about that. We got championship wrestling from Florida stuff to talk about, including an angle with John Heath, which I wish we had on tape. We got Continental Clips to play. So there's that. Bam Bam Bigelow debuts in the studio in Memphis. We'll have that. We got some great UWF clips to play. As Bill Watson, the Freebirds, are about to start their angle up. We got a great Blackjack Mulligan story in World Class. We got other assorted stuff, including AWA running uh, a live show on ESPN in Oakland where Dave Meltzer attends. Ooh. So, so we'll have that. We'll have other assorted stuff. And it, we got a, a big show in Hawaii to talk about involving Ric Flair. And we close out with Jim Crop Promotions, which is another light section of them. But we have an interview that David Crockett did with Dusty Rhodes and Madden TA that made Dave Meltzer want to vomit. All that more next week on Between the Sheets, where we will be joined by, yes, Robert O'Connor, who is oh. back to business, back in business. So he'll be on with us next week on Between the Sheets. We're talking about some great 1986 stuff. So it uh, should be a fun show. He says yes. the sh he, he said the show is short, but we'll we will pad it out. Well, uh, not too much. We got to record Patreon stuff too. But 
It's only 15 pages. Well, and it's, and it's, well I was going to say, it's an 80 show that's not long and without bow, and it doesn't sound like we have a ton of clips. So I think we'll, we don't. We'll be okay. We do not have a ton of clips. So, yeah. But yes, 15 pages. But Robert O'Connor will be in the house to lend his expertise on some of these uh, discussions, and especially Stampede. So, um, yeah, it should be a fun show next week. All right. Well, we got this show knocked out. So there's that. So, uh, Dix, thanks as always for, for being here. You're a rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Sheets Patreon special edition number 68. I'm your host Chris Zelda, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Spin. And Bix, it's time to go back to Titan Gate as we resume where we left off at March of 1992. And uh, yeah, this is going to be another one of those shows. Yeah, we've got, I think, about another month or so, another four weeks or so. And it's not going to be as dense as uh, part one, but we're still in a fairly dense part of the coverage. Yes, and uh, we'll have all kinds of uh, stuff playing off the last show, which, of course, the last show had a lot of uh, sensitive content. So I guess go ahead and get the disclaimer. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably listened to part one, and so I don't need to go too deep into it. But yes, because we're still fairly early on and still a lot of specific stuff breaking. If you think there's stuff that you might find uh, triggering or otherwise upsetting in terms of the discussions of or descriptions of, in some cases, sexual assault and child abuse and things like that, then this might not be the show for you. So, like like I said, you know, if you listen to part one, you get the idea. But still, you know, want to put that in there and in the description and all that. But, yeah.
So we still got plenty of steroids and stuff too. I don't know how much Hulk Hogan cocaine we have this time though. All right, so let's go to Mike Mooneyham in the Charleston Post Courier. Continuing controversy over Shadow's ring action for WWF. An agreement was reached with Tom Cole, whereby he got what he wanted from the beginning, and that is work here, Plenamina said. Tom feels he was discriminated against, and he stands by a story that he was discriminated against, and we gave him what he wanted. What the we fuck gave, does that mean? We gave him his job back. He wasn't looking for a million-dollar settlement. He wasn't looking for media attention. Unfortunately, he was manipulated. He was coerced, and he was used by certain media members for their own purposes. That being getting the exclusive story when unfortunately nobody out there was taking a young man's feelings into consideration. Okay, we have to stop here. I am pulling <laughs> up the unfiled Tom Cole complaint. The word discrimination appears exactly once um, in when they, as far as the first cause of action, which is uh, pursuant to New York's executive law for legal sexual harassment. And it says a uh, plaintiff repeats and realleges each and every allegation contained herein through this blah, 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 blah. And then it says the foregoing acts of defendants constitute unlawful sexual harassment and discrimination against plaintiff in violation of New York executive uh, law 296. So this is Steve Planamenta and whoever else at Titan going out of their way to find the wording in Tom's unfiled complaint that they can use that will sound the least thorny when commenting to a newspaper. Well, right? here's the thing, though. No, here, well, here's the thing. What's he being discriminated against? I mean, if you're going to say he's being discriminated, why was he discriminated? What 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 happened that he was discriminated for? Right. Not yeah. not, not not you know not doing sexual favors for Terry Garvin. Well, that makes you look bad, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Why, why was he discriminated? Right. You know, I mean, let, let's hear about it, Steve. Why was he discriminated? What did he? What was it he he didn't do? That see, that's where who you know if it needs to be called out by whoever is talking to Steve. Like, wait a minute, what's he being discriminated against? Why? It's not the color of his skin. No. <laughs> it's not. It's not anything else like that. Is that he refused sexual advances from Terry Garvin. Specific to the firing, yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, he but Steve Lamenta won't come out and say that because then you can't, I mean, then we're fucked. <laughs> because oh, now you're admitting that this happened. Mm. Okay? See, Platt, <clears throat> if that had been me as Mooneyham, Oh, I would have went to town on this. Oh, oh, Media. so how? So how did they discriminate? How, what what type of discrimination, Steve? Yes, where's the follow ups on that? I, I mean, Steve Lamenta gave opened the door right there for some, you know, hard ass questions that would have made him sweat worse than uh, what's his name on uh, brought on a network, uh, the movie. Oh uh, God, fuck. I'm drawing the blank too. I don't know why. Or not now. We're broadcast news, Jeff. Um, oh fuck. Who was on a broadcast news that sweat so much? I can't remember. <laughs> Hold on, movie broadcast sweating. News sweaty guy. Oh, Albert Brooks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Albert Brooks was sweating like a motherfucker on broadcast news. Um, yeah. Or Martin Short on that uh, on SNL on the skit on the sixty minutes thing about cigarettes. I mean, well, yeah, and playing Nathan Thurm in general. Yeah, 
So bad missed opportunity there by Steve, my best Steve, by Mike Mooneyham there on that one. Yes. All right. Phil Mushnick of the New York Post in a recent scathing column, Blast him at man. Never will you encounter a human being more cold-blooded, more devoid of humor and propriety than Vincent Mann, America's foremost TV babysitter, Mushnick wrote. In your wildest, most twisted dreams, you won't meet up with a likesman man, a miscreant so practiced in the art of deception, the half-truth, and the ball-faced lie as to make the artful dodger appear clumsy. A George Steinbrenner or Don King pale by comparison. Indeed, Hannibal Lecter is the only fictional character who comes close. Mushnick's story to immediate response from WF headquarters. Oh, boy. The article was bad to the point of being good, Planamenta said. I think people have finally come to realize what Phil Mushnick's agenda is. It's a personal attack against Vince McMahon. He's made mo- no bones about the fact he hates Vincent Mann for no particular reason. Fuck you. He never had the guts to meet with Vincent Mann. John Filippelli, who's one of our executive de- television producers, has known Phil for years. John was a producer at NBC, and Mushnick had told John long before he had read anything about us that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. I think he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe resents Vince's success and resents defeat. No, re- re- resents feet no matter what he writes about. Nobody seems to give a crap. <laughs> uh, could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine Steve Planamena working for WWE during this week that we record this with Sasha and Naomi and all that stuff going on? You mean the most Planamenta esque statement outside of the Benoit stuff in the <laughs> last twenty plus years? Well, that would well, yeah, but still, if he was giving interviews about this subject, how oh, how he God. would. <laughs> Uh, and again, uh, Chris, shall we return uh, to that column quickly just to give an example of perhaps why Phil would feel this way? Yeah, go ahead. Let me make sure I have the actual quote here. Uh, Meltzer, 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 Meltzer. Let me make sure I find the right quote. Uh, Melt, Melt, Meltzer, Meltzer, Yeah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. There's a joke to make here about another sheet writer, but I'm not going to... I'm saying that, but... Okay. Uh, why is this not here? Why am I not seeing this part? Um, oh, wait. I know what to do. Peculiar... Okay, here we go. McMahon also told King's national audience that he had, quote, no idea whatsoever, end quote, about any sexual misconduct by employees, not even a hint. Yet two weeks ago, during poor his hard out phone calls, he told West Coast-based journalist Dave Meltzer, then me, that he had let Phillips go four years ago because Phillips' relationship with kids seemed peculiar and unnatural. McMahon said he rehired Phillips, with the caveat that Phillips steer clear of kids. And yet, oh, he, hate, he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. No. If he does hate Vince McMahon, it's because Vince McMahon told him that he fired someone because he thought he might be a child molester and then rehired him as long as he agreed to stay away from kids. Yeah, I know. And, oh, maybe he just doesn't like what we do. Maybe he resents Vince's success. And no, I'm not sure what F-E-A-T was an OCR for that I missed, because otherwise everything came out okay. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we still got a little bit more. 
Planet Menace said WF will continue to address the issues as they develop. We're confident that we're doing the right thing, Planet Menace said. If anybody feels they've been wronged by us, we urge them to come forward so we can address the issues. Uh-huh. Things, things are becoming so convoluted and clustered in these shows. Bruno Sammartino has had an axe to grind with Vince for a long time. He's made no bones about it, but Bruno's axe to grind was what he perceived that Vince did to the wrestling business. And that's fine. It's a legitimate case to argue from his perspective. Billy Graham's agenda is steroid abuse. That's all well and good. If they stick to their agendas, that's fine. Well, let's address the issues. Bruno's hopping on the bandwagon saying he saw sexual assault take place, and now you got Billy Graham saying, I saw that too. Brother, give me a break. No, he's saying, I saw that too, brother. Yeah. Man, give me a break. Ugh. How did this guy last so long? He's, I mean, I'm sure Vince loved him because he did shit like this. That he's being confrontational, yes, but he's clearly yeah. a fucking terrible public relations guy. Yeah, but Vince, this is the type of guy Vince would love. Because he's confrontational, and he he, he's a, he talks the company line, he, you know. I mean, but here's the thing, though. He loves McDevitt because McDevitt's confrontational, but McDevitt is a freaking amazing lawyer. Well, of course. That that's the distinction I'm making. Like, yeah, obviously Vince <laughs> likes his style and the cut of his jib. Here's the other thing, though. I wish he had a LinkedIn or something so I would know exactly how long he had been doing PR. I guess if I just searched newspapers.com for his name, I would, you know, get an idea of when he started doing PR for them. But Steve Planamento was just a guy who was a fan who rose up through the ranks and became their PR guy. Yeah. He's not, and I don't mean this as a negative in any way because I do genuinely like him. He's not unlike Adam Hopkins now. Adam Hopkins mainly, and for most of his adult life, has worked for the w- for WWE. He's in PR, but he is not the main PR person, like Planamenta was. You know, you have other, you know, previously, you know, you're Brian Flynn, I think Matt Altman's still there, and technically is either considered adjacent to or above him. You know, guys like that, the people who are the more experienced outside PR professionals would be the ones handling stuff like this. You know, Adam handles interview bookings and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and look, and I obviously he has a lot of experience now. I'm sure he would be more than competent if he had to assume a more senior role in their communications department, if Adam did. But, like, it's insane that this Steve Planamenta is the guy, is what I'm saying. Like, let's put it this way, like... (laughs) If Mike Weber was still there, he wouldn't be spouting off like this. No. But again, Vince, Vince probably loved this. Yeah. Because this guy's a fighter like he was. Uh, you know, he fucking compared me to Hannibal Lecter. God. He's standing up to these people. Yeah. Um. Okay. <clears throat> At least searchingnewspapers.com, the first reference to Steve Planamenta as a media coordinator for the World Wrestling Federation comes in the March 23rd, 1988 Albuquerque Journal in a WrestleMania Hype article, which includes the box-out quote, We don't even bother to respond to critics who say it's phony. We respond to our fans. We're here for their enjoyment. Yeah. So, I'd love to know exactly what his background was, but, you know, as far as... I mean, basically what he is, he is a White House press secretary who is one of those confrontational ones that... 
you know, is going to come after the reporters and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what he is. Yeah. So, and the people that are fans of that per- political political party are going to defend them, and the ones that are are not fans are going to come out and rip them up. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's what he is. What a friggin' maroon, though. <laughs> eh? All right, excerpts from today's WrestleMania Eight could be Hogan's WWE finale by Mike Mooneyham of the Charleston Post Courier. Y'all, real quick. New York Post comments Phil Mushnick, who in a recent article entitled "Sex Life and WWF" compared Vince McMahon unfairly to Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter. Disputed comments made by WWF spokesman Steve Planamen in last week's column. Planamen said Mushnick had a personal vendetta against McMahon. He's made no bones about the fact that he hates Vince McMahon for no particular reason. Planamen said in the column, "He's never had the guts to meet with Vince McMahon." John Filippelli, who's one of our executive te- television producers, has known Phil for years. Much like I told John Law before he had read anything about us, that Vince was an evil person and should burn in hell. John Filippelli is an old friend, and clearly this has more done more than strain our relationship. It's virtually destroyed it, Mushnick said Thursday night. This story has grown far beyond my relationship with John Filippelli. It's far more insidious than my relationship with John Filippelli. John called me shortly after I started writing about the steroid trial and how the media had abandoned such a big story. John says, just between us, Vince is a good guy. Lay off of him. I told him anyone who says that trial has nothing to do with the WF should go straight to hell. He basically agreed with me. He said he, I didn't know the half of it, but at that point I was just starting to. I didn't hear another word about it until Vince McMahon got on the Larry King show and said, Phil Mushnick despised me so much, he, he told John Filippelli I should go to hell. And he made it sound as if that was a, on the sex charges. That was clearly long before the sex charges. Tom Cole, 21, who has worked as a member of the WF Ring Crew, told the San Diego Union Tribune in a recent article that he was sexually harassed or abused by several WF employees. Cole started working with WF in 1985 as a ring boy when he was 13, so the sexual harassment continued unabated until he was fired in February 1990 after rebuffing advances by another WF official. Cole threatened a lawsuit earlier this year, but he and WF reached a settlement after meeting with a man. Cole reportedly received $50,000 back pay and returned to his former job as a ring boy. Why would John Filippella call me to explain Vincent Mann to me for ever wrote anything against Mushnick? If I hadn't been in person, why would I have a personal vendetta against him? I spoke with him. I wouldn't give him two minutes of my time now. There's none he says I believe. Filippella, a veteran NBC sports producer, signed as a senior producer at WF Broadcast in October 1990. He had been nominated for 23 Emmy Awards and was coordinating producer for four World Series, three all- baseball all-star games, several Super Bowl pregame shows, and NBC Sports World. Filippelli's hiring placed him over former senior producer Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard, who was eventually fired by Titan Sports in May 1991 after only four years in the top day of production post. I can't believe John's doing what he's doing, Mushnick said. John keeps telling me to put myself in his place. But wait a second. That's what they said in Nazi Germany. Nobody has to do anything here. And inside a close to the story, also took exception to Planet Men's claims that Cole was manipulated by the media. Tom Cole called Phil Mushnick last July, said the source. He called him every day for months. Phil Mushnick didn't find him. He called Phil last July to fill the steroid story. He thought about, there might be a guy willing to go head-to-head with WWF. He called him almost every day for months and wanted Phil to write a story. It wasn't until they got two other kids come forward that Phil agreed. Phil wanted that exclusive, but he was still beaten by a week for the story. Whatever Tom Cole said about being manipulated by the media, my feeling is that if Tom Cole won this job back, he manipulated the media. If you're not looking for media attention, you don't call a reporter almost every day for eight months, and you don't go to the New York Post. Okay. First things first, who do you think this insider close to the story is? 
Uh, if oh. Phil wasn't quoted earlier, I'd think it was Phil. Possible, yeah. But I, it, it doesn't make sense to me that there's no reason, especially with how Phil Mushnick is fairly open with his quotes and stuff, I don't see any reason why it would be him. Even, you know, because like, you know, obviously you can give stuff on the record and on background, but it I don't see a reason why bo- why it would be him. So, someone else at the Post? Jeff Savage, maybe? You know, with his, doing his article? Like, I, I find it a little interesting that they don't mention why it, it ended up going to Jeff Savage or discussing that. Um, but, I mean, look, I know more about this than most. As far as I can tell, this source is giving the truth here. So, you know, look, because Phil, Phil had really done nothing other than be the first to report that the Ring Boy stuff was coming by the time Vince is on Larry King. I mean, granted, Vince has talked to him on the phone when Vince is on Larry King, but those phone calls ended well. Like, after those calls, Phil was swayed at the moment and probably why he didn't run with what Vince told him right away because he he felt like Vince seemed like he wanted to genuinely clean everything up. So this is just really just them realize, you know, especially early on that Vince went on the offensive with him. This was realizing like, I guess his role in everything and just trying to deciding he's the one who's responsible for all this and trying to discredit him or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's much else to say beyond that. But by the way, I mean, especially since this is the type of thing that really should be covered in the newsletters, too. Great work by Mike Mooneyam on this story. Yeah. You know, this is some of his very best work. Yeah. So. And John Filippelli and and John Filippelli is is interesting deal here. You know, um, John Filippelli mentioned in part one, too, as whose couch uh, Murray stayed on after he got fired for a little bit. I mean, it sounds like he's begging Phil to lay off, and Phil's not going to do it. So, yeah, here's something I'm wondering too. Did did Murray have his story when he was living with John Filippelli? Had he told John that story? And if so, awesome. is that also weighing on John Filippelli here at all? Which I mean, he's a credentialed enough sports producer by this point that he could have you know, written his ticket anywhere if you want to leave WWF. So I, I'm intrigued by him being this kind of a tribalist about his, uh, job there at the time. But, you know, it's, it's interesting how he's roped into this regardless, you know, and that it ruined much friendship with him, which maybe got repaired after. I don't know, but close out this week though. Oh, go ahead. Go and ahead. when when does Filippelli leave? Ooh, you want me to see if it's on? Ninety two. It is in ninety two. Yeah, because that's when Bruce comes back. No, but Bruce doesn't take over that job. Oh but no, but you're right. Gone. But it's but right. But Filippelli was involved in getting rid of him, so Bruce doesn't come back until Filippelli's gone, regardless, right? Um, his LinkedIn does not go back that far, so I don't know. Yeah, but you're you're right. That was part of the catalyst for Bruce coming back. Was that Filippelli was? Oh, actually, no, no, no. You know what? I'm remembering differently now. I think he was put in a different job because Filippelli was still there. I so think Filippelli left night too. Though I don't think he's there. I forget the exact... he's not there that timing though because the reason why I, uh, I ask is because how much does this 
way into him in, in his time there. Hmm. All this stuff going on, you know? Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, let's uh, close out this week, though, as we go to the reader's pages in The Observer. Your response to Mark Castle's uh, or Cassell's letter to seems to equate unwarranted sexual encounters between dark executives and underage male employees to sexual encounters between pro wrestlers and women under 18. There's some major differences. First, relationship between an employer and employee is inherently coercive since the employees depend upon the employer for a paycheck. This puts some constraints upon a person's ability to say no. A refusal may cause a person to lose a job or promotion. It's difficult to see an employee could have a sexual relationship with an employer that wasn't abusive unless the employee felt freely consented. However, since underage females are really employees of wrestlers, it's difficult for me to see this encounter as coercive. This is especially true when the female has not only freely consented, but actually sought out the encounter. This may be stupid, dangerous, or even and even illegal, but it may not be abusive depending upon the age. Clearly, a 17-year-old is not the same as a 13-year-old. Signed, Betsy Anderson of Brighton, Massachusetts. Well, that letter started well. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she had a good point, at least up front, that there are comparisons to draw to that, but that is not one of them. Yeah. So, uh, another week down, one more to go on this show. So I'm reading yeah. about, uh, I'm reading this, did you see the Dave Sahadi interview with Post Wrestling from, at, at, like, uh, three weeks ago? Mm-mm. He talks about when he joined WWF coming from NBC in '92. Okay, and it, it, this is just this is how John Philip Pelley got gone. Oh, okay. I, I came I came from NBC Sports and I joined WWE, WWE back in 1992. In 1992, you know they were down the dumps, and I just wanted to bring a real sports feel to it because I always thought wrestlers were fucking tremendous athletes, and they were mainly considered goofballs by people who weren't wrestling fans. I'm like, that's bullshit, man. These guys are legitimate athletes. Oh, and real you quick, this is, from, uh, this is from Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson's podcast. This is a transcript. Yeah, but it's on, it's on post-wrestling. Yes. Uh, do you, you want to hear a funny story? I'm in there for two weeks. John Filippelli, he's now the head of the Yes Network. Yes, he was the Kevin Dunn for two weeks. And then Kevin Dunn did a coup, and he got Filippelli fired. And there were two other former NBC employees working there, and he got them fired too. So I'm two weeks in, and I'm working on the opening for Raw. This comes up in January. Kevin calls me up and says, Sahadi, just so you know, Philip, gone. John Anonymous, gone. He just went down this list of 20 people, and I thought it was like that scene in The Godfather at the end when Al Pacino was saying, like, and he said to me, he goes, if it was up to me, your fucking ass would be put out of here too, because I hate you, NBC guys. But guess what? You're working on this opening for Raw. Vince wants to give you a chance, so you better be fucking good because your career is riding on it. So, dude, I walk in about a week later. It's opening, and the room is Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, Kerwin Silfies, director or number one there, Kevin Quinn, Bruce Pritchard's in there, Pat Patterson's in there, because passed back by then. And there's like 10 people there, and I get the thing loaded, and Vince says, play it. And I know this is already. I'm giving you the impersonation. So Vince sees it. It airs 25 seconds, and when it's over, he does this. Looking down, he spent one minute. Didn't say a word. Nobody else said anything. He walks back to the coffee machine, pours a cup, one pack of sweet and low, boom, another pack of sweet and low, boom, yeah, silence in the room, and I'm like, I'm fucking fucked, man. I'm not going to be here next Monday. This is it. He didn't like it, so he goes, all right, pal, play it again. And the other plays again, then Vince looks up, starts looking down, and again, there's like four minutes of silence. 
And I'm in the corner like, all right, well, you know, I guess I'll sign my forms right now for my termination release. And he goes, I don't know. What do you guys think? And Bruce Pritchard goes, I like it, Vince. It's really different. We haven't done anything like that before. And someone else is like, I love the music. I love this, you know? And all of a sudden, once Vince asked people's opinion because it was so different, they were doing things that, that were a lot of pink and yellow, kind of like, you know, color palettes or whatever. And I was bringing in like black and white and red. So, yes, Kevin Dunn got John Philip Pelley fired. How about that? That is the least shocking thing I have ever heard in my life. <laughs> to hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.